the Rewatchmen and our annual top 10 of 2016. Well, I mean, not that we have an annual top of 2016. It's our annual top of the year. When the year is 2016. There you go. All right. (laughs) I'm your host, TC DeWitt, and with me, as always, Cross Table. Who's that? This is me, Ben. What's up, Ben? TC. Welcome. This is it. We've we've made it to the end of the year, and we are going to have a nice long episode discussing the tops, the bottoms, the best, the worst, our favorite dresses, who wore it best. I like very much dresses. Um, uh, we love. I love the list episodes. Yes, I think our list episodes are our best. So fun. So so fun. It's always a rager, <laughs> and you always end up drunkenly screaming. <laughs> Mr. Disney. Why is that? <laughs> uh, so what we will hear on this episode is, unlike our typical episodes where we review stuff, uh, today, although we did a news episode last week, a catch-up last week, this week is specifically about our favorite movies of the year. This is true. That is true. Okay. So uh, I would like to preface by saying, those listening, this is just our list, okay? We're not saying this is the end-all, be-all, best and the worst of the year. This is just our opinion. Right, and as opinions, as we all know, can be wrong if they're not ours, except for ours. <laughs> <laughs> any any preface uh, you want to discuss here before we, we delve into the year? Um, I I remember last year I was talking about looking for films that were by uh, filmmakers and actors and stuff like that um, in terms of like representation. And whatnot. Oh, right, right. So the the criteria yeah. of how you made this list. Yes, let us let let us discuss that. Yes. And I think this year, I'm kind of moving away from that a little bit and going in towards emotional honesty. Like, mm. not something, because I, I feel like emotions can be manufactured. You've seen it time and time again with Disney. And with like <laughs> and big, big budget studio films. Um, it can be manipulative when it comes to emotionality. But I think this time, I'm looking for films that really touched me deeply and left me leaving the theater like continually thinking, continually feeling. Okay. And I feel like it was very rare this year. So I think that's why we were so critical of 2016. Mm-hmm. But I think I made a pretty solid top 10 that I feel like it, it's it, it's a solid 10. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Uh, typically what I do with the, like the movies that I, want, I remember are the ones that I can go back to and watch again, maybe ones that I saw more than once in theaters. Although several that I saw more than once in theaters didn't even make it on my 10. Um, yeah. That's yeah. funny, right? Yeah. I wanted to get your thoughts on that because some of these movies on my list, I don't even know if I'll ever watch again, mm-hmm. but it did leave a lasting impression. Yeah. That I feel like those other movies I went back and watched two, three times mm-hmm. while fun, while like, uh, <laughs> like uh, it was a ride more so than like. Um, we needed distractions this year as yeah, the year went along. This is true. <laughs> so I don't know how you felt about that. Well, I, I, I you know me. More than you, I, I like movies as escapism. Mm-hmm. I like, that. but that's not how I built my list this year. This year, I looked at movies that either had a unique that were unique, like we're doing something different. Yeah, we're doing something different with their tired genre, or movies that I looked at and were inspired by, mm-hmm. and thought, man, I I want to make a movie like that. Yeah, those that's that's how I built my list this year, and there there were some fun movies that are like. More on the bottom of my list, and then you know, like 11, 12, my honorable mentions that were just great movies. Yeah, that were just fun. They were great distractions. They were exciting. I watched them more than once, and, and we'll and we'll get to that. But um, 
I think it's it's always worth mentioning like what was our criteria exactly. Mm-hmm. So let, these number these lists are always so hard because when it comes down to it, I liked all these movies. Yeah. And you're forcing me to put them in an order. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've rewritten my list six times. And I, re- said, I rewrote mine today on the way. On the way here. <laughs> and it's funny. I think particularly this year was harder, hard to do the list. At least a lot, the former half of the year, it's because there wasn't enough movies. But the latter half, there were so many movies, I didn't even get to watch all the things I wanted to watch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I sent you a list of all the things I was going to watch, and there was like, yeah, there's no way I'm going to do this by, <laughs> by the time we record. <laughs> and and that, that's something that... Yeah, we can go back to later. When you yeah. finally do get around to seeing something like, oh, this definitely bumps such and such around. Yeah. Uh, but only 26 movies in 2016 yeah. made over $100 million. Whoa. Now, I want you to think about that. There are hundreds of movies released a year. Yeah. This is the lowest since 2006. Okay. That that few movies made over $100 million. Mm. And of of those 26, only one was an original title, and it was Bad Moms. Whoa! Everything else that made over a hundred million was a sequel, reboot, or prequel. What's more surprising that there was only one out of twenty-six that was an original, or Bad Moms making one hundred million? <laughs> <laughs> well, li- listen to this. Okay, now certainly the gross of a film doesn't necessarily speak to the quality of the film. I this always cite Transformers as an example of that. <laughs> that those movies aren't good, yeah. but they make billion dollars. Mm. Right, but I want I want to discuss the the top ten domestic and the top ten worldwide movies okay. of the years. So, okay, uh, what do you want first? Give me give me global. Give Let's me go, global. Okay, global. So global uh, gross. So these are movies that were uh, that were released in 2016 mm-hmm. and uh, and might still even be in theaters. But here are the here's the top ten from from ten to one. Okay, okay. number ten, Suicide Squad. Okay. okay. Number nine, Fantastic Beasts, somewhere to find them. Okay. Number eight, Deadpool. Interesting. That's okay. that's an interesting one. Deadpool <laughs> came out in February. Yeah. And it's still in the top ten of the year. Yes. Okay. Very impressive. Number seven, Rogue One. Okay. In just how many days? How many weeks is it? Literally three. Yeah. <laughs> Rogue One is already number seven grossing for 2016. Woo! And it came out in December. Yeah. Okay. Number six, Batman versus Superman, Donald Justice. <laughs> did not make a billion dollars. No, did not. Right? And and I, I will say this time and again, that is how bad this movie is. Yes. <laughs> uh, num- it, so you know how bad? Number five, The Secret Life of Pets. Wow. Secret Life of that Pets is by shocking. Universal, the, yeah. gr- the guys who made Minions, made more mm-hmm. than a movie with Batman and Superman <laughs> and Wonder Woman in it. Uh, number four is The Jungle Book. The, the top four are all Disney. Okay. Disney's already on here once with Rogue One, and number 11 is Doctor Strange. So Disney yeah. had a good year. Um, and now this is worldwide. So number four is The Jungle Book. Number three is Zootopia. Also came out in February, mm-hmm. same day as Deadpool. Number two is Finding Dory, and the number one worldwide grossing movie of the year with $1.1 billion is Captain America 3 Civil War. Okay. Okay. So that's worldwide. Damn. And... Um, I mean, that's a good year for Disney. Yes. <laughs> they have three movies that grossed over a billion dollars. Jungle Book is just shy by like 30 million. <laughs> I think that's a, the record, right? Yes. Um, let's see. I have it right here that Disney is the first studio to top $7 billion in box office revenue in one year. <laughs> that's crazy. Give me a job. Now, now, let, now, let's go beyond that. Okay. Let's talk domestic. Okay. Just 
America. Okay. The, the one that counts. The one that counts, right. <laughs> 2016, highest grossing domestic American release movies, mm-hmm. like the, the American box office only. So we're taking worldwide out of the equation. I'm going 1 to 10 this time. Finding Dory was the highest grossing with $486 million. Oh, wow. So Finding Dory is the number one American uh, domestic. Rogue One's number two. Captain America 3 is number three. Wait, ro- Rogue One made more domestically than Civil War. In three weeks. In three weeks. Wow. Okay. Wow. Secret Life of Pets, number four. Jungle Book, number five. Number six is Deadpool. Number seven is Zootopia, another Disney movie. Mm-hmm. Number eight, Batman vs. Superman. Number nine, Suicide Squad. And the number ten United States domestic box office grossing movie for 2016, Force Awakens. Wait. Yeah. Force Awakens. Does that count? <laughs> yes. Force Awakens made more money than everything else that came out this year <laughs> than those nine other movies ahead of it. <laughs> you mean you mean to tell me that yeah. no one went out to go see Independence Day 2 Resurgence? <laughs> <laughs> Walt Disney came in with 7.6 billion global ticket sales from January 1st to December 31st. Good Lord. Three billion of that came from the United States and Canada for 16 movies, <laughs> including Force Awakens. Woof. That's a good year. That's a good year. <laughs> yeah, and, and it is a good year because all those movies are good. Very strong films. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I just I just think that's incredible that Star Wars Force Awakens is the 10th highest grossing domestic movie of 2016. And yes. it came out in 2015. That, wow. <laughs> that is mind-boggling. <laughs> this, this was not a great year financially for yeah. films. Um, it was just, it's just a strange year for films. <laughs> like... I felt as though this year we didn't get variety, you know, like us just discussing Disney, saying Disney like 10 times already throughout this cast. There's a lack of diversity within these films. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not, we're, we're only getting superhero and animated films and Star Wars. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's, let's, uh, let's see what the, the listeners had to say. Mm -hmm. So I put the call out earlier tonight before we recorded that we were recording tonight. What are your favorite movies of the year? What are your least favorite? What are the worst? What's the best? What's the worst? And uh, I got a good amount of responses here, and I'm just going to kind of like rattle them off, um, and then we can discuss. So uh, my brother, Matt, said Doctor Strange. My friend Stephanie said Lobster. Caleb, Arrival, Fences, La La Land, Moon, Moonlight, Knights of Cups. I don't even know that one. <laughs> uh, my brother says the worst, Trolls, although his girls would say differently. <laughs> uh, my buddy Nick, Deadpool, Doctor Strange, Rogue One, Civil War. Ivy, oh yeah, Deadpool, Rogue One, Civil War, Peyton Skelton, uh, Sing Street, uh, Michael Jonas, uh, he said Moonlight, Green Room, Embrace the Serp- Embrace of the Serpent. He also hated Zoolander, and- Zoolander 2 and Yoga Hosers. Zoolander 2 came out this year? Yeah. That yeah. felt like ages ago. <laughs> uh, our friend Rachel over at the theater, Finding Dory was one of her favorites. She also enjoyed Allied. Her worst movie was 10 Cloverfield Lane. Zach Nolan, Swiss Army Man, Best, Arrival. Shin Godzilla, Civil War, La La Land. Amanda, what? I love trolls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Wendy, best Doctor Strange, worst trolls. And a uh, friend Emily says, Zoo, uh, Zoolandia? I don't know if she meant Zoo- Zoolander or Zootopia. It's a, it's a mashup. I don't know which one she means. <laughs> uh, Swiss Army Man, she tried to get through the lobster twice, but it wasn't her thing. She liked The Conjuring 2. It scared her. She hasn't been able to close her closet door since seeing it. <laughs> um, 
Um, so those are so those are some of the tweets right there. Um, I'll, I also have full lists from Chad and Schulze, which I can mention momentarily. But wait, look at that. Like, there's some consistency on here. It seems yeah. that Doctor Strange, Civil War, um, Swiss Army Man came up more than once, La La Land. What? Judging by the response, 2016 is representative of how divisive this country is, TC. And <laughs> we just can't agree on trolls. We just can't. <laughs> <laughs> Why won't you think of the trolls? <laughs> Come on. The trolls, they sang. It was Justin Timberlake. <laughs> what more do you want? He had a hit single. Did, did you see Trolls? I didn't. That's okay. that's not my thing. <laughs> yeah, you know what, I, I honestly believe that the the song will stay. Yeah. Like that, that's a great pop song. Mm. Like, Can't fight the feeling. <laughs> right? That's a great song. And it and it'll be it'll get radio play from now until forever. <laughs> I don't think, however, that people will remember it came from the movie Trolls. Yes, it'll be one of those songs. Like, like uh, I say All Star by Smash Mouth, mm-hmm. which, what's, what movie is that from? Shrek, right? Wrong. It's from Mystery Men. It was from Mystery <laughs> Men. Oh, yes. It's just funny that everyone who thinks of it thinks Shrek because yeah. it was used for Shrek. But, no, it was written It was written and used for the soundtrack for Holy crap, Mystery Men. It was from Mystery <laughs> Men. <laughs> um, right, uh, That's an underrated movie, by the way. Mystery Men? Yeah. Yeah, I like that movie. <laughs> I'm so furious. <laughs> um. All right, let's so let's blow through let's blow through Chad and Schulze's list real quick. Okay? Mm-hmm. So Chad, uh, do you want ten to one or one to ten? Uh, ten to one. Ten to one. Okay, so I gotta back up. Surprise there. me, Chad. Surprise me. Um, oh, he put a number eleven on here. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> All, right. All right, so I'm gonna blow through the list. So War Dogs, another good movie about war and illegal arms dealing. It's number ten. Whiskey Foxtrot Tang Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Just a good movie about war and journalism. Number nine. Moana. Can the Rock do no wrong? He used to suck, but he's so good. <laughs> Number eight, Sausage Party. As an atheist, I approve the message of this movie. As a filmmaker, I wish the animation staff hadn't been screwed so hard by the production yes. company. Number seven, Ten Cloverfield Lane. Oh, man, Goodman was so good. And I love Mary Elizabeth Winston. Way better than Cloverfield. Number uh, number six, Doctor Strange. Good romp. Love Become. Whitewashing sucks, but hopefully as time goes on. <laughs> we make we make smarter casting decisions. Number five, everybody wants some. Not as good as Days of Confused, but you gotta love '80s man and baseball. Number four, Zootopia. Uh, oh oh, try everything. Dead. Uh, number three, Deadpool. By far the biggest surprise. Who knew R-rated comic book movies could be so much? Could make so much money. Gotta love February releases. Number two, Civil War. Should have been Avengers three, but whatever. Still fun. Fun. And number one, duh, Rogue One. <laughs> Uh, his he also has a worst of. Damn, Chad, he but, watches a lot of movies. Yes, because I don't think I've seen enough to make a top three <laughs> worst. <laughs> so uh, I mean, any any response to Chad's rattle, rattled off list there? We have wildly different lists. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let me see if I can find Schulze's here. Uh, thanks for everybody responding on the thread and giving us some feedback there. I, I have been seeing like watching and reading a lot of people's top ten list, and there's some good overlap in the people I agree with, and there's some, thankfully, no overlap with the people I disagree with, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm okay with that. Um, become. Become. <laughs> I, I cannot get that out of my head now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so here is Schulze's top ten. Order, ten to one, ready? Doctor Strange, The Nice Guys, The Lobster, Swiss Army Man, Zootopia, Ten Cloverfield Lane, Deadpool, Sing Street, Rogue One's his number two, and 13th is his 10th, uh, his number one movie of the year. 
I don't know what 13th is. That is the documentary by Ava DuVernay about the mass incarceration of African Americans. Interesting. It's a, I want, that's actually, okay, I'll, I'll talk about it later. Okay. <laughs> well, it's, it's cool that he yeah. put a documentary there. Last year, your number one movie was Amy, which yes. was a documentary. Um, and it's his, his most disappointing movies in no particular, particular order. Suicide Squad, BVS, X-Men Apocalypse, Gods of Egypt. Why Why did you <laughs> – how could you be disappointed by Gods of Egypt, Schulze? Come on, man. <laughs> and Secret Life of, of Pets. He does want honorable mentions to go to Netflix just for everything they did this year, including Jessica Jones, Daredevil, Stranger Things, Master of None, and Luke Cage. Nice. So good good list there, Schulze. Thank you for that. Netflix had a hell of a year. I think Disney and then Netflix. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know, like uh, we've we've had this conversation before. Like I like how the movie, what what movie represents the year. I yeah. always kind of target what wins best picture at the Oscars. Sometimes is a really good representation of the year it came out with. Oftentimes, the movie that doesn't win mm. that should have won, yeah. like like Social Network, um, uh, Dark Knight, yeah, or Dark Knight. Yeah. Um, as opposed to the King's Speech, <laughs> like <laughs> what was that speaking to? <laughs> I, yeah, I I mean, I've always looked at it ever since you described the Oscars to me as, like, should be representative of the time capsule that was the year. Yeah. Like, yeah. Social Network was so much 2010 because that's when Facebook was booming, mm-hmm. and now it's mm-hmm. the giant media conglomerate that it is. And so, that King's Speech was 2010, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally right. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. it's better to, to have something like The Hurt Locker won, which yeah. won Best Picture, against Avatar. Mm-hmm. Whereas, yes, Avatar is the highest grossing movie of all time, but The Hurt Locker actually represents that year a little better. Yes. Dealing with ending or trying to end the war in Afghanistan, mm-hmm. dealing with soldiers in, in having PTSD and dealing with, Like, it's just a better representation of the year it came out. Yeah. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire is another good example of, mm. hey, not all brown people are bad. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you'd like, I have our little lightning round. Yes. Now, I am, I'm ready. Lightning doesn't necessarily mean we don't have to discuss these. Okay. Th- now we can start getting into some conversation before okay. we smash into our top ten of the year. I got you. Uh, but last year, I put you on the spot with some questions of what was your favorite this, what was your least favorite that. Uh, this year I prepared you by sending you the list. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just going to take a picture of my list because my phone, my computer might be dying. <laughs> oh, you want to plug in? I got a power strip over here. I totally forgot my... You dumb dumb. I'm a dumbass. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, the power of technology offers you this chance. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Steve Jobs. <laughs> All right, so first category, the best TV show or streaming show. What do you have? I kind of cheated a little bit, if that's okay. That's okay. Um, so I, I split it into... Oh, you, you've narrowed it down here. That, that's, <laughs> I did. That's fine. I have subcategories. Best recurring and best newcomer. Okay. So best returning show yeah. and best new show. Gotcha. Okay. So best returning, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. Hands yes. down. Yes. Hands down, man. There's like... First of all, the Battle of the Bastards was the greatest produced... Uh, or depiction of, like, medieval warfare that I've ever seen in TV or film. And I don't think many filmmakers would disagree with you. Yes. It was nuts. It was nuts, DC. And not only that, minus the the scope and the scale that was expanded within the season, it was so satisfying the way everything was finally... We're finally getting answers, at least glimpses of Mm -hmm. answers. It was no longer, like, any cliffhangers or... um, 
They're honing in. Honing in. They're Even honing stuff in. from like season one that you totally forgot about and characters <laughs> that come back and stuff like that. It's it like Benjamin Stark coming yeah. back. <laughs> I was like, who? Right, let me Google that real quick. <laughs> oh, right, 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 right. But uh, no, it was it was extremely satisfying. I got everything that I ever wanted out of the show. Finally, like all after suffering and all yes. the frustration with all these characters. And, uh, and and Ramsey's getting his comeuppance. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and we, we did do a conversation about that. If you go back quite a few episodes ago, we did have a conversation specifically about Game of Thrones. But the fact that they are no longer married to these books mm-hmm. is a good thing. It's wonderful. Yeah, right. <laughs> great, it's, great pick. What's your, what's your favorite new show? My favorite new coming show. I know you don't like it, but it's Atlanta. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I only watched like three episodes. And I... Don Glover is up for a Golden Globe. Yeah. Did you see? Did you see someone tweeted, or I think it was some like Variety or Entertainment Weekly said Donald Glover is going up against veterans Don Cheadle, and they listed like a bunch of people. And Don Cheadle tweeted back, "I think we're going up against him." Ooh. So even and, uh, people are acknowledging the the greatness of the show. So please, yeah. please, that's that's high praise from the Cheadle. Yeah. <laughs> tell me, tell me more. Um, I just really dug it because it's something like like you were mentioning earlier in your preface. It's something that I haven't really seen before, at least on on cable television. Mm-hmm. And it's just this very bizarro, surreal world. And like you, you look at the commercial and you expect a certain thing. It's it's an urban hip hop show or whatever, but it's exactly the opposite. And whether you relate to it or not, I, I feel as though stylistically, it's really inventive. It's really you know, tongue in cheek, and they do some really smart things on their TC. Like, they did an entire episode that was essentially a clip show, <laughs> where the, this main rapper he was on this Charlie Rose s type show, and the guy was trying to grill him the entire time about you know his like misogynistic lyrics and yeah, his yeah. content and stuff like that. But then he's trying to point out the hypocrisy that you know you keep the more we consistently talk about it. Like, I mean, I I do things and I say things in my songs or whatever, but. You're the one giving me a platform, and I'm just yeah. like, this is exactly what 2016 is about. So I don't know. It's just so, it's just so brainy. Yeah, I should More go back man. to it. I should go back to it because I, I I don't know what my expectations were for it, but I did start watching it the week of the election. So yeah, <laughs> that was. I might have chose the wrong time to try to delve into this show. You had a chance to see. <laughs> well, what about you, sir? What's some what's some good streaming or some good TV that you had this year? My best streaming show, best TV show, I chose Stranger Things. All right. Now you haven't watched Stranger Things yet. I am currently wearing a Stranger Things T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a feeling you were gonna really like that. Oh yeah. man, I I kept hearing such great things about it from people I trust, from critics I trust that I knew I was gonna like it. Hmm. But wow, talk about the right type of homage to Stephen King and Steven Spielberg. The the atmosphere, the tone of the show, the soundtrack, the performances, like Winona Ryder, what a surprise. Mm. And it's such a it's such a, a fun, fascinating, creepy, neat show. Mm. It's it fires if you have any love for classic Spielberg, like if you have love for E. T., if you have love for uh, John Carpenter's um, more uh, like not, not John Carpenter. Sorry, it's like Stephen. King. Although it does sound like a John Carpenter sound. <laughs> just this this nostalgic love and homage to '80s filmmaking and storytelling. 
and it's it's cool. It's a cool science fiction. If you it has that kind of X Files feel to it, um, but more like the anthology X Files and less like the seri- like the story elements of like the continuing story arcs of X Files. Okay. Uh, and anytime you can get that good a performance out of children, mm-hmm. you get you just go up a whole nother cal- like level of 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 good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not wording that well, but like it's like with Super Eight. Mm. Super Eight may be schlocky J.J. Abrams, <laughs> Michael Bay isms, mm. but those kids are amazing. In that yeah, movie, and that's something to be credited for. Because mm-hmm. how many bad child actors are there? A lot. Yeah, <laughs> I'm watching Fuller House right now. Believe me, I know bad acting when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> but Stranger Things was was a wonderful series. Wonderful. I'm, I. I'd be fine if they never had a second season. Mm-hmm. I know they're getting a second season, and and of course I'm worried to see what they'll do with it because I, I don't want it to, I don't want to, I don't want to, to suffer from a lot of uh, a lot of what shows go through when they're extended beyond what they should be. Prison Break, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was. It's on Netflix. It's it is quite good. It's quite the. The performance, everything. I can't. I can't praise it enough. Mm-hmm. And, and you having not seen it, I can't keep talking about it. I did see the pilot. Okay. Um, from as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, there's so many, so much about it that I appreciated that I that I was inspired by. Like, oh man, that's this is how you do it right. This is how you pay tribute without ripping off. This mm-hmm. is how you you have an homage without being des- like over the top or desperate about it. Yeah. So, Stranger Things. <laughs> Stranger Things. Stranger Things. Still in the queue. Yeah. Good. Watch it. <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, what was the worst sequel that you saw? Or yes. Okay. I, I, I did it as the one I saw because there were so many sequels this year. <laughs> it's an it's incredible how many sequels. Do you remember Alice to the Looking Glass came out this year? I did not. Yeah, you didn't even remember Zoolander 2 came out yeah. this year. There, uh, Kung Fu Panda 3 came mm-hmm. out this year. There was... Conjuring two, there are an incredible amount of sequels yeah. that came out this year. <laughs> so an influx, yeah. But I I limited it to the, what I saw. So mm-hmm. what, what do you have as the worst sequel of the year? I did the same as well. Um, not only what I saw, but I feel like expectation weighed heavy on my decision of choosing this one too. Because mm-hmm. obviously, there's a lot more. There's a lot worse movies. But I feel Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice. It, it's not hard, I feel like, to tell a good Batman Superman story because there is <laughs> – At this it, point, you think it would, it is hard. <laughs> but please, continue. Okay. Because as we know as comic book nerds, there has been decades of great Batman Superman stories. That <laughs> Plenty you of just, material. You can just pluck it. Yeah. You don't have to come up with something just out of your butthole. You know, like there's no reason <laughs> for this iteration to be on the screen. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they had that kind of budget, that kind of, like, those resources, those actors. Like, those actors are good actors. Like, Jeremy Irons. He's good. <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg. Ben Affleck. Come on. Those aren't, those aren't schlocks off the street. No. And so I think that that knocks it down so much more because there's so it, – it's not as hard as, say, like, Independence Day. There's no way that movie's going to be good. Because the first movie wasn't even that good. <laughs> oh, how dare you, sir? How dare I'm you, I'm sorry, sir? it's not. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't, we've, we've talked on and on about VBS all throughout the year, yeah. so I just wanted – That's the worst sequel to I you. think that's the worst sequel for me. Right, well, well, what do you feel? My worst sequel was Independence Day 2. Okay. <laughs> I, I didn't get to see it, so how, how was it? it? It was terrible. Yeah. It was so lazy mm. and – now, yes, you, granted, was I expecting it to be great? No. 
But at the same time, I wasn't expecting it to be that bad. <laughs> it's just it just misses everything yeah. that works about that first one. Now you say the first one's not that good, but that first one is one of the best summer movies ever. Yes. And, and the second one is just so dumb. And they have the gall. I hate I hate it when movies do this. When they we know we're getting a sequel. <laughs> We're get, we're gonna set this up for more. Yeah. We're never gonna see another Independence Day, mm. not in the big screen. Yeah, and if we do, I will be shocked. <laughs> but when you end the movie, I'm sorry. Spoiler alert for Independence Day Resurgence. <laughs> when you end the movie with Brett Spiner of all ca- people and characters saying, "Let's go kick some alien ass," <laughs> and cut to black. Yeah, you're done. <laughs> give, give me the keys. You're drunk, Independence Day. <laughs> Yeah, having the lesser Hemsworth brother in there trying to fill Will Smith's role. Sorry. There's a reason. Poor Liam. There's a reason he the best. He just wants to work. There's a reason the best he's had so far is um, Catching Fire and, and the Hunger Games movies. <laughs> and he was probably the the worst part about those movies. He's no Chris. He's no Chris. <laughs> You're no Chris. So Independence Day 2 was just the worst. There were other sequels I didn't see that I knew would be bad. Like, yeah. Like Zoolander 2. I, I wasn't going to see that. That was a train wreck. <laughs> um, ugh. Yeah. Yeah, you're lucky you didn't see it. It was just a waste of time. Though, even worse is that the premise of the movie is good. Yeah, it's a really great idea that the future—it's the future. It's what 15 years later after the initial attack, they used all the technology from those ships to enhance the world. Mm-hmm. And there are elements in the Independence Day story that, like, all of our technology is great. It's based on the technology they left behind. Yeah, there's a ship. That crashed above in Africa. That the gorillas went in and attacked hand to hand, killed aliens hand to hand. Whoa! They didn't kill them with a virus and blow up their ship. They went in there and like so. One of the warlord characters in Independence Day Resurgence has like an alien skull <laughs> from like someone and like the the teeth of the aliens he killed. Like yeah. that's some neat concepts mm-hmm. here. But no, still a shitty movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. Worst animated movie okay this is where chad and i differ Ooh, because okay. sausage party <laughs> was the worst animated movie that i saw this year and and this is a great year for animation by the way i just want to throw that out because there's a lot of things i saw that i felt i was moved by i was inspired yeah but this movie is just it's juvenile and i know so that's kind of the point but even even so, it doesn't make that a good product. You know what I mean? <laughs> and plus, like, I know it's trying to have this, like, oh, look at our brainy social commentary on religion. But you did that by undercutting all the uh, racist overtones. You yeah, know? by playing <laughs> a Jewish character, like, like playing to the racism of some of the characters. Yeah. And, I understand, yeah. And, like, and I know they tried to, like, sweep that under the rug by, by saying, hey, look at all the, you know, we actually tied this up neatly and we're saying something about the stereotypes at the end but it was just done in such a schlocky lazy way that's been done over and over again by people who don't understand racism and i mean that's not even the worst part i feel like i I just see so many times i'm kind of desensitized with it but i can't get over lazy filmmaking i think you and i both (laughs) agree with that and i feel as though i didn't i didn't get anything out of this movie you know like People were laughing their asses off, but it's mostly like thirteen-year-olds who snuck in and they're like, "Oh, we're ready to movie, man, yeah!" and stuff like that. So I don't know. I, I was just annoyed the whole time. All right, <laughs> call all right. me pretentious. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> uh, I will. I I did not enjoy that movie either. Mm-hmm. I I liked the atheist ideas that they were trying to present. Yeah, there was some good philosophy 
being discussed in the movie. Mm. But in the grand scheme, I couldn't get over the animators being screwed like they no. were screwed. And um, the everything was undercut by that last five minutes. Yes. To to just – I guess you could try to find some deeper meaning in mm. it, which if you go over to Wisecrack on YouTube, they have a philosophy of Sausage Party that's quite <laughs> interesting. But to just end it all with that – Gratuitous. Like, <laughs> never look at food the same way. That was pornographic. <laughs> you, you know what, T? I I think Seth Rogen tackled this issue much more intelligently and much more thoughtfully in this. The end. Yes, it's oh, the certainly. same thesis. Certainly, and yes. it was done in a much more eloquent way. This is the end. Is one of the funniest movies I had seen have seen in the last five years. It was a surprisingly good movie. Yeah, <laughs> and it was on your top ten that year. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I was surprised. Because it, it took that movie for me to – I think it was that movie that turned me around about it Seth Rogen. because you didn't like Seth Rogen for the longest yeah. time. And I think now I'm just like, okay, Seth Rogen, I've had enough <laughs> of you. <laughs> All right, my my worst animated movie of the year, The Killing Joke. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, now, okay. I, I looked at the the main – like the real big mainstream movies that came out. Obviously, yeah. there was a lot of – there's Pixar, DreamWorks, and Illumination, and, and, um, and uh, uh, Sausage Party and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Killing Joke was – just wrong. Yeah. They ju- and we what were they thinking? Yeah. What were they thinking? That and not only that story aside, voice acting aside, just the animation itself. Yeah. There is so much better animation to be had in the DC animated universe. <laughs> to to take one of the most important comics of the past thirty years and not pay its due respect visually yeah. was was a mistake. It's very bizarre. Yeah, um, just wildly disappointed in, in how they chose to fl- uh, stretch that movie out. And very just disappointed in the fact that Kevin Conroy and Tara Strong and Mark Hamill getting to do those voices should have been incredible. Yeah. But no. And now I'm two for two on DC animated movies. Seeing the premiere of this uh, Killing Joke and the year prior at Comic-Con, seeing the premiere of Gods and Monsters mm-hmm. and being like, what has happened to Bruce Timm's? What what is what is he doing? He's he's fallen into the void, into the black hole that is Zack Snyder's <laughs> style. <laughs> I was just gonna ask you that. Do you think it's the the Snyder ripple effect? Yeah, I do think that. I think that DC is trying so hard to not be Marvel <laughs> <laughs> that it's detrimental to yeah. everything that they're doing. Mm. Just stop trying. Just stop fighting it. Yes, because <laughs> then we get stuff like like the Killing Joke is like, ooh, it's a hard R. <laughs> didn't even need to be rated R. Like, there yeah. was, like, one F-bomb, maybe. And it wasn't violent any more so than a TV show. <laughs> yeah, I, I was confused to the necessity of it. It felt like a stunt. Yeah, it more, felt like, yeah. hey, we've rated your movie PJ-15. Can we cut? We tell everyone it's rated R? <laughs> <laughs> the first rated R Disney anima- or, uh, DC animated film. Ooh. No, no, that's, forget about it. Forget about it. Yeah, so disappointing. All right, speaking of disappointments... What was the biggest disappointment of the year? Not the worst movie of the year, but your hopes were here, and they were way down here by the time you walked out of the movie. Okay. I think we might have the same. I'm, I had anticipation we might have the same one, but what, what is the biggest disappointment for you of the year? For me, I think well, – I'll, I'll preface with this. Okay. Um, I had some hype going into this because of – obviously, I was following Oscar So White mm-hmm. for the last two years so much. Um. I was hoping that, and everyone's building this up as the next savior, ah, that okay. this will end it all. We, and this, we did not pick the same movie. <laughs> this started, it was going to start a movement from Sundance, from last January, 
And, you know, it's insane how six months can turn everything around, especially yeah. with the rape scandal. <laughs> and, you know, I, I had a toss up whether or not I was going to watch this because ethically, I think, for me, I can't separate the art from the artist. Mm-hmm. And you shouldn't. Yeah, especially these days. It's just, you can't ignore it anymore. And so, my biggest disappointment would have to be The Birth of a Nation. And sadly, most of it is because of the parameters of the film. But I, I will say, watching the film itself, I am confused to why this was built up as the savior, <laughs> the end all be all of like, you know, anti Oscar so white or whatever. Because it doesn't belong in this decade. It's it I mean, they were saying, Oh, this is like Braveheart or whatever, but have you seen Braveheart? <laughs> when was the last time you saw Braveheart? Well, technically we did watch it. Uh, well, I watched it with Schulze as a rewatch. Oh, did you? <laughs> did, did, uh, you were you were asking generally when's yeah. the last time you as the world. <laughs> <laughs> but there's just something to be said about black suffrage films because that's the only kind of black films we get. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and awesomely, this year it's not so much, and uh, it, it's reflected in my list too. But <clears throat> this was a big disappointment because I was I was hoping for some more. For some more filmmaking, even even controversy aside, I thought it was that a first ba- preview. Yeah, yeah, it, we we saw it together and we were like, "Whoa, okay, this is gonna be good. This is gonna be good." And then but all that scandal came out. There's nothing worse than, I, I th- for me, I don't know if everyone else agrees, but I can take a really good film and I can take a really bad film, but something about mediocrity <laughs> that I just can't stand for. You know, like you have resources, you have time, you have energy and stuff like that. There's there's ways to make movies like this good. Yeah. We, we know how much time and energy and effort goes into crafting a film. Yeah. Even our shorts. Mm-hmm. We know. And and we try – people try. People who work independently and filmmakers who work at a bigger scale are doing everything they can to craft the best thing they can create. Yeah. And if all that time, effort, and energy, the best thing you can create is meh. Yeah. <laughs> then that is super disappointing. I know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm being, like, obviously other side of the fence, but I just feel like swing harder, you know? Yeah. And I felt like I didn't feel the passion. On the upside, there were some other movies that came out this year that did do what we hoped Yes, this movie w- was going to do. At least what I hoped this movie was going to bring to the conversation. There are some other movies that, that did. Absolutely. Um, but... Other than that, what what was your biggest disappointment? Well, my biggest disappointment of the year wasn't just specifically this movie, but it was it was this movie and retroactively the entire series of films. <laughs> that is the worst feeling. <laughs> <laughs> that uh, now, granted, I did have this same feeling before the previous installment of this franchise, okay. where I came to a realization of you know what, the good and the bad are not as far separated as a lot of people like to believe. And this just reinforces this. Uh, my biggest letdown was X Men Apocalypse. Woo! Oscar Isaacs. That's kind of surprising. <laughs> was was wasted beyond wasted. Yes. The the we, we just you were just discussing on how uh, disappointment at mediocrity. Hmm. I was disappointed in the complete lack of tonal consistency in yeah. this movie. You hmm. can't go from an incredibly Way to go, Michael Fassbender. Everything that he does up until he's recruited in this movie is some of the best X-Men I've ever seen. Yes. Just the Fassbender's family stuff. He loses another family. Poor guy. <laughs> um, hiding from his uh, his abilities. like, um, And then the, the fun, uh, adventurous action comic book movie moment like Quicksilver scene. Yeah. Which is great. That's, that is a great comic book movie moment. Mm. But those two don't belong in the same movie, and and even going back and watching it a second time and really going, 
this is a mess. Yeah. Like, the first time I saw it, I was like, eh, it's fine. I mean, it's just like all the other ones. Like, everyone loved Days of Future Past. I did not love Days of Future Past. Going back and watching it, it's kind of, that's another inconsistent uh, totally. film. Yeah. I think First Class is still my favorite X-Men film. Yeah. I I, yeah. I, I, feel, I know it's blasphemous. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. Yeah. I, I think you find fewer people who agree with you than disagree with yeah. you. I still like X-Men 1 and 2. I feel like Singer was trying to say something. I yeah. feel like those actors were trying to say something. Um, there was the X-Men movies have been affected by the Marvel movie machine. Yeah. And because they aren't the Marvel movie machine, they are Fox. Yeah. <laughs> and they have been affected by bigger, bigger, yeah. bigger, more, more, bigger, more. Mm-hmm. And that's not good. Yeah. Like I, I, if the movie, you pare a damn movie down, you get something like Deadpool. Yes. Right? <laughs> and so my biggest disappointment was that not just that X-Men Apocalypse was just not great mm. it wasn't you call it like one of the worst of the x-men movies i think it's just as bad as some of the other ones um i think it's better than it's just you know what this franchise is done and they're not doing anything unique with it anymore yeah. and and that's why it's a big disappointment because one and two are our civil rights movies yes mirrored as good science fiction should be as mm. i say all the time yeah and first class is a successful attempt at the modern superhero movie like Mm -hmm. the the contemporary superhero movie but everything else in that series is not x-men 3 days of past um apocalypse the wolverine movies i'm sorry i'm just and i'm disappointed that that's what these movies have come to because all the casting is great yeah this is is one of the most well cast series Mm -hmm. so there's my disappointment it's just like just like what we were talking about BVS, all the pieces are in place. All you really had to do was move them <laughs> in yeah. the correct direction. Yeah. And I think that's – for X-Men, it was most disappointing. I mean, don't want to speak for us, but at least you know, one of my favorite moments from the movie theater was like us – or like you just telling me or re- like retelling all the like D- DVD commentary that you uh, listened to from Brian Singer. From Singer – from X-Men 2. Yeah, from yeah. X-Men 2 and his plans for like the Danger Room and Gambit and Days of Future Past and stuff like that and implementing all these story elements that are actually – we're finally getting to see on screen and it's just shit. Yeah, it's like this, <laughs> this can't be what you wanted to do. Yeah. This can't be what you wanted to do. And what happened in between? <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he was screwed by Fox is what the problem was. Yeah. Uh, Singer probably – should have stopped at first class. Though mm-hmm. he he wrote and produced it, he didn't direct it. Matthew Vaughn did, and that's where they should have stopped mm-hmm. and said he's he's been here too long. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so there you go. All right, let's go to positive side things. Okay. Biggest surprise performance of the year. This one I had a, I had some I had maybe like two or three, but I think you can do some honorable mentions real quick. But what and then then we'll discuss your your pick. I don't know why this is a, so surprise because John Goodman's a pretty good pretty damn good actor i think it's because it's it's from this movie yeah 10 cloverfield lane john goodman love john goodman he that was the only reason to watch that movie like as much as i love mary elizabeth winstead um he's the only reason to watch that movie he is a fantastic villain (laughs) i think he's the best villain on screen this year um he was menacing he was creepy he was like and it was so and endearing and endearing (laughs) it's like that's the greatest those are the greatest kind of villains because they're um, empathetic, mm-hmm. and you understand why they're doing it, even though you don't agree with the methods. And so, <laughs> uh, I, I love you and I love bottle movies. Yeah. Um, he's the perfect bottle movie villain. I I just wish it was a little bit better movie, but <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's my b- biggest surprise performance. All right. Yeah. Well, I 
I, I had one that I sp- my best my biggest surprise performance, and I realized that there were two involved involved in the same film. Mm-hmm. Tom Holland's Spider Man in Civil War. Yes, was. I- I could imagine that. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah. I could only imagine how big of a surprise that was for you because you avoided all the marketing that up until that point. Yeah, I hadn't seen any trailers. I didn't even know who was playing him. <laughs> Somehow, by the grace of the gods, by some miracle, I didn't know who Spider-Man was. That was damn impressive. <laughs> now, now, granted, as soon as the scene hits Queens and we go, like, okay, I'm about to meet Spider-Man. Let's see who this kid is. And, I'll, you know, I liked his kind of squeaky voice like a teenager. Mm-hmm. But the actual Spider-Man in action, though I will admit was a bit unnecessary for Civil War, yeah. was fan-friggin-fantastic. <laughs> easily, I don't know, maybe not easily, but I think the best Spider-Man I've ever seen. Most convincing for sure, yeah. It Man. Could, it could be the parameters because there's so many other distractions. Yeah. <laughs> but let's see how he does in a solo film. But other than that, I mean, like, you're you're right. He jokes when he fights. Yeah. He's totally awkward in a non-30-year-old way <laughs> when he's out of the costume. And so, yeah, I love I love Tom Holland that movie. My, my, my kind of hand-in-hand with this and best biggest surprise performance was Paul Rudd. As Ant Man in Civil War, because of all the people to steal the show in there, every line of dialogue Paul yeah. Rudd hit like just perfect. And having rewatched the movie and seeing him like just touching Steve Rogers' shoulders and be like, "Yeah, and hey, I know you, hey," and like, "All right, uh, uh, I, I got an idea, guys, but I can only do it, hold it for a little bit." And like, <laughs> and, and Paul Rudd in his Ant Man was so fluidly put into Civil War mm-hmm. and worked so well. And was so he's there and and he's there for the rest of the movie once he's locked up. Yeah, those two were such a surprise Mm -hmm. and and worked so well without distracting from the film. Yes, loved it. So those those are the big the biggest surprise uh, performances for me. Can't disagree. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right. What was the movie you wish you had seen? Okay. If you yes. Okay, you got it. Okay. I, I have two for this. And they're both docs. Ah, yeah. Okay. Both both uh, really highly acclaimed docs, the Thirteenth and the Eagle Huntress, which oh, okay. is playing at the AMC Block right now. For anyone in the, the Eagle County. Huntress, the Eagle Huntress. Okay. Um, the Thirteenth, as we were talking about, uh, Scholze made his number one of the year. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Uh, I've been wanting to watch that for a long time because Ava DuVernay is one of my favorite filmmakers right now. Um, she's super socially conscious, um, putting up stories there that. Should be told, but haven't been told up to this point. But the 13th is about the injustices of the mass incarceration of black men in our country. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the prison of pipeline system and stuff like that. Stuff that we should know by now, but we don't. And the Eagle Huntress, it's it's a really fascinating sounding documentary. Um, it's set in Mongolia, and there's this tradition of, like, eagle breeders in the mountains of Mongolia or whatever. And traditionally, it's been men. Hmm. Up to this point, and until uh, this doc came out, uh, which follows like a 13-year-old girl who trains to become an eagle huntress, essentially, and the only one in the village. And you know, it's like it sounds like a movie, and it's a docu- I know, right? and it's a documentary. <laughs> yeah, it's a documentary. Oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> voice or like not voiced by, but narrated by Daisy Ridley of all people. Hey, all right. yeah. So I don't know. It's just it's just two movies that I really wanted to watch. A different slice of life from the nice. other side of the world. <laughs> well, well, my the movie I wish I had seen is kind of a different movie as well. It's Your Name. Oh, my God. I just downloaded that. I mean, I just acquired that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Your Your Name is a Japanese animated film. Mm-hmm. It's a love story, as I'm to understand. I know very little about it, but everything I've heard, I've seen the 
the trailer from it, which is all visuals. There's yeah. no real ex- no real explanation of the story. Just I love Miyazaki films. I know this isn't Studio Ghibli, yeah. but the the anime style, the Japanese animated style, is so just beautiful. I love hand drawn animation. I, yeah. and the fact that it's a a, a romantic movie, an, an alternative romance movie, which was a theme of last year's, yes. some of our favorite films of last year, or two years ago. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I really wanted to see this, and I couldn't, I couldn't find a way to watch it. So that is so funny that you brought. I was that was on my mind all day too because I was like, is there time to watch this? <laughs> but, it looks uh, incredible. It looks yeah, incredible. Uh, my friend who's an anime enthusiast, she was talking about how. The director of this film, because this film is taking Japan by storm. It's the highest. It's it's been number one at their box office for seven weeks. Wow, and <laughs> that's, that's amazing. And it just, I think it just beat uh, Spirited Away's standing record for highest performing animated film in that country. And the the funny part about this uh, anecdote is the director is actually um, ashamed of it. Really, he doesn't want people to see this movie. Especially Miyazaki, because he's ashamed that if Miyazaki sees it, because everyone's comparing this, he's the next Miyazaki. Yeah, yeah. But he, he hates that. Pressure. He hates that. He, he's like, you know, Miyazaki's my hero. There's no, I don't want to be him. I don't yeah. want to be the next him. He, I worship that guy. And if yeah. he sees my movie, he'll see all the flaws and stuff. And it's Aww. very like this neurotic. Th- it's uh, it's kind of adorable. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's wonderful. Yeah. That just makes me love it already. Yeah. Oh, wow. Your name. Yeah. <laughs> that's the movie I wish I had seen um, for this year. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Okay. All right. What is the most overrated movie of the year? <laughs> I'm, I'm excited for this one. You want me to go first? Because okay. mine's pretty simple. The Secret Life of Pets. I didn't even see this movie. What the hell, people? <laughs> Why is this one of the highest grossing movies of yeah. the year? It's Toy Story. The voice acting is complete. The designs are uninspired. I know people love the Minions. I know people like those Despicable Me movies. But I have yet to be fully impressed uh, by the ability of illumination. Yeah. They're good. Don't get me wrong. I, I think that they, they do have a, a style that's far superior to DreamWorks, mm. which owns them. Yes. <laughs> but Secret Life of Pets was just pet jokes. Mm. Like YouTube cat video, the movie, YouTube dog video, the movie, with the Toy Story plot. Yeah. And I don't get why so many people <laughs> love this movie. It, does, it just... It just I don't get it. Yeah, I, I guess I can get it because cats and dogs are funny, but mm-hmm. maybe I'm just being a cynic and proving that I'm falling out of the demographic. That I started <laughs> with. But how is this the number seven grossing movie of the year? I'm very shocked when you told me that. Like, <sighs> maybe maybe we're just out of touch, TC. I think so. <laughs> I, I, but that's my most overrated. What's your most overrated movie? This is gonna piss people off. I think I know. <laughs> I, I have anticipation. <laughs> This is going to kind of piss people I'll, I will preface yeah. just so I can lighten the load. I respect what this movie stands for. Mm-hmm. I I just didn't enjoy it as a movie, um, and it's Deadpool. Oh. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. All right. I know that's going to piss people that's off. That's not what I thought you were going to say, but that's fine. <laughs> what did you think I'm I was going to say? I'm not going to say. It might be on your list. Damn. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the script, obviously since it's been passed around since for like a decade or whatever. Right, right. It did feel not timely, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And, like, I think it's held together because Ryan Reynolds was fantastic in the film. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, it's not a great-looking movie. It's not, like, a, it's not a story. Everyone's like, oh, it's so sweet, though. But, I mean, come on. It's been, it's been done time and time again and been done better. And I feel mm-hmm. like 
the fourth wall stuff and all the very tongue in cheek stuff. Maybe it, maybe it's because we haven't seen it in the superhero genre. Yeah, but I mean, come on, airplane, naked gun, <laughs> come on. <laughs> People have not seen their satirical films, but maybe I'm just being a curmudgeon. I did not enjoy it as I thought I would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, I I really like Deadpool. I know. I'm Boy, sorry. No, 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 no. Don't apologize. Yeah. Don't apologize. But I completely understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, my fear was that once Deadpool came out and I could watch it again on DVD that I'm or Blu-ray that I might like ooh, might balk on whether or not it was or was not a good movie. I did go into my year wanting to find movies that did something unique with their genre. Yeah. And Deadpool did find a way. Okay. Deadpool is to superhero movies what Cabin in the Woods should be to horror movies. <laughs> yes, that's Cabin, a good comparison. Ca- Cabin in the Woods came out and said, hey, here are all the cliches that have been going on for 40, 30, 40 years. Mm. Let's stop. Yeah. Okay? And sure as hell, the Evil Dead comes out and does the same damn thing again. Yeah. Right? Are we learning nothing? <laughs> they've, they've told you they've sh- the cliches are over with and done with. Let's stop this and try to find a new way to approach horror movies. Yeah. Like The Conjuring. Like the Babadook, there are ways to do horror without doing the same old goddamn thing. Yes. Deadpool is doing that for superhero movies mm-hmm. and saying, you know, a oh, superhero landing pose, here we go, step back, step back. <laughs> like the addressing a lot of the cliches of, of superhero movies made me ha- like, yes, this is gr- – I love the tongue-in-cheek tongue aspect of this. I like the Ferris Bueller reference at the end. I like the – some of the quick jokes you missed the first time you hear the second time. Like, uh, we're, I'm taking you to see the professor. McAvoy or Stewart, these timelines are confusing. <laughs> like that, that uh, Simpsons-esque self-referential deprecating humor. Yeah. I appreciate that. And Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool. Mm. So, but I can completely understand why you would, would call that the most overrated movie of the year. I completely get it. I'm sorry. That's all right. I'm sorry, America. That's all right. That's all right. Okay. <laughs> Last but not least, what is the worst movie you saw this year? I think you Benjamin know my answer. Joe. I I had I had trouble. I had I have two on here, and I'm going to coin toss to figure out which one I say. Damn, I actually <laughs> want to hear both. <laughs> what is the worst movie of the year, Ben? What is the worst movie of the year? For me, hands down, it was The Neon Demon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Now, <laughs> just just like my preface uh, at the beginning, I was looking for. Um, I was really in tune with my emotions for some reason this year, and I did not feel angry the way that I did walking out of the theater after watching The Neon Demon. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a movie that's vapid and saying nothing to you. Mm-hmm. This is essentially it. And, like, I, I remember telling you, like, outside the gate after, like, a cast or whatever of, like, how Nicholas Whiting Refn came up with this movie. It's because he woke up on the side of his bed one morning. And was crying. His his wife find, finds him on the side of his bed What's crying. Wrong? One more, What's, what, wrong? What's wrong? And he's like, it's because I wasn't born beautiful. And that, <laughs> that was the inception of Neon Demon. <laughs> so, yeah, he's that kind of person. And the is, movie's very reflective of his personality. <laughs> how how does Drive exist? It, Drive I, is a lightning in a bottle movement yeah. movie for his entire career. It will never happen again. Yeah, because what was what was the other one? Um, not Place Beyond the Pines. Uh, uh, only God, only God forgives. forgives. Yeah, was also. Did you see it? Yeah, I couldn't believe that was a real movie. What? What the hell? <laughs> Drive is practically perfect. Yeah, and maybe it's that cast because there's not one bad actor in that entire cast. No, <laughs> maybe that's why that yeah. movie's so good. Maybe it's his DP. I don't know. But, <laughs> but man, Neon Demon, you are not wrong. That movie is. What? Did you get to see it? I did. Candace and I watched it, and I was like, why is she peeing blood? <laughs> <laughs> it 
just it was icky just to be icky, you know. Maybe maybe he's trying to say something, and I don't yeah. get it, because I'm not smart enough. But someone will do a video analysis of it, <laughs> let you let you reevaluate it. Please tell me, internet, because <laughs> I don't get it. Is there? It's streaming on Amazon. If anyone's listening and wants to to subject themselves to watching that movie and trying to explain it to us, <laughs> it is streaming on Amazon Prime. I, I see there's a place for exploitation in cinema. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been done for centuries. Not centuries, because cinema hasn't been done for A century. A century and 21 years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's been done for decades. I have I have a film on my list that uses sexuality and exploitation well mm-hmm. in its execution, and it says something. This is just grotesque just to be grotesque, and it was yeah. it was disturbing to watch. Yeah. It was not a pleasant viewing experience, you know, and so I, I Not even thoughtful. Not, like, I, I like movies that channel – like uh, Ex Machina was a good example of like a disturbing film that yeah. you walk away – did you see Ex Machina? I didn't get to see that Oh, jeez, yeah. you got to see that. Man, yeah. That's also <laughs> on Amazon Prime. Check it out. But that's a movie that it's it's uncomfortable and disturbing, but and you think about it afterwards, and you kind of like connect dots and think of the implications of what's what's portrayed in that story. Neon Demon is like, what the hell did I just watch? Ay ay ay. Oy I gotta know your two though, man. Well, I I actually think you won't be surprised to hear what my two are. Well, specifically the one I was gonna pick, and then it kind of was like mm, rethinking the past couple <laughs> days, and, and just because I almost put this in my top ten. Not because. Whoa! Well, now hear me out. Okay. We can't not have a conversation about Batman versus Superman. <laughs> we can't not talk about it, right? It's true. This this is episode one. Yes. This is the Phantom Menace. Yes. I I think I said Spectre would be, mm-hmm. and you said no, <laughs> and, and I said you know what? You're right. It's not. This is the new Phantom Menace because yeah. the defenders of this movie. We'll take it to the mat. We'll take it. You know, the, it's and, so weird. And the haters it. of this movie yeah. will take this thing down. There is no middle ground. No. It's, it's all extremist on this film. <laughs> I can't not have a conversation about Batman versus Superman. Yeah. I have this deep affinity for Superman and mm-hmm. Batman as characters. I have a, a, a love for filmmaking. Yeah. I, I love superhero movies. And both Batman versus Superman and Suicide Squad, which was the other one I was trying to debate which one I should put here, are so wow <laughs> bad. I don't understand. Yeah. Like, yes, the like Neon Demon for sure. I completely agree. It's a terrible movie. <laughs> and there are other movies this year that were just like Independence Day too. Like that was just a bad movie. Killing Joke was a bad movie, but Batman vs Superman is the worst. Yes, it's the worst. Yes, it's. Uh, I tell you what, TC. My analogy is. It's like T-Ball. Everything is set up for you to succeed, and you still miff the swing. <laughs> like you put this as your worst sequel of the year. Yes. And I was saving this for now because I knew I was going to mention here, but just everything that could go wrong yeah. went wrong in that movie. <laughs> yes. There, there, are, there are oftentimes that you look at like the prequels. You can look at even Man of Steel. There are even... I'll even go so far as to say Dark Knight Rises. Like, there mm. are movies you can see that if they had one more rewrite, could be so much better. Yeah. Batman vs. Superman needed one major rewrite. <laughs> Completely different but, script. <laughs> but, but, no, I, I think there was that – you're right. Everything was set up for the, the hit. And it yeah. Was, we, we were all that jar of piss, TC. <laughs> <laughs> And I, there's so many other people who have gone at length about this movie that there's no reason for me to continue because I will surely bring it up to dig at it every chance <laughs> I can get. And that's why I almost put it in my top ten. 
Just because, just to talk about it some more? Be, well, because I couldn't I, – I, when I first started making my list for my top ten, yeah. I was having trouble. Mm-hmm. And then in the past month, I've seen like – 50 movies it's so funny oh i guess we can talk about it later but yeah it's yeah it's it's insane how the latter half of the year just complete shift um but yeah so, well, what were your thoughts on suicide squad because i don't think i mean we we've talked about it before at a minimum yeah. but suicide squad yeah. why i also was wanting to put it on the worst movie of the year list is because because batman vs superman was what it was mm-hmm. the reaction that they then turned suicide squad into was Another beautiful disaster. Yes. But Suicide Squad is one of the best examples of some of the worst editing in a major motion picture ever. <laughs> Threads that go nowhere. Scenes that end so abruptly. Uh, it's very clear a trailer company edited this film. Right? Yeah. It was all montages. It was a giant clip show. Yeah. Not to like keep on the subject because I hate these movies too. But, <laughs> but my friend Bryce brings up a good point. Because, like, for a while, I was, like, very vehemently, like, BBS, worst movie of the year. <laughs> In comparison to Suicide Squad, of course. Yeah. yeah. Well, what, what, what are your thoughts on BBS versus Suicide Squad? Which would you rather watch if you were forced to watch it? I, I, I would rather watch Suicide Squad. Okay. It's oh, God, such a <laughs> terrible choice. That was my knee-jerk reaction, but now I'm thinking about, like, they're both so damn bad. I know. The, you know what's interesting? I... I'll tell you. <laughs> that was a rhetorical question. The two, the two things that I, from both, uh, the thing that I like most about Suicide Squad, the thing I like most about Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice, are the female leads. I think yes. Margot Robbie is the best part of. Jared Leto is one of the worst parts because Joker shouldn't even be in the damn movie. But Margot Robbie is the best part of Suicide Squad. I think she took it the most seriously. Mm. I think she brought the most amount of knowledge of the character she was playing to the table. Yes. That she she is the only shining spot in Suicide Squad. And even that is an achievement because her dialogue is terrible. Yes. Like, like I think she's telling jokes. Mm-hmm. I can't tell exactly. Poor Paul Dini. <laughs> look, look, they got the Gotham City Sirens movie coming out. Let yeah. Paul Dini write that damn movie. Yes, Did I say that last week? I'm saying it again. <laughs> and the best part of Batman vs. Superman, now that I've watched it, more times than I probably should have, <laughs> is Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman. Yeah. She, I, every time she's on the screen, I can't not look at her. She's yes. beautiful. She's got a presence. I hope <laughs> and know it won't be that uh, Wonder Woman's good. It won't be. There's no the – expect. there's zero expectations yeah. now. So right. how do you bat zero and two, oh and two, and, and expect the third No, 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 no. They're oh and three, man. Don't forget Man, man of Steel. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh, my God, do I forgot that movie exists. Do not count that out. They are O and 3, my friend. TC, there's one second of my life where I just forgot about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it, folks. That's a, that's our alt- other uh, bests and worsts of the year. Uh, and I think if there's anything left to be said, we could save it because I think it's time we get into the best of the year, Ben. The top ten. Top ten. So we're going to take a quick break here. We're going to recharge some electrolytes and some water what? and some squeeze cheese. Mm-hmm. And we will be back that is with, a with our <laughs> top ten films of 2016. Let's get it. I missed up
are this back. This is wonderful conversation. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we are back. And uh, so again, how did you you built your list? Oh, well, I built my list on movies that um, were were fun, exciting, but but mostly did something unique with what has been around for a while or inspired me and ma- left me feeling like I want I, w- I want to make a movie like that. Mm-hmm. And what was your criteria? Oh, definitely. Um, I feel more and more so every year, especially the last three years, I'm crafting it in a very personal manner. Because mm-hmm. last year, you know, I, I got really engaged and active um, in terms of getting the right representation on the screen. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted my top ten to reflect that and support that. And this year, you know, some of the best things and some of the worst things happened to me in my life, and I feel as though, like, I was hyper aware of my emotions. So yeah. emotionality is the criteria for me this year. And I wanted movies to make me feel again. Mm-hmm. So that's how my top ten reflected this year. Okay. Well, uh, shall we begin? Mm-hmm. All right. We're going to go from ten to one. And we'll probably take a break between five because this is going to take a while. Or yeah. it might not. We might uh, either fully agree or, com- I don't know, we, we might have conversations. I'm saying one word per, per <laughs> mo- <laughs> Name of movie. Number. <laughs> Next. <laughs> Done. All um, right. Um, how should we do this? Who's going first? Uh, how did we do it last year? <laughs> we, you went first last year, and mm-hmm. I drew everything out of a hat. <laughs> oh, yes, you did. That was the hat year. We're going to make a list. I hate, I hate doing this because... What I put for my number one is going to change. Like, I, I've done the list set six times now mm-hmm. it's because it's like, well, no, I like, do I like this more? Do I like this less? But uh, this this will be my definitive list, at least for tonight. But I've even today changed it one more time. Yeah. But I felt pretty good about it in my one through nine. But it was that ten spot where I was like, hmm. Like, I almost put Deadpool as my number ten. Mm-hmm. Like, I, because I, I, I already dis- dis- spoke of it earlier, but, um, uh, well, I'll just start since we're since since I've already begun rambling. I'm going to start. Okay, so my number ten film of the year is Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Okay, I saw this. Okay, <laughs> now again, I hesitated what I was going to make my number ten, and I ended up going with Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them on the criteria that Newt Scamander is a very unique and incredibly cool hero. Mm-hmm. He is, he is sensitive. Uh, he is motivated by his brain and his intellect and his care for the creatures that he's trying to find. But just, uh, just Eddie Redmayne himself shows a very interesting character trait in that Newt Scamander does not look anyone in the eye. Yes, I know that. And it's a, it's a very fascinating character trait that he chose himself to do as an actor to to create that. Hufflepuff hero. Yeah. That he isn't the, he doesn't have the bravado of, of a, a Gryffindor style hero. And he's, even more so, the movie portrays adults. A lot of criticism that goes to Harry Potter in the Harry Potter movies is that, oh, he's so dumb. What the, look at, he lets Hermione do everything. Harry Potter's the worst. Harry <laughs> Potter is 15 years old. <laughs> you tell me at 15 you would have done any better or different <laughs> than what that kid did? Come on yeah. now. Newt Scamander's an adult, he has had a full life. And J.K. Rowling proves once again her mastery at creating a world in as few words as possible, because there's so much developed in the dialogue 
and the description and conversations that characters have with each other. We know that Newt Scamander is the younger brother to a war hero, mm. that he didn't participate in the war because he went off in search of protecting these char- these creatures that he was he was going for. Now, granted, the movie's not perfect, and oh, sorry, I probably should mention that we are there. No, no, that we're just going spoilery as as we want. On full this. blown, full blown spoiler, full thing. frontal spoiler. Yeah, you've been warned. Um, the the movie's not perfect. I don't think Johnny Depp was Johnny Depp was Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> Having Johnny Depp show up was kind of like ah, yeah, we didn't need that. Colin Farrell was doing a damn fine job without that. But in terms of setting up. Um, the character up to that point in third viewing, yeah. there's enough information that he is a presence in the story. Mm. Like from the first shot in the movie, Grinnevald is on the newspapers. He is the world threat at the time. And I, I appreciated the, the creature designs in this movie. I loved uh, Kowalski, Jacob Kowalski played by oddly enough, Dave Fogler, who's <laughs> not a good act, like has made poor choices his entire career with like Balls of Fury, Balls of Fury and fanboys and, um, uh, my best friend's girl. Like Ugh. he's he doesn't have a great track record, mm. but he was so endearing in this yeah. film. And Queenie, Queenie. Was, was so great as uh, as an Aquamans. Um, and as this movie just it made me happy. Mm. It was fun and exciting, and it also had some great dangerous elements to it, and the the exploration of all these characters crammed into such a short amount of time that felt so full. The world felt so full. I love the difference between American magic and what we know British magic to be, that I, I'm happy that it didn't fall on the pitfalls of prequelitis. I hope they don't just connect this to the first scene in Harry Potter. That would be a terrible mistake. <laughs> but in exploring this pre-Harry Potter universe, I would love to see more of the world through J.K. Rowling's ideas of the Wizarding World. I want to see World War One or World War Two. Professor McGonagall, Minerva McGonagall, a 20-year-old ass-kicking soldier wizard out there. Like, there's There's a lot of potential in this universe. Out of just one film, so yes. much more so than the first Harry Potter movie did. Mm-hmm. So number ten is Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find. Ah, that's a good choice. You can counter me if you didn't like it. That's fine, but I, you better tell me. <laughs> no, I, it's hard for me to make a judgment call on this film because I'm not like a huge HP fan. But I was still enthralled. Mm-hmm. It was fun. It was fun. It was well paced. I I actually liked Eddie Redman. Usually I don't like Eddie Redman. <laughs> Did you think it was just going to be a whole movie of him going, oh. <laughs> Pretty much. Dude, he, he he does like one thing and he goes so – I don't I don't like to use the word overacting because I don't believe it exists. But Eddie Redman makes me feel like that exists. <laughs> that being said, cast was great. Direction is great. It's a colorful, lively world. You know how I love period pieces. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It was it's fantastic. No nope, no pun intended. <laughs> no pun, inten- pun intended. All right. Well, number 10, Ben, what do you got? It's going to be very different than the fantasy. <laughs> I'm aware of that. Be prepared. Hold on to your socks, TC. <laughs> um, I don't even know if you heard this movie, but it's called The Boy and the Beast. Oh, it's an animated film. Yes. Yes. Thank God. It's an anime. I have heard about this movie. Yes. Finally, someone knows us. <laughs> yes. Um, it had a limited run here. Um, so that's why I counted it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I saw it February? It was a while ago. I didn't think it was going to make my list, but the more and more I thought about it, I love, just like you said, lush Studio Ghibli-style animation. While this wasn't very traditional Studio Ghibli, mm-hmm. 
Um, I love the previous works that this director did. I can't pronounce his name, but he he's done Wolf Children, which is like a really mature version of Twilight. Yeah. <laughs> and The Boy and the Beast is another kind of loose adaptation of The Jungle Book. Yeah. And it's funny how so many people were raving that really bizarro kind of molesty <laughs> version disney version of jungle book this year because i thought the boy in the base was that <laughs> molesty <laughs> <laughs> go back and watch that christopher walken scene that was weird <laughs> oh, oh my god that was weird <laughs> but well, i gotta change my number five <laughs> i'm kidding it didn't make it on my list i hope not i thought we agreed <laughs> but the boy in the base is um it's about uh kind of like this parallel universe tokyo futuristic neo tokyo where this boy loses his mom and so his dad becomes kind of this alcoholic deadbeat dad. And so he's left to his own devices most of the time, and he doesn't really have a direction or where to go in his life. He's so young, but there's no mentor to look up to. So it's a lot, it's a lot about thematically about um, not having mother-father figure, finding that mentor in your life to kind of figure your purpose and stuff like that. And so he one day when he was like running through the market getting chased by the other kids, he runs down this alley – and it's actually an, a gateway to an, a, a different dimension, Whoa. and it's called the the Beast Kingdom, where uh, a- anthropomorphic animals walk on their hind legs. So you see like big ass bears and turtles walking around with human clothes and stuff like that, and interacting in a very human way. Mm-hmm. And try everything. Basically, right? Well, what's what's so cool about this is that like. Tokyo is very futuristic, but when you go into the Beast Kingdom, it's like feudal Japan. Like, animals are carrying around swords, they're walking in, like, wooden sandals and Mm -hmm. wearing kimonos and stuff like that. So that was really badass, and um, he runs into this really, like, grumpy curmudgeon of a bear. Um, I I can't pronounce their names, I'm just going to call them the people and the master, but the master reluctantly takes him on, teaches him kendo, which is, like, the Japanese sword fighting art form. They're using wooden uh, bamboo sticks. Kendo sticks. Kendo sticks. And it's really cool, and they, you know, they they develop this mentor mentee bond through this martial art, father son type of father son yeah. type of thing. And he, and it turns out that the beast also has abandonment issues, so they bond through like you know being single children and like you know uh, parentless homes and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's a really interesting coming of age story because, like you were talking about, your name is not so much this straightforward Americanized version of the coming of age where you you know you go to prom and then you know have first love and blah 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 this and that. It's really just. It's about making meaningful human relationships, even mm-hmm. though it's not it's not involving humans. Yeah. And what's so cool about it is he ages. It shows it shows this kid aging through time. And so he spent so long in this beast world, he decides to go back to the human world and find his father and kind of reconcile their real relationship. Yeah. And that was such like a surprising left turn because <laughs> what started off as a really kind of neat uh, neo noir fantastical child coming of age adventure mm-hmm. it turned around and became this very um potent poignant human drama about uh you know um parenthood and stuff like that yeah. and so it just sounds like like mature forgiveness and yeah wow that's why i always really appreciate about uh japanese animation because mm-hmm. they weren't afraid to tackle a lot of uh darker themes mm-hmm. and so while while the ending was it, it just became a giant like monster battle (laughs) 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 it's definitely fan service but like um the rest of it was like i was really impressed with from the animations the direction the voice acting um i i didn't understand a word because it was uh japanese uh, subtitled but 
You could really feel so not dubs. The subtitles are dumb, TC. But you could really feel. I felt the performances through the voice acting mm-hmm. and you know the cadence of it all and everything. And I don't know. I walked away fulfilled yeah. watching this movie because, like, I don't know if it was, if it was like touched me personally or whatever, but. It was something that caught me by surprise because mm-hmm. I'll, I'll usually just watch anything animated. Like, I'll just go and watch. I didn't even know what this was about. I, I walked in cold and I walked out, like, warm. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's Aww. The Boy of the Beast. That's number 10 for me. Boy of the Beast. All right. Yeah, it's, I, it had popped up on one of my favorite critics' lists. He had called it his most underrated movie of the year and put yeah. it on his top 10. All right, number nine. I'm going to stay in some blockbuster territory here. How dare you? I know. I this know. is an art house podcast. <laughs> Captain America: Civil War. Okay, I don't blame you. This was the most fun I've had in the movie theater this year. It's the number one movie of the year. Yeah, <laughs> gross number one movie of the year. Um, everything that they, they've they've may have had missteps in the Marvel Cinematic Universe ha- is is actually done expertly well. It's particularly gone from Age of Ultron, hmm. which was kind of a mess. I think we can all admit it's not a great movie. Yeah, because there's just way too many gears turning and too many fingers in the pot. Too many characters up on screen. Civil War had a lot of characters too, but the thematic elements of following two different points of view between Steve and Tony, the beat beat for beat, this movie is practically the same as Batman versus Superman. But every failure BVS had is a success across the board for Captain America: Civil War. As far as uh, comic book action movies go, th- is there a greater moment in comic book movie? history than that airport fight scene no <laughs> every piece is firing off when it needs to fire off all those characters moving at once even acknowledging the fact that they're pulling punches because they're not out for blood yeah they're just out to stop each other mm-hmm. the the stakes in this film are built and built and built from not just the opening scene but over the 14 movies that or the 13 movies that led up to civil war the, this is the best robert downey jr Tony Stark performance since the first Iron Man. Yes. And the journey he's taken as a character in the cinematic universe, if you really break down the history of this of this of this franchise, Tony Stark is the backbone of all this and mm-hmm. his ups and downs and his personal struggles come to a head in this film. And Steve as as the truly heroic character that he represents comes to a head as well. Their personality clashes and their differences come to a head in this movie. I am so thankful that they didn't try to do whatever the hell the Civil War comics tried to do <laughs> and just used it in name. But the the different uh, the, the ideologies of Tony and Steve, of Iron Man versus Captain America, is just executed amazing. I think I think Civil uh, I'm sorry, Winter Soldier is still the better film. Yes. Uh, better action sequences, um, but just um, just in filmmaking, they're easier to follow visually. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, but that still suffers from that third act lull that all movies, uh, all blockbusters seem to. The final fight in Civil War is not exciting. No, it's nail biter. It's yeah. because you don't you are you don't know who to root for for these guys. I just rewatched this the other day because I needed to know if I was just being too much of a fanboy if it really was as good i haven't seen it since theaters so i rewatched it just a couple days ago and it still is a damn good movie and the, i don't know I, I so many so much has been said about Captain america 3 that I, I don't know how much more i can say other than that just it's funny it's exciting the stakes are exe- are raised and executed to a fantastic degree 
no one dies. Yeah, that, that that's proof right there of mm. how good of filmmakers the Russo brothers are. And they even said themselves, we wanted to prove that you could raise the stakes that high without death yeah. being uh, the final solution. Mm. Which was again the freaking mis- yeah, Superman's dead. Sure, <laughs> yeah, we all believe that. <laughs> but even watching it again, I. F- you fear for you, the look in Robert Downey Jr.'s eyes as Tony Stark and the look in Steve's eyes when Steve is just smashing, smashing. He breaks his helmet off. He raises that shield and St- and uh, Stark's eyes of like, oh, yeah. like is he going to kill me right yeah. now? And he turns off the reactor. Mm. Man, that's it's just, just great. And, of course, with Spider-Man there and Ant-Man in there and all the characters, Black Panther, holy shit. They managed to introduce this character, rush though it might have been, and make him have a complete arc mm. as a subplot. <laughs> That's amazing. I can't wait for Black Panther as a film. Yes, it's going to be lit, fam. Oh, man. I... So there's my number nine. That's, that's a good choice. Yeah. Um, this this movie is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it's, hard, it's hard. Yeah, what, what else is more to be said other than... The weight of that final fight. I think I, I know a lot of people talk about the airport hangar fight, but that final fight was probably the most weighty in terms of emotion mm-hmm. and and stakes. Like you said, yes, we don't know who to root for, but also we didn't want them to come to this point. Yeah. And they're, they mommy and daddy are fighting. <laughs> yeah, no, it didn't have to be this way. That's why it was so heartbreaking. And mm-hmm. um, well, one other thing that I really love about Civil War was they presented the best villain or one of the best villains in this entire cinematic universe which was baron zemo yes yeah and he was in the background the entire time just meticulously being methodical without us really paying attention to him. he even says he's like i know i couldn't fight these guys i know uh, better bigger people have tried and failed Mm -hmm. and he's right loki ultron so he decided to let them destroy themselves and in in a sense he won yeah he he split them up but not so much so that they don't still respect each other. Mm-hmm. They just respect. They agree to disagree yeah. by the end of this. Uh, by the end of Civil War, and that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm so excited to see where Civil War or where the Marvel Universe goes next. Yeah, um, I'm excited for Thor Ragnarok. Okay, uh, I'm excited for Guardians of the Galaxy as well, mm-hmm. um, and I'm interested to see how they develop in Spider-Man: Homecoming. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the Avengers themselves, we're not going to see any development of that for over a year. Yeah, like. We won't see it at all in 2017. It's going to be 2018 for Avengers 3, mm-hmm. and that'll even be after Black Panther. Is that a two-parter? No. Avengers 3 is called Infinity War. Okay. Avengers 4 will have a different title. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's okay. not part one, part two. They're not doing that. Three and four. Yeah. yeah. Woo! There you go. Number, number nine. nine. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Number nine. Number nine. This was a super small film that I don't think anyone saw. <laughs> But um, Star Trek Beyond, I saw it. It's a, it's a little art, <laughs> little art house film. <laughs> you might have heard of it. Uh, yeah, no, but um, Indignation, number nine. <laughs> TZ's just looking at me like, why? Why you got to do this to me? Why are you doing this to me? Right <laughs> you now? made that up. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to make an entertaining podcast here. <laughs> Indignation, starring Logan Lerman, which some of you might know as Percy Jackson. <laughs> oh, right. I have no expectations for this kid. Like I, he was just Percy Jackson to me. I and, or like Christian Bale's kid in, from Three Ten to Yuma. <laughs> <laughs> but he's a phenomenal actor, man. He is a phenomenal actor, and I didn't realize he had the chops. And this this film made him made me respect him more, more more so 
Well, of course, his performance, but also he produced it. Hmm. For someone wow. so young to have that kind of foresight to be like, hey, if no one's giving me good roles, if they're just giving me heartthrob roles, why yeah. don't I put, set myself up to succeed in the roles I want to play? Yeah. And then Indignation is a cool coming-of-age story because it's set in World War II, mm-hmm. and it's about this kid coming from a conservative Jewish family, very sexually repressed, very religious, and he goes to this uh, – liberal arts college in pittsburgh and he kind of finds himself um in, in more ways than one that he could at home and it's it's a very basic setup but the way it's fleshed out it feels less contrived than a uh than like um what's the director's name 80s <laughs> 80s coming of age john, john hughes, hughes. John yeah hughes. it's not like that <laughs> it's not like that at all so there's, it might not be for some because it's very it's a slow burner mm-hmm. boring boring i think the best comparison for this movie it's not, it's not another movie. It's actually a book, hmm, and okay. it's Catcher in the Rye. Ah, all right. He shares very, very similar qualities to Holden Caulfield in, in like almost sociopathic ways. Oh, <laughs> no, yeah. But not as unlikable. <laughs> but Holden Caulfield is the second most unlikable literary teenager ever created. I do hear a lot of serial killers enjoy that book. Yeah. <laughs> you know, of course, who the the most annoying uh, teenage protagonist in a. Bella Swan? It's Bella. <laughs> it, it's Bella Swan from Twilight. It's Bella Swan. <laughs> but there's so many comparisons to this in Catcher and Rye for some reason, but I, I think this is a warmer uh, story than that. And mm-hmm. and it's a story about, like, struggling in, in terms of, like, uh, the Boy and the Beast earlier. It's about, like, trying to find that relationship. This is struggling to make relationships, struggling to make that human connection. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if the character has some sort of, like, social condition or something like that, if he's, like, Asperger-y, but... He just can't hold a conversation without insulting the other person. And <laughs> oh, so it's, it's just a very interesting take on that time because everything that you see from that time, it's either like, oh, it's super repressed this, or it's like, oh, it's super jolly. But this is like, well, it's gray. There's somewhere, the answer lies somewhere in the middle. And I don't know. I, just, I have a nostalgic love for that time, and all the performances were fantastic. I, yeah. I don't remember the female lead, but she uh, – she was really great in this, too. So, yeah, Indignation. Indignation. Uh, also a novel by Philip Roth of American Pastoral fame. Ah, American Pastoral came out this year. Yes, and I heard it was, it was terrible. <laughs> it was uh, Ewan McGregor's directorial debut. <laughs> but that is my number nine. All right, number nine, Indignation. All right. Number eight. Whoop, whoop. Speaking of a young person leaving their family behind to go try to find themselves, Zootopia. Holla! <laughs> Zootopia was... I I honestly did not think this movie was going to be that great. I actually thought there was going to be a misstep in the Disney an- animated library here to go from the uh, the fantasy fluff of Frozen um, and Tangled and Princess and the Frog and not capturing the greatness of something like Wreck-It Ralph, which was not a fairy tale exactly. But, man, was I wrong. Zootopia not only was an incredible first watch, but going back and having seen it two, three more times now, the the, the characters are so wonderfully alive and real, and the exploration of societal issues through anthropomorphic animals is beautifully handled in here. It explores all those types of racial stereotyping and societal uh, systemic racism and prejudice through all of the characters. All of the characters are relatable to all the cultures. Mm-hmm. And I think that is an achievement unto itself. 
but even going one step further, that this movie was altered in its production based on advanced screenings, that they they found that Judy Hopps was the more appealing character as opposed to, to Nick Wilde, who mm. was supposed to be the main character, that his story of wanting to be a Boy Scout and whatnot was the original plot of the film, Yeah, that they realized they had something here. They mm. had a diamond in the rough that they were able to, to explore Judy Hopps, use Zootopia as this conduit for a conversation that could be had through certainly more liberal conversations than, than anyone on a more closed-minded level would see it, but just a beautiful film. And it actually took even something so far as the Shakira song, which I did not like. <laughs> the first time I was like, oh, God. This is so... When I was re-watching it by myself, and I was had the closed caption on so I could follow along with dialogue and glance away, the lyrics are coming up, and I was like getting tears in my eyes. I was like, yeah, <laughs> that's right. I will make the same mistakes again and again, but I will keep trying. Like... <laughs> <laughs> as silly as it was, I was like, even the song grew on me. Like yeah. this, this movie works in multiple viewings because there's layers to it, and the comedy, the drama, like everything about this movie. I have a feeling it's somewhere on your list, and you don't have to tell me where it is. But um, man, Zootopia is is deservedly so belongs to be belongs as one of the highest grossing movies of the year, and it's further proving that Disney as an animation studio is the is the monster juggernaut powerhouse that it should be mm. because of moves like this by Lasseter to craft films like these. Yes, absolutely. Like, we'll give you the fluff of Frozen, but then we're giving you Zootopia. Mm-hmm. You can have Tangle, but then we're giving you Wreck-It Ralph. Like, yes. Disney is, is at the top of their game right now yeah. in, in a position they haven't been in in a long time. And, and, they're, and they're continuing that even with Moana. Zootopia. Zootopia is interesting because it's they're pulling off so many things that I wouldn't expect in a kids movie. Right? <laughs> Who ever thought you'd go in a Disney movie and be like procedural? <laughs> <laughs> a Breaking Bad reference without smashing over the head with it, right? Yes, that was so awesome. <laughs> I laughed my ass off during that time. <laughs> and I think what's so great about that Judy Hopps character also is that it unveiled her hypocrisy. Yeah. Because you know we we love to tell working hard will get you everywhere and whatnot and then everything will sort itself out but who are you stepping on to get to where you want to be and stuff like that it was also an interesting thing even though you start off as an underdog there's always a possibility that you could be the bully the bully yeah and so i thought that was a really it's so complex for a kid's movie and i don't want to just call it just a kid's movie because it's 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 really on its surface it would seem that way yeah anthropomorphic anthropomorphic that's like why i think think sing is such garbage it's like you're just doing karaoke the movie oh why i think secret life of pets is so overrated it's like come on we're, it's you're low-hanging fruit here. yeah come on judy hops is one of the best female protagonists of the year yes and one of my favorite D, uh disney heroes mm-hmm. of the past uh, i don't know 10 years even yeah and as a bunny parent i, lo- <laughs> I love me some bunny representation <laughs> that, that's my number eight nice my number eight is Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water. You know I love me some westerns, TC. I really wanted to see this. This was my other Wish I Had Seen It movie. Yeah. I don't know if I said that on air or off air, but... Off air. Okay. But uh, there's a place for westerns in the modern cinema of today. Mm-hmm. But not a period western. <laughs> <laughs> not Django? Not Django, not... Hateful Eight. Not trying to go back to those John Ford, Sergio Leone days mm-hmm. because it doesn't work anymore. No one's clamoring for that type of setting 
of a Western. Yeah, it's a gimmick at this point. Yeah, it's it's like nos- nostalgia for nostalgia purposes. Mm-hmm. But if you look at Breaking Bad, <laughs> or you look at you know aspects of I'm sure a bunch of other movies that are not off the top of my head right now, but <laughs> there's so many neo Western elements, mm-hmm. and I think that's what works best in Hell or High Water. And like it, it totally like flips all those Western tropes on its head too. There's no uh, guns at sundown <laughs> <laughs> moment here. No high noon. No, it's it's a modern setting. Yeah, it's based in today. It's set in I believe it's probably Texas somewhere. Eh? Somewhere in Texas, <laughs> and it's about these two brothers who, um, you know, their their mom's sick. Their their ranch is up for like uh, foreclosing, so they go from town to town. Robbing all the local banks, bank robbers, bank all robbers. Right. But they, it's like small, small dollars. They're like no, nothing above like a hundred dollar bills or whatever because we don't want to get caught, right. caught, caught. Yeah. <laughs> so it's everything's very local and everything's very contained. There's no like big story about the FBI coming in with helicopters, being like, we got to get these bandits. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally two sheriffs chasing down two bandits on a very slow burn journey. The journey really isn't even part of the story. It's about these. Four characters coming to terms with their the lack of quality in her life, I guess, mm-hmm. because uh, Chris Pine's character plays like the younger brother, and you know he had potential to do bigger things, but he he had to look after his older brother because he's like such a problematic dude. Yeah. He's been in and out of jail, um, not really around till now, and he can't really say no. You know, it's like that that noble younger brother syndrome kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Bridges plays this. Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. <laughs> that's, that's exactly how he sounded like in the movie. But uh, <laughs> this is a dude like who's like a week away from retirement, and everyone's so happy for him except for him. Mm-hmm. He's like, I have no other purpose other than this job. Like, my wife is gone. My family hates me. This is all I know. And so he. His like deal is like I I just want a a gunfight a final gunfight in my on my last week blazing glory I just want to go out the way, on my own terms yeah. and that's kind of like his trajectory the entire time he's looking for a fight he's looking for it yeah and so like it's kind of an interesting almost like what we were talking about in Civil War like you don't really know who you want to root for because Chris Pine's character is so empathetic and you know why he's doing it even though you don't agree with the methods but yeah. you you want him to make it out make it out alive. And Jeff Bridges is, you know, just his normal, regular, like, super likable Jeff Bridges. Mm-hmm. And you want him to, like, obviously bring them to justice, but without having any bloodshed. Oh, man. See, I like that, that, that yeah. when you can't choose a side, yeah. that they're bo- you can see both points of view. That's just damn good character and yeah, storytelling. Absolutely. And the, I, I really respect <coughs> the scribe. Of, of this story. Like, the writer, he, he was all about, like, I don't like exposition. I'm all about, like, character-driven drama that feels humanistic, feels grounded, and doesn't feel, like, mm-hmm. contrived. And that's, the, that's, like, the feeling that I got out of this movie the entire time. And two really impressive things that I really noticed. Because, for one, CBS, you know, CBS movies is, like, <laughs> saying that CBS films is hit or miss is, uh, <laughs> is very nicely stated. Um, and they tend to be conservative-leaning. Mm-hmm. So, I watching this movie, I'm like, okay, this is that kind of Western where it's like, oh, everyone's got a gun. Because, like, there's this scene in the bank where one of the civilians tries to stop Chris Pine and Ben Foster. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, I, it totally felt, felt like 
Um, good guy with a gun can stop a bad guy with basically. a gun. He's like, I, th- it totally feels like a pro open carry moment. Yeah. But the guy gets his comeuppance. He, like, <laughs> he tries to shoot him, but then he gets killed. <laughs> I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> and then there's another scene where like a band of like vigilante Texans come mm-hmm. after him with like – you know, they're, they're sh- uh, sh- pea shooters and shotguns and, like, rifles and stuff like that. Yeah. But then Ben Foster's like, hang on, I got something in the trunk. He pulls out, like, a giant assault <laughs> rifle and just, like, mows their cars down and stuff like that. Woo. It was, like, it was like an awesome action movie moment, but also kind of making a statement, like, maybe this is not such a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and one final thing, not to go on t- for this movie too long, but, like, keep going, man. There's this one thing that really bugged me, but then had a really nice... Um, payoff. Payoff, which was uh, Jeff Bridges' character, like, I know it's, like, loving intentionally, but made extremely racist comments to his partner, who was half Mexican and half Native American. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, just making these very, like, uh, rude remarks throughout the entire film. And then they finally, you know, sit down right before the final confrontation. They just sit on this porch in this quiet, sleepy town. You see the tumbleweeds flowing and stuff (laughs) like that. Yeah. And he was just like, this used to be my uh, my family's land until, you know, the colonizers came and blah, 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 and this and that. Yes, you make fun of me for speaking English, not knowing my culture, and blah, 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 and this and that. But it's the repercussions of the events that happened here on this ground where you're standing on my ancestors' bones, essentially. And it was such a thoughtful and aware moment that I was not expecting from this movie at all up wow. until this point. And I was just like, huh. Holy crap, this guy, he has, like, way less screen time than Jeff Bridges, but I would give him a Best Supporting nom just for that moment. It was – I felt it. And it was it was from a character actor, too. You, you've seen this guy off and on again playing mm-hmm. Native Americans everywhere. And I was just like, wow, you finally got that moment Damn, you've been wanting in your career. So. I really want to see this movie. <laughs> it's so good, TC. It has a 98 on Rotten Tomatoes. It's Yeah, it's highly reviewed. I, I wish more. Actually, a lot of people saw it. I think it's the highest grossing independent film of this year. $31 million. Yeah. Yeah. Good wow. stuff. Good stuff. Chris Pine's great, too. Chris Pine. I didn't, I didn't get to talk enough about Chris Pine, but he's he really um, – he shines in this movie. Chris Pine is is a very talented actor. Yeah, um, just give and Ben Foster. I didn't even realize he was the other brother. In this. Yeah, Ben Foster has made some poor career decisions. But <laughs> he, he's always he's always on top of his game. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Hell or High Water. Hell great. or High Water. That's my number eight. Number seven. Number seven. All right. So I'm I'm del- now I'm kind of moving into my the top of my list is a lot a lot more of those films that like man. I want to make something like this. Mm-hmm. Um, now, now, number seven isn't exactly that. But number seven, it, it delves into the same well that some of uh, a few other the past couple of years movies have done in a very thoughtful and interesting and a, a quieter way than a lot of, of movies of this type have done. It's it's an alien invasion movie without the explosions and without the 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 laser fights and the you know the shouting and the running and and the cars races like uh, car chase like it is Arrival mm-hmm. uh, starring Amy Adams Jeremy Renner and um, it is a thoughtful and fascinating did you see Arrival I didn't get to see oh this movie my gosh. Yeah. and okay so then uh, you know even though I was saying I don't want to spoil. I'm only willing to spoil if Ben has seen the movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, but I will say that when I think of um, Gravity and Interstellar, those are the other two movies of previous two years that I'm thinking of when, when looking at Arrival, 
and and playing with some of those them- similar thematic elements that the protagonists of, of Interstellar and uh, Gravity went through, Amy Adams goes through similar struggles. Oh man, I wish you had seen this movie because I don't. I really, honestly don't want to say anything that would spoil it. So I will just keep speaking of the quiet, careful tone of this movie. The the very intelligent, intellectual exploration of fear mm. of these alien crafts that arrive. It's it's a it's a similar story you've heard before. Giant alien ships show up all over the world, floating over ma- not even major cities, just random points across the globe, mm. and are just floating there. Yeah. And each nation is sending representatives to each one of the ships to figure out what the hell they want. And Amy Adams is a linguist. A, she's a professional. Uh, she knows language. She, she knows how to dissect language and the history of, of words and language across the world. So she's the best in her field, and they bring her in to try to figure out how to communicate with these aliens. And what unfolds is this exploration of fear, like I said, of, of, of humanity, of her as an individual, the journey she goes on is very fascinating. It's a slow burn film, and you're not going to get the explosive ending or the explosive climax that a lot of these alien movies would seem have and what seemingly this movie could have. You get something that's much more powerful and affecting. Mm-hmm. And even even as it was playing out, it wasn't until it was nearly over that it like struck me just how like incredibly well crafted this movie is for how simple it is, for how complicated they could have made it. And after the fact, like sitting there and, and thinking about it, you know, going for a jog after, and and really kind of wrapping my mind around the journey that Amy Adams' character goes on, it stayed with me, and it still sticks with me right now. That. God, it's, it's like Amy Adams is a good actor, yeah. <laughs> and for her to be in this and be like, "Wow, that very quiet um, performance from her, very subdued performance from her, with much more s- strength and power than Lois Lane's had in two freaking movies." Uh, and even and Jeremy Renner playing this this rather simplistic, less developed supporting character. Um, it empowers Amy Adams as an actress and, and empowers her character that she's the singular focus of this movie and he's not the, the guy to come in sna- uh, you know, popping his gum and like, allow me, honey. Like, there's no misogyny in how, they are, they have a, how their relationship as, as contemporaries plays out over the course of this film. And it's, it's really cool, man. Okay. I, I, I believe I gave you a link so you could, watch, you could stream it. Yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. I failed no, you. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't apologize. I'm just I, – I look forward to you seeing it and, and letting me know what you think. And and some of our listeners actually commented that Arrival did make it as their best movie of the year. Yeah, that's, it was one of Bryce's favorite films this year too. Like a bunch of people were telling me to watch this. I was like, what? This, this movie I doesn't even look that great. I did, not, <laughs> I did not for one minute rush out to see this movie. Yeah. I didn't have any real interest in it because it looked kind of dumb. It, it, <laughs> it, it, there's nothing about it that – like oh damn I gotta see that movie no, yeah it it looked banal yeah and it took more than a few people talking about it and it, not even directly to me but overhearing conversations about people like gushing over this movie I was like I need to, I think I should see this yeah and I'm glad I did mm. it 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 really is this it's an alien invasion movie the quietest 
carefully plotted alien invasion movie and in the realm of science fiction of gravity and interstellar in that more, hmm, this is probably how it really would happen kind okay. of scenario and yeah. less Independence Day. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There's my... I, I do think Denny Villanueva is a very interesting uh, director. Yes. And, like, I really enjoyed Prisoners and Sicario. And yes. Oh, God. I, I didn't even mention that this is the guy who did Sicario, yeah. which is another movie that is phenomenally crafted. Yes. <laughs> he's doing the next Blade Runner. Yep. Very interesting. Maybe it'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there, 10, 9, 8, 7. That was my number seven, Arrival. Cuckoo. That's a good choice. I need to watch that. I, right. I, oh, sorry. One last thought. I particularly think if you're an actress to, to see this. I was discussing Judy Hopps as this wonderful protagonist of a female character. I think Amy Adams' Amy, Amy Adams' character in Arrival is a very strong, powerful female performance. Okay. Yeah. All the more to see it. Yeah. Then. Okay. Number seven. Number seven. This year was a very musically infused year. I felt like a lot of my choices on this list are all about the song and dance numbers. And it's not the movie that you're thinking of. <laughs> but num- for my for me, number seven is Sing Street. Ah, we just watched Sing Street last night. I was considering making it my number ten. Okay. Yeah, right it on. was one of my honorable mentions. It was just on the couch. Oh, no, I spoiled. I could have spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> you spoiler! <laughs> I don't know why I enjoyed this movie so much, but I really enjoy uh, this director's work. I forgot his name. But he's done once, and he's done uh, Begin Again, which almost made my top ten two years ago. Mm-hmm. But he has a really interesting way of making the musical because it doesn't – it's not the traditional break out into a random song at any moment type of musical. But mm-hmm. really using the music to drive the story and bring out these characters and the feelings that they feel at the time. And it's a very standard uh, John Hughes 80s style coming-of-age story. In Ireland. In Ireland, though. That's what made it really – I don't know – Gave it a unique quality, that's for gave sure. It, yeah, a unique aesthetic, maybe because I don't know much about Ireland. but <clears throat> And plus, it was it's like all this great 80s pop music. You got Duran Duran, The Smiths, and Tears for Fears and stuff like that. Hollow Notes. Hollow Notes. <laughs> I love me some Hollow Notes. And, so, and, and the one thing I think that makes this really stand out in terms of like standard 80s coming-of-age stories so all the music were original music, aside from the bands that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like, there were a lot of original numbers that were actually really good. And I thought, I didn't think that those were originals until I looked at the soundtrack later. I was yeah, like, oh, yeah. this was made for the movie. So the, 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 char- the main character is inspired by these pop singers of the 80s to write his own original music for, yes. it, for this band mm-hmm. that he created a, to impress a girl. Yes. <laughs> and, yeah, it... I was actually annoyed, a little like put off by the like. Nah, I get it. You're 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 creating original music that's themed after the Duran Duran and then, but as the movie went along, I really grew to appreciate the music. Yeah, and the original songs. Like these feel real. These feel like '80s pop songs. And I, maybe it's just me, like throwing my personal stuff onto there, but it just really reminded me of just me and my you know, goofy little friends in high school running around together with a camera and then making oh, our own little things. Yeah. It's I, like the the scene where Eamon and the main character write are writing a song together, I told Cam, I'm like, God, this feels so much like I had a band in, in college and that was a moment. Like, I, hey, I, you guys. I, yeah. I, I was like, this feels like the Hey, You Guys days. Like, I can remember sitting there crafting a song just like that. Yeah. And it was very nostalgic for me. It's a it's a feel good movie. Yeah, yeah. What else can I say? Because <laughs> I, I saw it like way back when it came out, so yeah. I'm trying to 
re- recollect my thoughts, but um, I think one moment that it's a standard '80s film, '80s coming of age story. But there's two mo- two things that really helped it stand out. One was the original music, and secondly, I love that scene with him and his brother in the room together. It's just like a mirror, a mirrored like uh, sequence of like this is what could be you. You know, this the, is it the last scene with the brother together where yeah. he's like, "I had a guitar. I used to play. You don't know that, dude. I was alive for six years before you came along." Yes. Like, yeah. Okay. Totally get that. The <laughs> They both had the paths and the desires to be creatives, but one failed and one's kind of resenting the other yes. for their recent success or whatever. And it was just kind of heartbreaking to see because, you know, you want them to be on the same side, to be on the same team, but they mm-hmm. can't. One can't feel but resentful because of personal issues. Yeah, but I don't think he was resentful of his younger brother. I mm-hmm. think he was resentful of what the parents did to him. Yes. Because he's, he's antagonistic towards his parents through the whole movie. Mm-hmm. Because I think he's old enough and smart enough to know that they screwed him up. Yeah. And they're Peter Baelish. And they're, <laughs> and they're gonna screw up the other two. Yeah. And I and he's he's the father figure mm-hmm. to the the main character, the younger brother. Um, sorry, I'm jumping on your. Oh no, no, no. <laughs> I think you're explaining it way better. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's my number seven. I can't really think of anything else to say about it. But did you? Um, so what what was it that kept you from getting putting it on? to your list it you know i i did struggle with with filling that 10 slot and um i don't know if there was it was a little choppy and jumping from scene to scene yeah there was there was big jumps in time where and it kind of became consistent in that like it's okay he likes duran he likes the cure he's gonna dress like robert smith in the (laughs) next scene oh he likes uh holland oats okay now they're wearing those clothes it became sort of a reoccurring, I don't want to say gag, mm. but it was a reoccurring thing that, that happened in the movie that those jumps to his next style, um, at first it felt a little choppy. And it took about halfway into the movie for me to really latch onto the film overall. Okay. And um, it's too bad. I think that some of the performances are, are quite strong, but... I wasn't genuinely sold on R- Rena, Ravenna, the the female lead. Okay, like I, she was good. I thought the character was great. I thought the it was written really well. But I don't know if that if she necessarily brought a lot to that role for mm-hmm. someone who was. There's there's one line of dialogue in particular that was like, whoa, yeah, and it was where she says, her mom went to a mental institute, so it was just her and her dad, and he used to come in and. I, I don't know why he would rather be with me. She's way prettier than I am. Hmm. And the implication that she was molested whoa. was like, whoa. <laughs> I don't even remember that part. Yeah, it's it's such an offhanded comment. Mm-hmm. And then, and he hears it and doesn't react to it. Yeah. Like, how do, what do you say to something like that? Yeah. Um, but that is such a fascinating character. I, I think that the actress, I wish she had brought a little bit more to the role. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not being criti- critical. I'm not trying to be overly critical. I, yeah. I just, in terms of what didn't work, because that Back to the Future 50s dance scene yeah. is such a joyful, like, so joyfully cool. Mm. Uh, that's a better climax than putting on the priest's face. Yes. And so there's just those little, those little minor things that didn't add up to, like, an incredible film to me. I still loved it. I still thought it was one of the best movies of the year. And I did contemplate it making it my number 10. That's, that's fair, sir. <laughs> this 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 shows a little bit of my immaturity. As soon as he's like, uh, tells his older brother, "We're running away to Dublin," and he's like, "Let's do it." All I could think was, "This is terribly irresponsible." <laughs> <laughs> you are fifteen years old. <laughs> where are the parents? Where is Peter Baelish? 
All right. Okay, moving into number six. Uh, this movie, I had heard about it. It came and went. I didn't see it until it was streaming. And when I watched it, I was floored by it. This is incredibly well-crafted metaphor and subtext at such a just incredible amount of subtext hidden underneath a slew of fart jokes. <laughs> just like more fart jokes than you think would be possible in one film mm. that is about this this ex, this journey of self-discovery and and it it's Swiss Army Man. Okay. Did you see Swiss Army Man? I didn't get to see it. Candace just finished watching it. I, no, you didn't. You're not done it. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to talk about it. Sorry. Uh, this movie is uh, a, a, a um, what's his name? Paul uh, Paul Dano is going to kill himself. He's mm. stranded on an island. He got shipwrecked on an island all by himself, and he's going to kill himself. And Daniel Radcliffe, as a dead body, washes up on shore. And Daniel Radcliffe, his farts won't stop <laughs> farting. <laughs> And and Dan- Paul Dano can then ride him like a jet ski off to the mainland. What? Yeah, ridiculous, right? <laughs> Look, all these fart jokes and this ridiculousness of this movie is actually a mask about this. This Paul Dano, who plays Hank, is this this young man struggling with his self gender gender identity. This mm. is an exploration of a trans person who has not come to terms with. Who they truly are. Holy crap! And and I'm telling you that now yeah. because when you watch this movie, you might not you might not catch that in its first view. But now that I've planted that seed, and when you do watch this movie, you'll see it and you'll and you'll appreciate that this director was able to craft this beautiful film about gender issues mm-hmm. and gender roles and 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 hit it in what he hit it in. There's a moment in this movie. Where his life flashes before his eyes, yeah. and his life that flashes before his eyes is his journey from being stranded on an island to where he is now. Mm-hmm. Not his life before, just in that journey, and specifically in that journey, only the moments when he's wearing a dress and a wig and yeah. role playing with not not pro like there's no um, exploration of like uh, not sexuality. I don't want to say that like. There's no uh, gratuitous sexuality explored in this film. It's all of these very personal self-identification of, of gender. And oh, it's such a powerful movie mm. because it, it found a way to explore that. And I don't think half the people who watch it even have a clue that's what they're watching. I had no idea. I just remembered it as the movie of, oh, that's that movie that everyone walked out at Cannes in. <laughs> Because there's that controversy is like, oh, the Farting cor- Corpse movie. And yeah. Everyone walked out of that. <laughs> People were walking out of this movie because they didn't see the subtext. They yeah. didn't look deeper. Uh, this He has this picture of a woman on his phone. Mm. And uh, oh, I'll go. I'll make it easier. Uh, they find a Playboy or a Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Edition. Yeah. And Daniel Radcliffe, over the course of, of this corpse, slowly becomes reanimated over the course of the film. He's like, what am I looking at? Wow. What, what is that? Mm. Uh, well, that's that's a woman. What do I what do I do? <laughs> well, you you look at her. Oh, uh, well, I want to know what's underneath her her bathing suit. <laughs> like, no, 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 don't think about that. Imagine taking her out to dinner. Imagine holding her hand. Mm. Imagine not going out and staying in all night and watching Netflix. That's how Hank is describing a woman. Yeah. He's not describing her as an object. He's describing her longingly. Mm-hmm. Like, in in a sense, that's what he wishes he had. Yeah. 
It's such a beautiful film. And, Holy and crap. <laughs> I know. And, That's and a great I, description. I, I understand mm-hmm. that people were walking out of this movie halfway because they weren't looking deeper. Mm-hmm. And now that I've planted this seed very, very clearly for you, yeah. I, I want you to watch this movie and I want you to come back and, and you can disagree with me if you want, but I, I, I feel like that's what this movie is about. Okay. And it's this exploration of self-identity. It's it's more than just be happy with who you are, which could be the base level of what you're what you watch there. The deeper message is about trans identity. Wow. And in this day and age, in issues of where do people get to pee in North Carolina and and how the LGBT community has been treated in 2016 and and how we fear they might be treated in 2017, a movie like this not dissimilar to what my favorite science fiction does, which I say more times than I should, is a way to address this subject from a different angle. Yeah, and 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 create conversation. Mm-hmm. Swiss Army Man. Okay, and you, you may notice it did appear on a couple other people's best. It did a lot. Yeah, that was, that and Arrival were two movies that I had no interest in, <laughs> but now I have interest in. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Swiss Army Man. Farts the movie. Farts the movie. <laughs> It's funny, okay. but it is sad, too. Ah. Yeah. Man, I, gotta go. I think it's on Amazon, so yeah. I'm going to go watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now that I've, I've gotten that spiel out of the way, we've, <laughs> we've had very little overlap. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's strange. I would love to talk about this. But um, at, the, at the same time, I don't think that we are – well, you know what? Let's get to that in a minute. Let's get to your number six. Okay, for sure. And then we'll, we'll take a quick break, and then we can discuss – what's happened so far. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think, ETC? We talked about this before. (laughs) So let's go to your number six. So my number six is Moana. Oh, wow. Way up there. Okay. Yeah. I I was struggling with this film. Thank you so much. We actually talked about this a little bit last week, I think. Um, But no, please continue. This was a conflicting film for me because... I have a soft spot for Disney films. I loved that this was featuring a Polynesian heroine. Mm-hmm. Features heavily of Maori culture, um, which I've, we've never seen like in anything. Um, um, Lilo and Stitch. That's Hawaiian. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said Hawaiian culture. Oh, you Maori. Said Ma- Maori yeah. culture. I'm sorry. Okay. That's like New Zealand area, I believe, if, okay. I'm, if I'm not mistaken. I, I, Jermaine Clement would be very upset with you, I, sir. I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. But um, I think issues aside, I, I've i come to really love this movie. Yeah? Yeah. It, it made me feel up, if that <laughs> makes any sense. Like, it made you feel good. There's, this, there's one thing that... You know, especially kids' movies that are doing more and more these days that I really love is that you don't end the final climactic battle in an insane boss fisticuffs fight. Yeah. <laughs> it's, Did you mean comments in this movie? Did you realize? Yeah, that? <laughs> it's shiny. Did you stay through the credits? I did. Okay. Oh my gosh, those are awesome. Sorry, they, <laughs> they, they don't end the big climactic boss battle. Yeah, it's it's not like a action crazy action movie fisticuffs mm-hmm. uh, type of thing. Like <clears throat> she reasons with the quote-unquote antagonist and the journey like finding herself and finding discovering you know the path of becoming the leader the chief of this tribe mm-hmm. is through reason and and love which was such a, a beautiful thematic element of the film that i think made it much more mature 
than most animated films, I believe, especially this year. Yeah. Um, and and seeing that and seeing like being able, being able to turn this angry demon back to like the the, the flowery, um, beautiful, luscious demigod that it used to be. Mm-hmm. There, there's an interesting, like, environmental message there, too. Like, you know. Return Mother Earth that has been damaged by humanity. <laughs> yeah. And, and by pride and ignorance. Yes. And finding a way to work with nature to return it to its, its beautiful bounty. Absolutely. I think that's what you're trying to say. <laughs> I don't know if I'm, if I'm putting my own lens on that. I don't know if that's what they were going for. Mm. But I thought that was very, it was very thoughtful, especially for how straightforward the film was. It's definitely just point A, point B, Hero's Quest yeah. um, type of story that we've seen over and over again in a, in a Disney film. But I think there are enough original elements to make it like a really uh, a different experience than, mm-hmm. like, say, The Lion King, Little Mermaid, Mulan, so on and so forth. <coughs> Plus, the, the voice acting is fantastic. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, the girl who plays Moana, um, The Rock, of the course. The Rock! Jermaine Clement! <laughs> Makes I love th- that crab character she played. Like, that, that was such a great... That was the boss battle right yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, two... Actually, one of the best supporting characters of the entire year is Maui's Tattoos. Yes! Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's, Disney has, has a history now of creating these amazing characters who have the loudest voices without speaking a word. If yes. you think of, like, uh, Carpet from Aladdin. Yeah. Doesn't say a word, but he has so much personality. And that, so much character. That, and um, uh, even, uh, what, Kaka? <laughs> the uh, rooster. The, oh, the... Rooster. Uh, hey, hey. <laughs> hey, hey, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah hey, hey. Um, but the, the, the tattoos on Maui... What a great character. <laughs> I know. It's, it's such a fun, innovative way to, like, incorporate those tattoos and have it say something. Have it be the character. And yeah. I, I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? What else? Oh, the songs. Holy crap. Lin-Manuel Miranda. Yeah. <laughs> my, my buddy Tim messaged me. He's like, who's this Lin-Manuel Miranda, and why do I keep hearing so much about him? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, well... He, he wrote the song for songs for Moana and Hamilton. He's like, "What's Hamilton?" I'm like, you've been living <laughs> under a rock. How do you not know what Hamilton is? <laughs> Hip hop American history. You need to sit down, sir. <laughs> <laughs> now, is it appropriate for a Puerto Rican man to write music for a Moan movie? That is, and that is a good not, point. Not to be controversial. No, I'm no, no. <laughs> that was the one. Not not Lin Manuel Miranda, but I think overall, I think what was kind of hard for me. Like as much as we want representation, we want it done right, and we want it done right by the right people. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I had a chance to peek behind the scenes and stuff like that. And they did have like this thing they called the Oceanic Trust, yeah. which they had folks from all Polynesian cultures come together and talk about what's what's depicted correctly and what's not. Yeah, and I thought that was that was good. That's a sensitive way to go about it in that a is, tactful that manner. That is good. That that would be nice if. You know, in the past, Disney had been like, "What's what should we do here?" Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the blackface probably. Could go. <laughs> oh, all right. Thank you, Mr. Disney. <laughs> this is almost like a no-win situation. You know, unless everyone was Polynesian, mm-hmm. there will be problematic elements to the film, which I I felt uncomfortable when I was watching it because there there are moments where I was just like, "This is so Western." Uh-huh. <laughs> but you know, uh, that aside, I enjoyed it a lot. The the main composer, he was, I forgot what island he was from but he is definitely of polynesian descent so it was more like 
Lin Manuel wrote the lyrics, mm-hmm. and he did the rest, like the melody yeah, the, and whatnot. The music is beautiful. The visuals of this film are beautiful. I've yeah. never seen water look so incredible on film. Oh my gosh! I love yeah. I love the color palette of the mm-hmm. film. It was so alive. Yeah. Uh, as as you know, take Frozen for what it is. Um, it's very it's a very sterile palette. It doesn't yeah. Have a lot of like vibrance to it and mm. Moana's just beautiful to watch pops off the screen right yeah. away and you know the, one of the most memorable parts of visiting Walt Disney Animation Studios was like the lead animator saying this was the most artist on our team for any animation movie that we've done and you and I we did the Wreck-It Ralph panel yeah at um Noman the school of uh, special effects and they were there was like a few hundred mm-hmm. people on that team just to make that movie there were thousands of animators that worked on Moana, <laughs> and you could tell right away it's just the, just when you point out the water because they were making an emphasis on the water when they were discussing it because like uh, another nonverbal character by the way yeah the wa- that the ocean itself is a character and it's so representative of that culture because Moana literally means water and you know water to them is is life for them you know mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and it's it's so it's such a huge symbolic thing more than just this natural element. And it, it, you're right, it plays part in the movie and whatnot. And I, I just really enjoyed what I saw. Like, uh, I think my favorite musical number was when, you know, all the, the ancestors were on the ships. And, like, it, I forget what it's called, but it's, <laughs> it's the really catchy one. And, yeah, I don't know. I'm, out, I'm like, I'm out of days right now for some reason. <laughs> but I'm out of words. But it, you saw this. Um, How do you feel about Moana? I, I, we talked last week about it, how I felt like there was just something missing mm. that would tip it into the the same realm as as Tangled and Wreck It Ralph for me. Which I, as you know, Frozen, take it for what it is. I said that um, I think Tangled and and Wreck It Ralph are the two best Disney movies of the past of this kind of era in terms of uh, insp- being inspired and spinning the fairy tale genre on its head. And Wreck-It Ralph being such a, a neat contemporary fable, um, but I don't know. I I don't know what it was about Moana that didn't win me over completely. Yeah, because um, I did love it. It's it's a it's a beautiful film. It left me feeling really happy. Yeah. In, in its end, but there. Were, <clears throat> I don't know. <clears throat> Pardon me. I think just maybe if the story had been just slightly more complex. Just yes. Not, not that I want an overly complicated movie. Mm. <coughs> I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> What's in the soup? Candace is poisoning you. Mulatto. <laughs> <coughs> Do you think... Woo! Sorry, not to interrupt. <laughs> no, please. I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> <Do you, laughs> he's over there just rolling on the ground. <laughs> What's wrong with you, TC? Uh, do I think what? I'm just wondering... If a lack of a true antagonist kind of affected yes, the film, that's it. because the the lava figure was kind of just like reanimated lava, had no voice, no real character. You, that's it. You've hit the nail on the head. That's yeah. what it was. There was no memorable villain. Yes. Thinking of Wreck It Ralph, King Candy is an incredible antagonist. Yes. Right. And yeah. and thinking of Tangled, Mother Gothel is a very classic Disney villainess. Mm-hmm. That's what it was missing in Moana. Yeah. It's that villain element. Because the movie is so good. But it was just like, I don't know what it was. And now you've, you've solved it. Yes. Because I think I, I got the internal struggle. I got the, like, personality struggle between um, The Rock and Moana. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or Maui and Moana. But 
I just didn't. I was kind of like waiting to see what what else are we fighting here because there's these environmental things, but they don't. It's not really brought up throughout the entire film. It was just kind of like, oh, we're there's no fish on yeah. this island, so yeah. I'm gonna go across the ocean and stuff like that. But oh, man, what, what was the out. yeah. <laughs> Now, yeah, th- and this isn't to say that this movie isn't good. I don't. We're not. I'm not criticizing it. And I, I certainly, you have it as your number six. That's yeah. a great place for this. Um, Disney had an incredible year. Yeah, doing Moana, Finding Dory, and Zootopia. Mm. They they kicked some ass this year. They sure did. <laughs> all, all three of those movies are stunning in mm. their in one way or another. And again, what a fantastic protagonist. Yes, this 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 little girl is determined and powerful and and intelligent and curious and mm-hmm. all these and adventurous and all these wonderful things that that the best of protagonists have and and she drove this film like, yes absolutely and i love what they were saying over and over and reiterating on all those um uh, award circuits especially of recent like the directors are always saying you know, she's a heroine, an action heroine, mm-hmm. and not a princess. Mm-hmm. They even make a comment about it in the movie. But she is a princess. <laughs> she's the princess of that island. She's the chief's daughter. <laughs> but chiefress, chiefress. <laughs> um, I think what I found really impressive in terms of the development of the Moana character is that you you know you and I we both have pet peeves when adult men write teenagers yeah. especially teenage girls because it's very one note it's like scoffing eye roll um quippy sarcastic remark it's we don't get any of that you know because if if you remember what it was like to be a teenager i don't know what it's like to be a teenage girl but being a teenager like i i got easily annoyed at things but doesn't necessarily mean i have to verbalize it or show it all the time mm-hmm. it's kind of an internalized thing and if anything, I used that annoyance to drive me to do something else. And whether it was making a mistake or, like, you know, uh, succeeding in my goals or whatever, you see that in Moana. And it's a very humanistic characteristic trait that made her more uh, relatable mm-hmm. than your common Bella Swan-esque teenage-type yeah. characters. And she wasn't – she was sheltered, but she was not, you know, uh, locked away from the world. Yeah. She uh, – she, she, she falls in the category of Tiana from Princess and the Frog, someone yeah. who has who who has a view of the world and 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 sees the world in her way and is determined to get through the world her yes. way, and that's powerful and incredible and a great hero. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. That's Moana. That's Moana. That was that's your number six. My number six. <clears throat> yeah, it's interesting. We don't have we've had no overlap. Now we've had previous years where we've overlapped really well, but at the same time, I don't think unless you are disagreeing with me and being polite. I haven't disagreed with your list, and I don't think you've disagreed with mine. Unless I had made Deadpool 10, then you would have disagreed. <laughs> Deadpool number one, what? <laughs> uh, I'm changing my number one real quick. <laughs> All right, well, before we move on to the top five between the two of us, let's take a quick break. We'll have some of Candace's wonderful soup here, and we'll come back for more. Mm-hmm. More Anna. More Anna. <laughs>
and we are back. Uh, what? What? Uh, what? How you doing? <laughs> I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I wanted to discuss this with you because it's a very interesting thing that you brought up. Yeah. We have zero overlap. Yeah. And I know, like, at least maybe five seasons ago, the rewatchmen, mm-hmm. our top tens were like identical. Yeah. But as the years gone by, it's been. A lot more diverse. So well, I'm just wondering. Last like, year we had some good amount of overlap. Yeah. The year before we had like no overlap. Yeah. <laughs> and then the year before that we had some. Like mm-hmm. I've gone back and looked at some of our lists, and sometimes it's just uh, we we managed to just like the same things, see the same things. But like you didn't see Arrival, you didn't see Swiss Army yeah. Man, I didn't see Boy and the Beast, I didn't see uh, uh, the documentary one that you said. Uh, uh, I don't have a doc. Yet. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, that was on. So Hell or High Water. Hell or High Water. Thank yeah. you. So. Had I seen Hell or High Water or had you seen Arrival, we might have had Overlap yeah, there. But true. I think it, it says a lot of how busy we were this year that, like, seriously, I didn't watch, I didn't, like, pretty much everything on my list I saw in the past month. Yeah, you were on a mission to well, watch I, everything this I wanted year. to be able to see everything I could to, <laughs> to, to really, because we've had it also in the past where it's like we make our list and then months later we see something and like, I want to uh, make an addendum to that. <laughs> like, Sicario is clearly in the top five. Or, I just didn't see it at the time. <laughs> it's just so funny because this, just this last week alone, TC's been just been messaging me like, like have you been watching this? Have you been watching this? Because I just saw it. I'm just like, man, you're blowing through all these movies. I've been procrastinating so much. <laughs> well, I think our – I kind of have a feeling our top five might have some overlap. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think Deadpool. I, I think maybe. I think maybe because um, my number five. Go for it. My my number five. I'm. I'm. This movie. I had no expectation for. Um, it came and went. I heard some people liked it. I heard some people didn't. But when I finally saw it, I was like, it, I just wanted to make a movie like this. The the successful use of a three act structure. The the differences in the X, the journey of a female main character who is smart as hell mm. and determined as hell while playing with horror elements and science fiction and it's 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, now, wow. Now, now you, you criticized it earlier yeah. because you said John Goodman's the only reason to watch this. John Goodman is definitely a reason to watch this. Yeah. The the main guy character the, the the third character in the movie the his last name's Dewitt so that gave him some points. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> I remember that. I but, saw it. I was freaking out. <laughs> but the this is such a small independent film that I would love to make a movie like this. Yes, and I and it's not the biggest biggest blockbuster in the world, and it's, and and it certainly doesn't fall into some of the categories of of best performances or, or best direction, but the script was so neat to me mm. and the simplicity of this structure was so, I love that it's a bottle film, which we, you mentioned earlier, John Goodman is just one of the best actors. He just can do no, like <laughs> even in the worst of movies, if he's in it, he's so good. Yeah. Um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead is not an idiot. When I, watching her <laughs> Approach the fork in the road of every horror cliche and doing the exact opposite yeah. was really neat. Mm. She's an empowered, capable human being who knows when to be submissive to the circumstances and knows when to kick some ass. Yes. And that third act, like, I thought the movie was over, and there's this whole other movie that takes <laughs> off. I'm like, what the hell is going on here? It just turned into this Cloverfield movie. Yes. Which I was like, uh, like that lost me. Like I was like, oh, but I liked it so much up to this point. But then in the end, 
when it gave this moment of you could go to safety mm. or you could go kick some ass. Yeah. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to go kick some ass. <laughs> I was like, this this is a badass female heroine. I am all on board with her. <laughs> and now I, you said you didn't care care for the movie. I, I can't remember what you categorized it in. Was it the most best surprise performance? or Best surprise per- best performance from John, John Goodman. Um, yeah, I, this is the kind of movie I want to make. I don't like horror movies, so to, yeah. to see a horror, a suspense and and kind of slasher esque movie uh, created this way, this mm-hmm. was a unique way of doing a movie like this. I saw Lights Out and I saw Don't Speak, which were two uh, Don't Breathe, Don't Breathe, sorry, Don't Breathe and Lights Out, which were two slasher movies, thrillers that weren't monster movies, that weren't hack and slash slasher movies, that were. Oh, a blind girl and a deaf guy. Mm. No, a blind guy and a deaf girl. Like, oh yeah, <laughs> like those two movies uh, presented the the slasher suspense film in a unique way, mm. but didn't do enough to change the genre, or didn't do enough to move away from the genre. To Still make. pretty tropey. Yes, yeah. exactly. And all the all the trope benchmarks of the genre when they were hit in Ten Cloverfield Lane went the other way. Yes. And, I, and I really appreciated that. Uh, great soundtrack, uh, great use of the cinematography in it was um, simple, but for a bottle film, it made every angle interesting. I love the art direction in it, um, and I love and I, I like this notion that there could be an anthology of these movies that have nothing to do with each other mm. except the Cloverfield brand. Yeah, because the connection to Cloverfield is not it's not like the, yeah. there is no connection to that original Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. I had even tried to sell this movie to someone to, Oh, you got to see this. Well, I didn't see the first one. You don't have to see the first one. <laughs> um, but please uh, counterpoint me here. Like what, what was it that you didn't, you kind of touched on it earlier, but yeah. Yeah, what, what was it that didn't do it for you in this movie? I think, I think I, you and I agree at least. It, it's funny because nothing you're saying is wrong. I think we both agree on the same points, mm-hmm. but the outcome is different <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> because the third act for me was what where it lost me. Because up to that point, I was like, okay, this is cool. I love a good, smart bottle film mm-hmm. that finds clever ways to keep us at the edge of our seat. Yeah. Because that's so hard to do when you're in one location with three characters. Right. But with the magnitude of John Goodman's performance, and like you're right, the way they wrote uh, Mary Elizabeth, Winstead's character to be, you know, vulnerable, uh, smart, but not in a way where she can MacGyver everything. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think that was the problem of the third act because once she got out, she started MacGyvering everything. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I know you like that little nod at the end, but I was like, where was this in her character from the – I didn't see it develop up to that point. It just kind of like a flip of the switch mm-hmm. at the at the end, and I was it didn't feel sincere to me. And so okay. I know it's like kind of nitpicky because I didn't hate the movie. Mm-hmm. I actually thought – if there was like a top thirty or whatever, it'd be in there. Um, but I don't know. It didn't. It didn't do enough for me at the end. Like the first two was like, yes, mm-hmm. this is an awesome movie. But that third act, yeah, it was. A, it was just what, what I, I and I said I didn't care for that third act because once it reached that point, I was like, eh, what are they doing here? Yeah. In that last moment, I appreciated the direction, mm-hmm. and as much of an homage as uh, the first two parts of the film are, yeah. two thirds of it as as. Classic bottle film, very um, outer limitsy, uh, Twilight Zoney. Um, I'm not, won't say Hitchcocky at all, but that that ending kind of playing on almost B movies and um, Martian movies of the 50s. Yes, 
that, that of what War of the Worlds thinks it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like Spielberg's <laughs> War of the Worlds. It was those elements that I was that I could appreciate. And I I like that the three X structure was was played with in that fashion. So I, I completely understand why you don't like it. Yeah. But from from a filmmaker's point of view, I, the challenge of trying to execute a script like that was so fascinating to me that yeah. I was like, I want to make a movie like that. And and seeing Ten Cloverfield Lane helped me create my list. Okay. Once I saw that and had this idea of like I want to make a movie like this, that helped me develop the rest of my list. Ah. So did you see it recently or? Yeah, I just okay. Yeah, it, it, there's, uh, yeah, it's. There's my number five. Knock me out of the water. What's your number five? All right, number five. (laughs) This is when we get into the prestige movies. (laughs) So this kind of it's it's floating a little bit still, but it's not getting the buzz. I think it's it got really got buried because of all the movies that are coming out this last month. But my number five is Loving. Ah, did you get to see this? I'm cooking my head no. He's shaking his head no, folks. This was the last movie on my watch list. Okay. It's been sitting – it's right there on the computer ready to hit play. Ah, oh, dang. And had I not been busy this morning, yeah, I would have watched it before you came over. Totally understand. So this – this uh, another example of I just didn't see it, so I don't know yeah. where I would have put it. But you had spoken highly of this movie when it came out. I did. Um, I know it's a lot because it's personal stuff, but um, this movie is about interracial relationships in the 1960s, Virginia. And um, there were uh, it was highly rampant uh, in that county in, in Virginia. To this day, to th- <laughs> is it to this day? <laughs> no, I'm just oh. <laughs> Ra- racism in Virginia. Come Raci- on, what? <laughs> <laughs> but there were a, a lot of anti-miscegenation laws where a black man or black man, white woman, white woman, white man, black woman, yeah, something like that. Um, they can't marry each other because yeah. of these anti-miscegenation laws. And the story follows the character of uh, Mr. and Mrs. Loving, played by Joel Edgerton and Ruth Nega. He directed it, didn't he? Did, did Joel Edgerton direct this movie? No, it's um, – gosh, why am I forgetting all the director's <laughs> names? I like him – oh, Jeff Nichols. Okay. I like him a lot. Uh, Mutt, if you've seen that. With uh, yes, Gunnett. he wrote and directed it. Yes. Okay. He's fantastic. And, and this type of movie, it's a biopic. It's based on a court case. It could easily have gone the way of something like The Help. Or <laughs> <laughs> yes, it could be either super dry or it could have been like this super melodramatic uh, movie of the week type of thing you see on Lifetime or CBS. And man, what's up with me at anti-CBS today? <laughs> um, but... Free State of Jones is one of those examples of, like, boring. I forgot that came out this year. (laughs) (laughs) This is something that doesn't really hit you over the head with it, Mm -hmm. with all the the themes that are kind of surrounding it. It's very subdued, very restrained. It's probably the quietest film I've seen all year because all – just like what we were talking about in these these genre uh, beats where you expect this thing to happen, you know, she's going to cry here, he's going to yell here, they're going to fight here. Mm -hmm. None of that happens. Okay. It's almost anti-climax the movie. <laughs> and <laughs> I know that will rub people the wrong way because they want, like, like comeuppance to certain racist characters or they want, like, to see the outcome of this trial, blah, blah, yeah, blah, this yeah. and that. <clears throat> Even though they talk about this trial throughout the entire film, you don't see the trial. Oh, okay. Which is a very interesting and, choice. And this is based on a court case in particular? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so R- Richard Loving marries Mildred Loving in Virginia and, you know, 
the the county tries to stop it because mm-hmm. they don't believe it's morally just. And so the, it's not right. It's man. not right. A black woman, a not white man, one drop. It's not America. <laughs> so they they were forced to leave the county to raise their family outside of Virginia because. Uh, if they were to do that in Virginia again, they would be thrown into prison, <laughs> which Jeez. is insane to think about because it was – it's funny. Like I'm, there's a little bit of a tangent, but – How dare we, you? We, <laughs> I'm sorry. When we think about slavery, racism, civil rights, whatnot, mm-hmm. we talk about it as if it was this fantastical thing that happened ages ago, mm-hmm. years ago that never would have affected us. But you think about it, 1960s. A little bit more than 50, 60 years ago. Not yeah. even that long yet. Our, our parents were alive back then. Yeah. That's nuts. <laughs> and so to kind of to kind of watch this as a millennial at this time and being in a interracial uh, partnership myself, mm-hmm. I was really moved. You know? I, it might have – it could have – I don't know if it could have been a better movie, but it was the perfect movie for me to watch at the time. Yeah. Because I felt touched by the issues and and how they handled it in, with such grace and tact, it didn't feel like like yelling the movie, you know, like <laughs> this is wrong. We all know it's wrong, but show us why, how, and why we got up to this point, you know. Mm-hmm. And and what was so inspiring was the loving's love for each other. Like that was the entire movie was about their relationship and their dynamic and how they managed to survive this ordeal yeah. by sticking with each other. Just the preview is so powerful. I can't yeah. even tell itself like. Um, and and it is a poignant story now because mm-hmm. there's there's it's not right men can't marry men yes like it's not right women mm-hmm. can't marry women it's like I I see issues brought up now like in the news and and and, and when people are discussing like that not being right or transgender law or LGBTQ rights and uh, uh, blank lives matter like mm-hmm. blank I meant like un, like there's I'm filling the blank oh yeah <laughs> not that yeah no, I got I got you. <laughs> And I and I see that stuff. I'm like, why is this still an issue? Yeah, have we not moved on? <laughs> <laughs> so I see something like loving, mm. and it's still poignant. Yeah, because people still have this attitude of, like, we should be able to dictate who you love. Yes, but no, you can't. <laughs> you can't dictate who who anyone loves. That's just not how it works. And it's such a strange hypocrisy that circulates in these echo chambers that are these communities because, mm. like, we they keep preaching. Why keep pointing out your differences? We're all the same. But when it comes to treatment and to, like, um, things that we feel like it should be an everyday privilege to every American, like marriage, someone has to have a say. (laughs) Why? You know, and that's what was so upsetting when I was watching this movie. But what was a powerful reminder that, you know, (laughs) I don't want to say love conquers all because that's super cheesy. But Mm -hmm. in a way, love can get you through a lot of things. It was very very prevalent and very um, touching mm-hmm. to see in this movie, especially through the – man, these two actors were so good. Joel Edgerton and, and – um, uh, Ruth Naga. I have to Nega. say it really slowly because it could be a different word. <laughs> <laughs> but they they bring such a graceful sensitivity to these roles because it could have easily been – Anything else under under the hands of a less competent director, right? So and, and and we discussed earlier how the Birth of a Nation was a disappointing film, and it's yeah. something like Loving, um, which I assumed was a better representation of some similar thematic elements. You know, you yes. can correct me if I'm wrong. Absolutely, I think it's because the thing about Nate Parker is he was a first time director, mm-hmm. and he was juggling many hats. He was a producer, director, writer, and an actor, and the main character, yeah, and the main character, and it it all seemed unfocused in the Birth of a Nation, and 
and the thing also like is so heavy handed, <laughs> <laughs> super heavy handed. And this this was done. This was handled with such a strong and assured hand by Jeff Nichols, and you could tell this guy's a veteran. He's been around, even though he's only like a thirty something. Yeah, but he's he has such assured guidance in his direction, and you could tell through a performance too because it's so restrained. Mm-hmm. There's. I mean, characters cry, but it's not like a like a heavy sobbing, <laughs> just like I'm gonna scream to the heavens type of thing. You know, it's just like, you know, when you have those intimate. That's the thing. It's such an intimate movie. Mm-hmm. You're almost like it, it's as if you're in the partner a partnership with the Lovings as well. Yeah, which was such a. It's so hard to capture on a film because film is such a passive experience. Mm-hmm. And to be able to be engrossed in it and to feel like you're part of this story and you're along on the journey with these characters, I think that's an achievement in itself, even as small and as low-key as this film was. Did it, like, okay, did it make you cry? Yes or no? You don't remember? Okay. <laughs> did, did you leave the movie feeling uplifted or yeah. heartbroken? It was kind of bittersweet. Okay. All right. Uh, that, I mean, you don't have to elaborate because yeah. I, I, there's certainly – I want people to watch these movies and, yeah. and I want to see it too. So <laughs> I'm just curious because it seemed like a movie that would really – Get my heart a beating. <laughs> it, it will. It definitely way. will. Yeah. But yeah. good, good. I, I want to feel alive. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's my number five. All right, <laughs> number five. I think I've said enough. Like, I it's, it's just a really good understated film, and I wish there were more like it. Okay. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, moving on to my number four, whoop, whoop. Uh, and also delving into this category of of being impressed by the craft of filmmaking, being impressed by by the direction. Um, that and the writer director who made this film and being just floored by the fulfillment of a concept of an idea and and paying this beautiful tribute to classic cinema as well as the the universal and timeless idea of following one's dreams and what do you sacrifice for those dreams? My number four is La La Land. I'm assuming you saw this, and I did. okay, and we'll we'll see if it appears anywhere else. Uh, but uh, for for my for my take on this, okay, I've been wanting to hear what you thought. Yeah, about this. yeah. Um, and initially, I went in with 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 too 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 many people built this up for me, so oh, okay. I, I didn't have a Lego experience here. I didn't ah. have a Lego. Movie. I did not have that <laughs> okay. experience. Um, right from the get, that musical number, the the color palette, the art direction, the style of this film is in the vein of like one of my favorite films ever is uh, White Christmas. The, okay. The er, Big er, Crosby, right? Yeah, uh, Bing Crosby, Danny Kaye, uh, Rosemary Clooney. I, I love that movie. I love Mary Poppins. I love old school musicals. I know you yourself, you love Sound of Music. But the Sound of Music, I don't even think, fits into that tap dancing old school musical stylings of, of the Bob Hope era. Yeah. Um, it's less Broadway-y. Yeah. broadway <laughs> And uh, Damien Chazelle. To, who who made Whiplash, which is one of the best movies of the past five years? Yeah, uh, I've watched that again recently, and I still love that movie. It's, it's so good. good. Did you see? Uh, sorry, this is off topic. <laughs> it's okay. Did you see the uh, uh, notes from the screenplay uh, recent essay on that, comparing it to Black Swan? Yes, yes, yes. Very, very good. Uh, yeah. For those listening, if you want to see a great video essayist, uh, notes of the screenplay is the screenplay version of Tony Zhao's. Um, uh, every frame of painting, which yes. is is the view of an editor. Anyhow, La La Land is just this beautiful throwback to classic musical th- 
theater cinema. Mm. Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone have all the charisma in the world. Like they, I can't not watch them up on screen. And Gosling, I think Gosling keeps getting better and better. Yes. <laughs> that guy is so underrated. Mm. He has so much talent. For someone who started as a mouseketeer with Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, <laughs> and to, to be in the position... Never forget! <laughs> the position he is in now. But the the message of the movie, that the, the conversation of what do you sacrifice for your dreams, and this movie offering up this perspective of you can have what you want, but you may lose what you really wanted. Yeah. Or vice versa. You both can have what you want, and you both can win. Like the having been through long-term relationships, uh, having been someone who's been out here for almost, uh, who's been out here for nine years now in in Los Angeles, and pursuing my dream, and someone who who's always in pursuit of creativity and inspiration and and achievement of of my craft of a storyteller. I could really appreciate watching these two characters struggle for that, as superficial as elements of this movie can come off i i don't think i i know because of how complex damien chazelle can write a script based Mm -hmm. on whiplash that the superficiality of these two young 20 somethings who seemingly have everything struggling (laughs) to get their dreams that superficiality is part of the genre that damien chazelle is playing in yes it's the final moments of tying all the themes together that show the true depth of what La La Land is. Yeah. It is a fun musical ride, and the characters are, are cute mm. and sweet. There's there's much deeper storytelling happening in the subtext of the film, and it's all put into this beautifully packaged homage to musical th- music musical cinema. Mm. And therefore, I'm making it my number four, 2016. Yeah. That's a solid pick. I, I question whether it will appear later on your list. So I don't want to look you in the eye and throw it away. So <laughs> I won't look at you either. We, we may have a further conversation on this. I think we should just do this to with our backs turned to each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, well, it's your number four. All right. Going on to my number four. This one I know a ton of people haven't seen because I saw it at a festival. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it got distribution, unfortunately. Ugh. But it's my lone duck. On my list, your lone doc, um, and it's it's called Bad Rap. Oh, okay. Have you heard of this? I have heard of this. Okay. How do I know this? Um, directed by a first time director, I forgot her name, but she's an upcoming doc director. It follows four Asian American rappers. Bad rap. That's why I knew it. <laughs> four Asian American rappers trying to make it in the rap scene, and as all we all know, it's a African American uh, dominated industry. Is it? i had to think about that for a moment wait am i missing something (laughs) but yeah and so they're trying to they're trying to make it in and it's funny because i actually know a couple of these people like aquafina and i don't know them personally they're like acquaintances but aquafina and dumbfounded two great artists you know extremely hilarious because uh it's funny because dumbfounded comes from the barrel rap scene so he, like, freestyles. He, like, does a lot of, like, battle rap in the underground circuit where he, like, you know, they insult each other and yeah. stuff like that. It's very interesting. It's very – I don't know. There's, I, I used to watch battle rap all the time because there's just this cool, vicarious feel to it because I was such a a shy kid. Like, I, to not, see other people insulting each yes. other. Yes. Like, I, I, I wish I could do that. In the most creative way, though, because I always I, – I'm in love with words, but mm-hmm. – 
I was never confrontational, and that was like my my vehicle to be confrontational. <laughs> it was battle rap. But Aquafina is like the lone female figure, and it's so cool to see her evolution right now because she's going to be in the female Ocean Eleven reboot. She's I'm rolling my eyes at that. I mean, good, <laughs> good for her, but come on. Yes. I, with reservation, but happy for it nevertheless. <laughs> but this doc is cool because it explores the sector of, you know, American pop culture that we don't really see the side of. Is like, you know, other folks want to be rappers too, but how do you go about that without seeming cheesy or corny or like a gimmick? Right. Oh, he's an Asian rapper. I love documentaries that address like a, a story like that. Like Fistful of Quarters is is the underdog story. It's, it is <laughs> yeah. Rocky with Donkey Kong, right? Like, <laughs> That, Subcultures, that, yeah. yeah. So to to hear about this, this sounds this sounds neat. This sounds cool. And it, yeah, and they don't really explore it in the doc, but it's such an interesting thing to because Asian America and hip hop, there has been a long time marriage that we haven't really thought about. It's just it just is. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know why I love hip hop so much. I don't have I didn't have black friends growing up, but it was an interesting insight into that culture, but from a distance. It was like looking looking from a window. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking in and so just seeing this and just seeing it how it affects you know the community and stuff like we've loved we've loved hip-hop for so long i'm just wondering like how do we move forward with like certain things like anti-blackness within the community and whatnot yeah, yeah. and doing it in an artful manner i think it, it addresses that offhand in the doc which was <laughs> really cool and um i don't know i kind of personally relate a lot because there were moments in my career when I was questioning, am I choosing the right path yeah, or yeah, industry yeah. because of who I am? And, you know, I've had people told me, you know, no one wants to hear Asian stories or whatnot. Shut up. People close to me. <laughs> right, that, is, that is ridiculous beyond all ridiculous. There should never be a qualifier. Like, I, I – <coughs> you talk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> And obviously, a lot of it is internalized, you know, white supremacy or like things that make you feel like you're not you're nothing more than a number. And I don't blame anyone for it. I understand that it's issues rooted much deeper than all we all know. It's it's deeper than what I know, but like it still affects me. And just seeing this and seeing these people so passionately trying to go after something they love, but it's not something that culturally mm-hmm. was cultivated for them to like you know grow up around and whatnot because yeah. like my parents they still think rap is for the devil or whatever <laughs> <laughs> i don't think rap's for the devil but for over a year now every time i hang out with chad he only listens to rap <laughs> <laughs> and i'm uh, and it's gangster rap that's all he listens oh, to I, I see his playlist like when he posts on facebook i'm like man chad you're so funny <laughs> <laughs> it's all dr dre and he's, he's not being ironic he's yeah. the only like he loves it i'm like you don't need to hear this now um, but to, to, to go back to, like, no one wants to hear Asian stories, that's yeah. dumb. To say something like that is dumb because it's not – there shouldn't be a qualifier. Do you want to hear a story? That's yes. it. It doesn't matter what type of – do you want to hear a story? Here's a story. That's how yes. I sell your life story series when I when I talk to people about it. I'm like, oh, you want to hear a cool story? Mm-hmm. You want to hear someone's cool story? Uh, watch this. Like, it has nothing to do with whether they're Asian or black or whatever. It's mm-hmm. just like, let, let me tell you a good story. Yeah. That, I, I love documentaries for that because – they offer up cool stories. Yes, in a very, in a very voyeuristic POV, you know, like because Ish. we don't get to live these lives, but you get to follow them yeah. via these docs. <laughs> and 
it's it's such an interesting method of storytelling that I wish I could explore more. You are you've you've been exploring it rather well. Oh, to, thank to, you. To give you some credit, <laughs> I, Tia asked me earlier today, like, what is what is Ben exactly? Like, what is his title? What is I'm like, and I was my uh, writer, director, editor, uh, producer. He's a documentarian. Oh, uh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a mad scientist. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know, like. Other than just, like, personal stuff that touched me from watching this doc, it was a riot to watch. It's freaking hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> they, like, rag on each other and stuff like that. And, like, just, like, oh, it's still so – it's funny because it, in the <clears throat> culture of hip-hop, it's it's so competitive, you know. And even even though these guys are fighting for table scraps, they're still fighting for it. And I don't know. It's just a – Really entertaining look at a subculture that you didn't think it exists. Cool. I, I hope this ends up on Netflix or anywhere else on streaming because I'm, I'm, I, I'm fascinated. This would be a perfect Netflix doc, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see it. It doesn't even have any sort of tomato score or anything. Yeah, it's so low key, and I, I wish more people saw it because it was a really well made doc. It wasn't like yeah, I mean, yeah. I, Sal- Salama Korama was the editor, director, cinematographer. She's the documentarian, um, or he, she. He. Oh, I mean, she, she, sorry, she. she. She was the documentarian who made this, and she did everything. <laughs> and if I don't know if I remember correctly, but I think she's a recent graduate from UCLA Film School, too, which just makes it more the impressive. Good job on you. Young yeah. Lady. <laughs> so that's my number four, Bad Rap. All right. Well, moving into the top three here. Uh, continuing on. Well, it, this goes hand in hand with what I was just saying, that you, you want to hear a good story. Mm. I cannot find one thing wrong with this movie. Ooh. And the, w- coming into the top three here, now now I'm playing with, like, personal preferences and <clears throat> my, my my thesis of ins- inspiration and whatnot. I, I I picked this and put it in the three slot for for reasons for the other movies, blah, 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 whatever. I don't know. What's, there's nothing wrong with this movie. This is some of the best acting of the whole year. This is one of the tightest scripts I have ever seen. The direction of this film. You know what? I'll, I'll pick one minor criticism. Some of the editing choices, uh, uh, because of the camera work in this movie, were a little, like, just, just probably could have been a little sharper. Mm. Moonlight. This movie. That's also my number three. All right. Okay. We can. Overlap. We, we finally <laughs> had overlap. Now we, can, now we can discuss it. This movie blew me away. I could. I had no. I, I saw one review of mm-hmm. it that. The, the reviewer's like, I can't, I will not spoil anything about this movie. Go see this movie. And it's a, and it's a reviewer I trust. So I, I sought this movie out, and I saw it, and I have, it was so moving, so incredible. This is the story of Little, or <laughs> what, uh, uh, he, he goes through three names of it. It's, it's Little Chiron. Chiron yeah. and Black. Black. Boom. Boom. Little Chiron and Black. It is the story of one, one individual over the course of three points in his lifetime, played by three different actors. And it's this journey of self-discovery and and how the world can change a person over the course of their of 10, 15, 20 years of their life. It is, you're talking about intimate filmmaking before, uh, uh, hitting on themes that The Birth of a Nation just missed the mark on, mm-hmm. that this movie explores to an incredible degree, and in that this is a black boy. Yeah. And the culture that he's in, engrossed in coming from a crackhead mother and living in the drug culture and fighting against that and then succumbing to it to 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 suffering the the suffering 
what culture throws upon him. Oh my god, this movie crushed my soul. It was yes. so good. <laughs> and it's so quiet and it's incredibly Oh god, I, I please, what you share some of your thoughts on this movie too. It's uh, yeah, we have an overlap. <laughs> yeah, that that's so awesome that we do because I feel exactly how you feel. I, and the top 3 are so strong that I didn't know how to order it, you know. Mm-hmm. Because you're right, there's there's this is a flawless film. This is our only overlap, I guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I love how introspective the perspective this film was and what and loving was quiet and this was quiet as well but it it was a fuller richer experience in that quiet Mm -hmm. if that makes any sense because i well i i can uh, please uh, i think i can uh, from what i understand of loving you were sitting there taking the journey with with them from an outsider's perspective moonlight you are in this journey exactly you are you are chiron you're in the shoes and you are Hand in hand with this guy. Yeah. I'm, like, chilled by this movie. Yeah, just even thinking about it, just, it's so deeply moving. It's beyond moving. And, you know, just listening to Barry Jenkins talking more and more about his influence, he's, he keeps referencing Wong Kar Wai and In the Mood for Love and Chunking Express, which is which makes so much sense because the way this movie is colored, the neon colors, mm-hmm. and, like, just the general restraint moodiness you, like, you can just sense the broody moodiness but without having to say one word mm-hmm. and it, it's just like having that that you know i was a really quiet kid growing up so i could really relate and all these because this is another simple coming of age story you yep. know yes it but is. but they do things that you don't expect from this kind of movie because when he gets bullied or whatever especially when the bully comes to him and, and like after school and faces him face to face and dares him to hit him or scream at him or whatever, he doesn't do anything because he's too afraid of the repercussions. He's too little. That's Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's a very real feeling, and I'm I'm so impressed by how they captured it in mm-hmm. such a restraint and tactful manner. And what I really love about this film as well is because uh, we were talking about black suffrage films. Mm-hmm. This is definitely a film in a setting like that, but it's not – Nothing about that. Nothing like oh, oh, the poor black people or whatever. Yeah. It's like this is a very unapologetic black story, but told through a black lens and in a very sincere way. Because, and like I was talking about when I was prefacing the list about how it emotionally really moved me. Like this, this was an honest story. Mm-hmm. This, this is basically autobiographical, according to Barry Jenkins, because his mom was a crackhead too. Uh, yeah, and That's, yeah. It's a, it, this is so relatable mm-hmm. to anyone who who has um, some more empathetic, uh, someone who is a more sensitive individual, mm-hmm. and to to portray this life of this black man, this black boy, yeah. in in a culture that f- looks down upon sensitivity. Yes. Um, to go into the bigger scope, to look at masculinity and yes. sensitivity, that masculinity and sensitivity can't go hand in hand. Yeah, it's more than just a black culture thing. It's a, it's an American societal thing. Yeah, that we all we all must, be, you know, the the older generation, y'all must be John Wayne. You mm-hmm. must be the stoic badass. Yeah, like, uh, you you must be Schwarzenegger. You must be Stallone. You must be a man. <laughs> and like this journey of this of this boy to to manhood, th- th- this movie is everything boyhood thinks it is. That. Thank you. That's exactly my thoughts when I was watching this entire movie because it's it's a similar structure. You yep. get to follow the singular character through different phases of his life. Mm-hmm. 
was done in such a less gimmicky way. Yeah, there's no yeah. there's no pretense to mm-hmm. this film. It's it is the exploration of a human being, of a human yeah. of a human boy. For for a list that I have that is so full of strong female characters and no joke no joking here, like mm-hmm. Judy Hopps, like how I felt Mary Elizabeth Winstead was in Ten Cloverfield Lane. This is one of the best male protagonists in in of the year for me. Yes. Because it, it just explores the crushing pain of falling in love and understanding who you are and and existing in this in in such a world that that you have to fight against to be yourself. Yeah. Uh, it's presented in three chapters. You have Little, you have Chiron, which is his birth name, mm-hmm. and then you have um, Black. Yes. And uh, and based on those chapters, he he truly discovers who he is mm-hmm. in the Chiron chapter. Yeah. He, and that's the chapter named after him. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't truly embrace that till the final moments of the whole film. Yeah. And, like, I, I couldn't even get up when the movie ended. No, I... <laughs> I just sat there like, no one look at me. <laughs> I just need a moment to absorb the power yeah. of something so... It, it, this is the loudest whisper of a film mm-hmm. for the whole year for me. Ah, that's such a great way to put it. <laughs> I, I've been putting out this movie... Like half because I couldn't. Every time I tried to go to a certain theater, they they pull it right away, because unfortunately not a lot of people were watching it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then secondly, I was like, I got to be emotionally prepared because I know this is going to be one of those drainers in yeah. a good way, <laughs> <laughs> in a good way, of course. But <clears throat> so many, just so many memorable performances, like Mahershala Ali who plays. Juan, the dr- the the sensitive drug dealer. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you may know him as Catmouth from Catmouth from Luke Cage, yes. and I believe he's in House of Cards too. But I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, wow! D- just for a character who's on the screen for a mere ten to fifteen minutes, he's not even in the rest of the movie past the first act. What a presence he left! What a footprint he left! The the choices that he made, the direction that. It was given to him, especially that table scene when, oh. um, <laughs> uh, when uh, Little, Little asks him yeah. about uh, an, uh, a word that is derogatory to the gay community. Mm-hmm. You know, um, asks him about that word. He's like, and you know, you would think in a very hyper black masculine uh, community, the reaction would be like, "Oh, don't say that. That you're not that." Blah blah blah. Yeah. Well, he responds in a very like thoughtful manner he actually takes the time to think about it and, and responds like well you could be that and there's nothing wrong with that but that's up to you mm-hmm. to discover who you really are that i can't say who you are and stuff like that it was such a, a another movie i watched in my marathon of trying to catch up, catch up was demolition starring jake gyllenhaal mm-hmm. there's a scene in the movie where he's kind of he's been hanging out with this woman and her son and her son is he's 15 16 years old and he's like and he asks, do you think i'm gay yeah, and Jake Gyllenhaal was like, "I don't know. Do you like boys?" Mm. <laughs> and, they, and they have this conversation, and it ends with Jake Gyllenhaal saying, "Like, well, if you are, maybe don't tell anyone for a while and mm. just hide it and, yeah. and and bury it deep and wait till you're in college and then you can be who you are." Yeah, and which is kind of the antithesis of the conversation, right? <laughs> like, where it's like, "Look, <laughs> you got to be who you got to be." Yeah. And and how you want to do that is up to you. Like I, that's not what he says in Moonlight, but yeah. the, the message is different. Right? Yes, yeah, totally. And and Little and Juan's relationship was so pure and honest. You know, given the circumstance and our assumptions of what what those people would be like in that kind of society, mm-hmm. he he never hid anything from him, even to the point when Little asks, you know, are you a drug dealer? 
does my mom do drugs? And he put the two and two together. You know, yeah. you're my mom's drug dealer. Yeah. And he walked away from the dinner table and he, Juan just silently sobs to himself, and that's the end of the first act. Yeah. I was like, holy crap. He's nominated for Best Supporting Actor, Mashar Ali. Yes. Yeah, for Gold Rightfully Rose. so, yeah. um, because that was probably the most moving moment of any movie in of this year for me. Like, I, I watched that. I was, I was devastated. Yeah. Absolutely devastated. <laughs> because, like, Ugh. just seeing them, you know. Exhausting. <laughs> just prior, before, like, maybe 15 minutes before that scene, you know, they were – they were on the beach. He was teaching him to swim, and it was just conveying so many of these great, you know, fatherly images. Mm-hmm. And it was just so deeply uh, heartfelt. Mm-hmm. And that's just what I love about this movie and these performances. Because yes, there's certain parameters where you got to make these kind of coming of age movies, and you got to hit these certain beats and notes and whatnot. Yeah. But there's so you can inject your own nuance. You know, there's. You shouldn't be afraid of that, and this movie is brave enough to tackle those things. It's, this is inspired. This is brave. This is uh, unique and yeah. original. If you are an actor, watch this movie. If you are a writer, watch this movie. Yes. If you want to see direction, watch this movie. Like, There's so much good about this. The little bits, there's a couple editing moments yeah. that were like abrupt, and they didn't quite mesh but that's so minor that mm. like this is a this is a 99.9% movie. For yes. Me. Like, and it, and it was stunningly so because I had no information going into it. Yeah. I just heard it was good. Yeah. I'm like, I, I think I'm going to watch this. as well. And then I saw the nominations of the guy. I was like, okay. All right, I'll check this out. And then, woo, woo. Lo and yeah. behold, we, we didn't even talk about one of the best scenes of the movie. What's it? The diner. Oh, my God. Well, can we talk about it? Well, I, I want people to see this movie. Well, Okay. <laughs> I thought we were doing a spoiler cast. Okay, you can, no, 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 no. yeah, you know what? Go ahead, talk about it. This is a spoiler. It. If you really want to watch the movie, jump down now. Just jump ahead five minutes. Yeah, because this is a pivotal part. But I think what's so great about the third act is because you know he moved away from Miami. Miami. Miami yes. Now he's in Atlanta. And he's a he traps. He's a drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Um, he became one. <laughs> yeah, which was so. Which was the tragic irony. But then you know seeing an old friend from his past, which was his former fo- Kevin. lover, Kevin. His only. His, his only one, lover. His one and only. One and only. Um, seeing them interact, the kind of awkwardness, the hesitation at first, mm-hmm. um, you know, made him little again, which was so interesting because he's this, he's now built, he's like super buff. He and jacks, he's, yeah. uh, Tough street drug dealer guy, you know, intimidates his employees, mm-hmm. but then he becomes that little uh, awkward, shy kid again once yeah. he's around Kevin. And you know, the, the admission uh, I've never been with anyone else. Yeah, oh, that was so. Because you don't expect those words to come out of that man's body. Because yeah. he's a ginormous <laughs> man. <laughs> Sweet Christmas. Sweet Christmas. And the song they play on the jukebox, I think the it's. Sc- oh, the score in this movie. Yeah, oh, yeah it's wonderful. Yeah, also nominated. <laughs> I think the song was called Hello Stranger, which was so fitting because that was their reunion for the first time in like 10 years or whatever. And, like, you know, you expect, like, oh, they're going to have a heated, passionate exchange of love right now. But they don't. They it's just – he's, he's like, just curling up in his arms and just, like, hold me, you know, mm-hmm. essentially. And I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Turn it off. I've had enough. <laughs> and, and, and coming out of that to, to no conclusion that each act ends kind of abruptly. Yeah. But, but with such resonance mm-hmm. that – that the first act ending, like each act ending, the movie ending the way it does. That's why I couldn't get up and move because it was just 
reverberating in my mind, in, yeah. my, in my heart's like, yeah. just how powerful it was. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I, I feel like they must have filmed the entire first act of the movie and then gave the second actor like, watch this, because every one of those actors who plays little to Chiron, who plays Chiron, yeah, you would think that was one dude, because yeah. like, they are just perfection. No, no, like moment of all oh, right. This is so and so. You couldn't even get that boyhood. The guy. Oh, I hate that movie. <laughs> I think. I, sorry, not to interrupt. No, but that's right. I was going to be a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about boyhood for me is like, maybe it's because they were filming it along the way and not really knowing when the conclusion was, and mm-hmm. kind of it was so experimental. Yeah, that's what was frustrating about that experiment because I was like, okay, get to the end, get to the point. Get, well, what's the conclusion? Yeah, yeah. but this one. You kind of knew, and you didn't really want to go there because it was going to be really heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's what was so powerful at the end because, uh, yeah. And I don't know, man. Like this, this was deeply affecting. If it was so good that it could, it's the first, the top three of my list is so good. They're all so good. They could be interchangeable. But this one was one of the most. You know, we we talk about the universality of story a lot, and I, I feel as though that notion or that type of thinking. It's kind of overrated because I think empathy is needed for, for story. Mm-hmm. Roger Ebert says it famously at Sundance, you know, cinema is the machine of empathy. Yeah. How, how we're Obviously, we're not going to be able to live everyone's life or whatever and go their path. But you can try to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, we preach that, but we don't practice it enough. And I feel like cinema is that, that bridge that can, um, you know, or is that gateway that can bridge that gap for us in, into understanding other people yeah. and other lives? Because, you know, I've, I'm only starting to learn about different sexualities and, like, uh, issues in the gay community and whatnot. And I, th- I think this is a beautiful film and a, an achievement for queer cinema. Yeah I, yeah, I couldn't look at the strangers around me without yeah. wondering what their stories were. Yeah. Like that, that, and that happens often. I'll see a movie that will leave me thoughtful and very introspective and very extra, extrospective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but this this left me just wondering about the people around me and the struggles that they're facing. Like yeah. ev- everyone's everyone's on their own journey, right? Like, right. Like, and there's this powerful thing. I forgot who said it, but it was a, a, from a famous gay person who said, you know, you, you might know more gay people than you think. They're mm-hmm. just not brave enough to come out to you. Yeah. And so that – uh, it, it hurts to think about. <laughs> cool. There's Moonlight. Yep. Our, both of our number threes. Both of our number right. threes. I, I know we won't have overlap on our last two here, but I'm going to go to my number two. Okay. Now, uh, now we're moving more into uh, like a movie that inspired me in like, oh, I'd love to make a movie like this. This is, this is uplifting. It's exciting. It's funny. It's got some great drama to it and some incredible performances. And I, I doubt you saw it, but maybe you have. Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People. I didn't get to see it. All right, Hunt for the Wild People, written and directed by Takawatiti. Okay. <laughs> he did, uh, he's one of the Flight of the Concords fellas uh, um, uh, with the show. Um, uh, he's directing Thor 3 that's coming out soon. Okay. He did What We Do in the Shadows last year. This, th- do you know what this movie is even about? I don't even know what it's about. So, Sam, uh, this, Ricky Baker, it's an Australian movie. Oh. Uh, it's a New Zealand movie. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> oh. Fighting words. Ooh, yeah, okay. Sorry about that. Um, Ricky Baker. Rikiwi. Ricky Baker is a juvenile delinquent, 12-year-old kid who's been passed around, and he's got one last, he's got one last chance to be adopted, or he's going to juvie. Okay. And he's adopted by this uh, farmer and her husband, 
played by Sam Neill. Okay. Uh, you can call him Heck if you want. Uncle Heck if you want. <laughs> uh, I'd prefer if you didn't. Sam Neill's so good at this. <laughs> and this kid is so good in this. And uh, what happens is they go off into the the, the New Zealand brush. Hmm. They disappear, and and people think it's a kidnapping. <laughs> and so they the the police are on a are gonna find this guy for kidnapping this kid. And they go on an adventure together out in the wilderness. And it's this coming of age for both these characters. Uh, you may remember St. Vincent was one of my favorite movies of last year. That's Bill the, Murray, the, right? The Bill Murray yeah. one, right? Because it was this alternative coming of age movie between an older man and a young kid. Very similar thematically with Hunt for the Wilder People. This movie is a little bit Edgar Wright and a little bit Wes Anderson. Okay. And, uh, and a little bit of Flight of the Concords. I have no doubt that... that Takawatiti is going to make one hell of a cool Thor, <laughs> Thor, Thor movie because the way he was able to juggle action was much better than like a Wes Anderson movie because Wes has a very stylistic approach to everything he does. It was more in that realm of Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead and ah. like that type of action. And this movie is just sweet and it's got a sensitivity to it and the the humor just... Just uh, seek out the trailer for this. There's a great moment in the trailer alone where, where like, the woman who's hunting them down is like, I'm going to get you. I'm like the Terminator. <laughs> and Ricky Baker's like, no, I'm more like the Terminator than you are. She's like, no, no, I'm like the Terminator. You're like Sarah Connor in the first movie before she could do the chin-up. <laughs> it's so sharp. It's so yeah. witty. It's so much fun. And I, I watch a movie like that. I'm like, I want to – this is part of that theme of, like, I would love to make a movie like this because it's, it's a great escape. But it still has this this very sweet drama to it, mm. and and the characters explored in just Ricky Baker and Uncle Hector or Heck <laughs> and Sam Neill, masterfully performed by Sam Neill, and and guiding this young kid actor to go toe to toe with a, a, a vet of film and television like Sam Neill, it's it's just such a great wonderful film that completely shocked the hell out of me because yeah. I, I had no no sense of it I had no idea I watched it and like maybe 15 minutes into it I'm like this is one of my favorite movies of the year and as it, as it played out the pacing on it's great the editing on it's great and, and all the the beats hit just right and it's it's just a wonderful movie yeah um, and, and, I'm, and I'm making it my number two dang yeah Man, you're making me really want to watch it. It's so much fun. I can yeah. I can send you a link to stream it as well. I, I have yet to <laughs> <laughs> watch it. I, I, yeah. It's great. It's great. It certainly doesn't have the depth of something like Moonlight. Yeah, <laughs> like s- certainly not trying to say that. And it, it doesn't even explore like deeper themes like something like La La Land did. Yeah. But the 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 journey of a, of a, of Two individuals and finding their way in literally in the world, yeah, um, was just so sweet and wonderful, and and left me feeling great. It's it, it's a it has that that uplifting feel of something like Moana or Zootopia, where it ends and you've been on this journey and you feel like refreshed and and just happy about it. Yeah, and I and everyone needs a little bit of sunshine in their lives every now and then, right? Especially this year. <laughs> <laughs> So Hunt for the Willard People, please check that out. Okay. Yeah. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Dude, I have no idea what your number one's going to be. Yeah. I don't think you do. <laughs> and, and you probably will, might not like my number one, but we'll oh, see. Oh, Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> number two, Ben. Number two. 
I literally watched this today. Oh, okay. <laughs> and right. and once I saw it, I was like, holy crap, cinema is not dead. <laughs> <laughs> and it's Park Chan Wooks of uh, of old boy fame, mm-hmm. The Handmaiden. Ah, this was on Brace's list, I believe. Yes, I I think it's it's also his number two. Okay. And so my number two movie is The Handmaiden. It's a Korean lesbian erotic thriller. What? It's it's the <laughs> most it's what it's probably the most insane movie I've seen all year. But the story the story leans heavy on melodrama, but good melodrama. Okay. And right. and ha- the best way for me to describe it is like uh, one of your top ten films uh, from a few years past, Side Effects. Mm. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. It's it's got that intrigue. It's got that. Uh, it's not like a murder mystery, but it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. It's a who done it type of thing, or who's gonna get who? Because like, the premise is these two con artists are trying to con this wealthy woman uh, into marrying the male con artist so they can gain the inheritance, and then the two con artists runs away with the inheritance. Yeah. It's a very the the A story is very simple, mm-hmm. and the first act it plays very simply too, and so you're like, okay, this is enjoyable. Once the second act hits, and there's that huge twist that comes in that you don't see at all, and it's Gone like, Girl esque, very, and it's, it's, to put it, one critic puts it perfectly. It's deliciously perverse. Okay, <laughs> and I'm not one for erotic thrillers by any means, but there's, there's something about sexuality in this film that's very fascinating because mm-hmm. it explores two things. One, uh, women using it as a weapon mm-hmm. to persuade or get their way and stuff like that, especially in like a crime caper like this film. Very cool. It's it's uh, empowering sexuality, not so much exploitation. You don't really see it through a male gaze, even though it's a male director. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and another thing is like the the lesbian aspect of it. It's it's actually a discovery, self discovery of identity. Hmm, okay. Like one of the women, they actually end up falling in love and it was actually it was shockingly tender mm-hmm. when i watched it, i was moved oh. this is a love story <laughs> out of in this insane crime caper that's suddenly ex- yeah extremely <laughs> violent extremely sexual mm-hmm. it's it's a sweet tender love story at its core and by the end of it i i was i felt moved like this forbidden love especially in this it's a period piece it's during a Japanese occupied Korea, so sometime during between oh, World okay. War and World War Two, very conservative, uptight, rigid culture. Um, these two women find each other and you know try to, to find a way to like navigate this world that they're living in that doesn't like their love, and also trying to like deal with this you know, double crossing crime caper murder <laughs> mystery type of thing going on. So <laughs> so contradictory. It's so, it's, it's yeah. so fascinating. It's on paper. It's extremely convoluted, but in execution. Well, I, I trust yeah. Park Chan Wook because, like, Old Boy is a is a well crafted film and another super twisted movie yeah, too. <laughs> twisted is the best way to put it. <laughs> so I, I trust someone who's capable of crafting that yeah. rose bush into something to take something like that. Sounds really interesting, man. It's so so interesting, so almost, captivating. It's almost three hours long. That yeah, would, it's, be good. it's a very long movie. I, when I was watching, I was like, I was looking at the clock only because I had to get to TC's house, <laughs> but I didn't want it to end because it was such a thrilling ride. Mm-hmm. Thrilling and satisfying. Um, you know, people who get their comeuppance get their comeuppance, but also, like, um, there's no loose ends at all. It's a very tight film. And not only that, like, the art direction, 
Holy crap. We talk about colors and, like, costume design and, and set design and everything. Mm-hmm. Everything just felt – it felt like a different world. I was transported – Wow, look at that. I'm looking at some of the images right now. That, yeah. That green dress alone. Whew, it's just, you feel the textures just watching the movie, and I don't know. It, I think it's one of the best directed films of the year, for sure. Yeah. Like, with with what they had, too. The budget was pretty minimal, like 30 mil American currency, I think. Wow. Um, and, oh, the, the one thing, because, like, what... what I haven't really noticed, uh, other than a few of the my top films... Mm-hmm from this year is that camera was kind of lackluster this year. I don't know if it was just me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty – it's static. There, This movie's constantly moving. It's shot like an action movie almost, but there's there's no action scenes. It, <laughs> it's so fluid in its composition that, I, you know, so there's moments where there's wonners. I don't even know if they're wonners. I one take. I love yeah. that. I love that. That's that's incredible. I love when wonders aren't in your face. Yeah, and it takes like a second viewing to go. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> it's so great because they're conversation pieces too. They don't need to be wonders, but the way they do it, it makes you. It keeps you on the edge of your seat because mm-hmm. like they'll go from one person's point of view to another person's point of view as these two characters are trying to one up each other via dialogue. Yeah, and I'm just like. Oh my gosh! This is like this is like watching a James Cameron movie, but they're using words instead of guns. <laughs> uh, yeah, all in all, The Handmaiden was thrilling. It was captivating. It was tender and sweet, and it'll keep you on the edge of your seat because all these plot there's like plot twists on plot twists on plot twists. I'm just like, oh my gosh! This is like playing Clue. <laughs> Who got it? The Korean version, but Korean Clue. Korean Clue, and man, they Korean cinema. I got I got to give it to them. They have grown leaps and bounds within the last decade alone like because we always talk about old boy but now there's so many great korean films to come out of that industry i'm just i was really uh, was um snowpiercer korean yes yes okay i yeah. don't know who directed that but uh Cha- park chan wook produced Snowpiercer. yeah yeah Woo! yeah so that's my number two that's the number two. handmaiden the handmaiden whoop, whoop. interesting so all right we're, we've come to our number one um uh, we'll recap our list real quick, but uh, interesting. We had one overlap. Uh, yes. Yeah. Very I, fascinating. Like, uh, we'll do our honorable mentions after we do our number one. Okay. I don't want any dead giveaways here. Um, but just to to recap mine, I had Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, mm-hmm. Captain America Three, Civil War, Zootopia, Arrival, Swiss Army Man, Ten Cloverfield Lane, La La Land, Moonlight, and Hunt for the Wilder People. And you had. All right. And my number 10 was The Boy and the Beast. Number 9 was Indignation. Number 8, Hell or High Water. Number 7, Sing Street. Number 6, Moana. Number 5, Loving. Number 4, Bad Rap. Number 3, Moonlight. And number 2, The Handmaiden. I, I, I sense a theme in yours. And now you're talking about mo- movies that move you necessarily. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'd ask you to analyze mine as well. But there was a lot of leaving for self-discovery in your yeah. in your list. Not all of them, but a lot of your a lot of your movies have coming of age themes to them and delve into going to a new place to learn who you are. Yeah. Sing Streets, uh, Boy and the Beast, um, uh, there's a couple other on there as well that I made note of. Um, and I, th- I th- think that's fascinating because I, I, f- I feel if I may couch armchair uh, 
psychology you is that <laughs> this has been a year of self-discovery for you. You've had an incredible – you went to the White House for crying out loud. Oh, like, you. You've, you did keynote addresses. You finished your documentary series for NBC. I feel like this was a, a coming-of-age year for you yeah. from my perspective, obviously. Who the hell am I? But and I think your movies reflect that in, in uh, this your list reflects you really well. Oh, thanks so much, TC. That means a lot. I That's funny that you say that because I was thinking that as I was naming off the list because – you know, I, I preface it with a very vague preface, but as I was reading off the list and kind of talking about these themes more, I come to realize this is reflecting me and, like, what I've come to want in my characters or at least see in other people's characters. Mm-hmm. It's that I, I really enjoy s- stories of not only self-discovery but, like, coming to terms with your identity because, um, I don't know, I, I feel like until this – this year is very transformative for me. Like, I, I think I really know who I want to be and my voice as a filmmaker and a storyteller. And just seeing, you know, Moonlight and Moana and all these characters dealing with who am I mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, whether they find out or not, the, the journey of doing so was very powerful and spoke loudly to me. Yeah. And I think that's why these movies, you know, especially for this year with all the things going on because, I like, a lot of people saw – the good stuff on social media, you know, social media is the machine of perception creating. And yeah, so they, yeah. they build, s- build your world, build your it's world, the Sims people, Come basically. <laughs> and so they saw a world, an aspect of my life where yes, everything was a success. Every day was a win. But I think the latter half of the year was when I struggled the most and to see all these movies that were so introspective and so <clears throat> sensitive, sen- emotionally sensitive. Um, I think I was in a place where I was very vulnerable and I, you know, I started to write a lot and started to think about, okay, what do I want now? Because obviously, good things come to an end. The series ended. I'm kind of at a loss creatively. Yeah. I don't want to be entitled and just expect everything's going to be handed to me. Because this is kind of was handed to me. <laughs> but s- seeing these characters struggle and being able to come out of that black hole made me feel less alone. I think why a lot of these films, even including my number one, is just so powerful. And it just... It moved me on a deeper personal level than any other list. I feel like mm-hmm. of the last few years, and so yeah, that's how I kind of built my criteria. Yeah, <laughs> but um, but looking at your list though, you're like the most prolific of my filmmaker friends, and like you're constantly creating. Every week, I feel like there's a new TC Dewitt short up there. <laughs> and what's so great about these lists is like there is a joy to them. There's like I love. Like, Candace and I make fun of, like, oh, TC's an old curmudgeon now, but you're, you're like... What? Yeah, no. <laughs> just, Talking behind my back. I just mess around. But you have, like, such a youthful spirit, and I feel like you can find a lot of that in this list, and it's, like, that constant curiosity and, and desire and that fire burning within you to want to constantly create. And so I see this list, correct me if I'm wrong, you're finding films that want to keep fueling that fire. And so you've been using the word inspire a lot this mm-hmm. tonight. And like all these films, you, you want to and you want it to have to inspire you within to make those type of films. Yeah, yeah. Like tackle that next challenge, make the next hunt for the Wilbur people or the next <laughs> Moonlight and whatnot. And that's so cool because that's your journey right now. You know, after you know what you've been through and like, the nine years that you've been here, mm-hmm. you've come to the point where you're comfortable with saying, "This is who I am. This is what I, what I want to be," and the trajectory is only up from here. And so that's very reflective in your list. I, I, good, <laughs> I, because I one of one of the curses I feel upon myself is that I can't help but look for the silver lining and everything. I always mm-hmm. look on the upside, even in the worst of times. 
And in the past few months, I've been in a creative lull myself. I've been doubting that I'm even doing the right sh- stuff. Like I, I, we we won so many awards this year for our short films, which is exciting. We've been through a dozen film festivals. I've sold multiple scripts, and I still don't feel like a success. Hmm. Like I, I look at my projects, the stuff that I work on day to day, and I'm like, is this the right? Am I doing the right thing? And then I do see watch, watch movies like these, and I'm like, yeah, I want to do stuff like that. I want to keep making cool stuff, and I want to I want to go bigger. I want to get better, and uh, you know, I'm inspired by your path and I, and I look at my other other filmmaking friends and, and and I want to continue to push them as well as they push me hmm. and, and yeah I, I think my list does create like maybe it, I didn't think of it that way I thought more of just these are unique and fun movies that I wish I could somehow craft myself so um, good I guess I have a good list <laughs> and, and my number one certainly reflects a, a direction I want to go a, to, to look at these other movies and say I want to make something like that mm. this this number one movie and I, and I don't don't take this as ego talking at all I look at something like Ten Cloverfield Lane and Hunt for the Wilder People and in my number one and I think I could make that yeah. it's not that I want to make that I think I could make something like my number one yeah. so my number one I, if we want to discuss our number ones let's do uh, it I'll go first here <laughs> So my number one, like like I just alluded to, is I, I this movie came and went. I didn't even see it, and it, it came and went for everyone. This yeah. movie was in theaters for two weeks, and no one freaking saw it. <laughs> now, granted, you've had lists on your movies that were probably in theaters even shorter than two weeks. Yes. but this was a major motion picture release that nobody saw. Yeah, and when I finally watched it, I could not take my eyes off of it. I could not. There was not a moment that went by in this movie that I wasn't like, yes, that's, <laughs> holy shit. Uh, I, I mentioned La La Land earlier for its paying homage to a more classic era of filmmaking. This movie itself as well uh, is a classic era of filmmaking paid tribute to. Uh, and, okay, I'm just going to say, it's The Nice Guys. Ah, did you see the nice guys? I did. Okay. This, wow, this is kind of a surprise. Now, yeah. Uh, I I I hesitated on this one because I thought you'd be like, I didn't like it. But Shane Black wrote it and directed it. Um, Ryan Gosling, this is, he keeps getting better. I said yeah. that for La La Land. He is this is the funniest performance of the whole year. Yeah. Because and it's not just the the amazingly funny script, the amazingly sharp script that Shane Black created. It is Ryan Gosling's delivery mm. and the stuff he's doing when he's not the center of attention. Yeah. There's so much detail in just his performance that from an actor's perspective and a director's perspective to watch Ryan Gosling through the nice guys, I'm like, that is ace. That is A-plus work right there. Mm. To see Russell Clo- Crowe in a subdued performance <laughs> of this much bravado, yeah. I know that's contradictory, but he's playing – a more tongue-in-cheek version of his L.A. Confidential character. Mm. Uh, the the young girl who's in this, who's, whose name escapes me, she's not even American, and she, that accent is flawless. Yeah. And another child performance that you have to give credit to child performances. Mm. Uh, long takes the, the, the tete-a-tete between these characters. I love the throwback to the noir film, detective films of the 50s, 60s, and 70s that is in this movie. Um, the city of Los Angeles itself feels like the the 70s that this movie is is taking place in. Um, and 
these two protagonists who are not black and white. Yeah. Like, they're not two sides of the same coin. They are even on the same coin. <laughs> and somehow they, they work together. This movie is funny. Mm-hmm. It's Shane Black is just is such a great director that I watch him craft a film like this, and I'm like, I I could I feel like I'm capable of creating this fun and interesting and clever of a film with all the filmmakers I've worked with yeah. over the past six years. And Chad and I, we've uh, in me Chad uh, the other ferment people the redacted people the backflip we've done over fifty. Short films yeah. and over seventy five projects in six years. Woof. That's crazy. And I and and I'm done. I I when I sit and I'm like doubting myself, like, are we doing the right thing? And uh, am I spinning my wheels? And I see something like this. It's like, no, I'm not spinning my wheels. I'm not done. I'm just ready to go big, get bigger here. And, yeah. And move on to the next level. And nice guys inspired me in that fashion. That I I wanted to watch it again right away because I knew I missed a ton of stuff. Mm. And there's certainly some elements of the movie that I could see people criticizing, and I'd love for you to criticize it if you didn't like the movie. Um, but everything that works in this movie—hell, Keith David gets in a fist fight with <laughs> Keith David gets in a fist fight in this movie. <laughs> for that, you should see it. Yeah. Um, the the suddenness of uh, Shane Black has this very interesting style of of the suddenness of a of a sequence. Mm-hmm. Like he, it's not like. Uh, jump scares. He doesn't do jump scares. He yeah. has the action equivalent of of well crafted jump scares, mm. where it's just silence, car crash, yeah, car through a house, mm. um, the lining up dominoes in this very in this detect this cheeky detective story and knocking them down. It's just a well crafted, kick ass, funny, well acted, well directed, great soundtrack, some. Good, some cinematography that's a throwback to the era. Yeah, uh, film, and it's my my favorite movie of the year. Wow, I'm I'm kind of shocked. I mean, I liked it a lot actually. I, it was an honorable mention. Um, I just didn't know where to put it on the list, but maybe maybe tomorrow will be on the list because <laughs> you got me you got me wanting to watch it again because I remember walking out of the theater thinking, man, that was such a whip smart script. Gosh, yeah. I, I mean, why would I expect any less from a Shane Black script? Because like this, this is like the Shane Black I want to see, like the kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Yes, Shane yes, Black. Uh, worth mentioning that as well. Yeah. And shocking, there was no Christmas uh, stuff. There Christmas is. imagery, is there? Yeah, at the last scene. Oh, man, <laughs> <laughs> they got me. He loves Christmas. <laughs> but um, what I really appreciate about this film is because I think people try this thing all the time, all the time, <laughs> and they fail. Not not just the whip, uh, the back and forth dialogue, but using violence as comedy. Because mm-hmm. I think when other folks tend to do it, it becomes exploitative. Mm-hmm. This is just it's like Looney Tunes. It's when uh, when Russell Crowe breaks Ryan Gosling's hand when they first meet. Those or or he's like, <laughs> he's like when you go to the emergency room, tell him you broke your blah 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 blah. blah. <laughs> what do you mean, crack? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> when he breaks into the when he breaks into oh yeah when he when Ryan Gosling tries to you know the the move that you see in the movies all the time when the the guy tries the to glass. crack the glass in the door and try to break into the and he he ends up slitting his so, wrist so he, he, he breaks the glass he, yeah. he punches the glass and he cuts his wrist he goes oh oh man <laughs> oh that's a lot of blood 
And then it's a oh, man. and then smash cut to the, to the ambulance, and you're like, we're losing them. Yeah. <laughs> he tries to get up, and she's like, stay down. It was such a Looney Tunes moment. And I, I think what's so great about that Ryan Gosling performance is it was very physical. He's so good in this. Yeah. I, I, and then I saw this, and then I saw La La Land. Yeah. And that, I just like, Gosling is brilliant yeah and people make fun of him because he's just a pretty boy but mm-hmm. the dude can act he's talented to look at drive and then this and then la la land so multifaceted yeah yeah i mean he's like <laughs> just even the, the the scene when he was on the the can in the and he's trying, trying to shut the door yeah. pull his gun up pull his pants up <laughs> yeah. put the newspaper down yeah it was such a brilliant sequence like physically like <laughs> they pull off a lot of great things in terms of physical comedy in that in that movie and I don't know, just just from beginning to end, there wasn't a moment where I'm like, I, I don't want to watch this yeah, anymore. But no. I want to watch the entire time. And so, yeah, no, Nice Guys, definitely a great movie. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. That's T.C. DeWitt's number one. Number one and I, and of your, your dissection of my list, I think that speaks directly to what you were just saying. Yeah. Like finding a joy in cinema. So are you trying to say you want to make a 1970s-inspired comedy <laughs> caper about a private d- investigator? <laughs> no. <laughs> but just to, to craft a film that works on, ev- on from script to screen, from the performances to the directorial choices to, yeah. to the, the quiet moments being as, 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 as uh, having as much impact as the loud moments and yeah, the physical comedy, the... Like I, I, it's obvious to me. It's obvious to anyone who knows me and sees my work that comedy is important to me. Yes. Humor is important to, to, execution of, messages and and stories mm. and, uh, expertly crafted comedy, in a movie I wouldn't call a comedy. Yeah, is just, I love it. <laughs> but number one. So I I am now interested to hear what your number one is based on your list so far. I probably haven't seen it, <laughs> but maybe I have. Who knows? It's gonna be. It's the next plot twist. <laughs> All right, so we're gonna take a break right here. <laughs> <laughs> so my number one film of 2016 is La La Land. Hey, all right, okay, there yeah. we go. Yes, yeah, some overlap. <laughs> <laughs> and for for a time, La La Land and Nice Guys were my one and two. I okay, couldn't, I couldn't figure out how to place them. Yeah, and I was like, can I really put two Goslings back to back? So please talk about La La Land. So this was another mixed emotions film along the lines of Moana because I do have a problem with the way L.A. is represented in this film and the fact that it's a white dude talking about jazz needs saving. You know, like, there's no, like, non-mean way to put it. But other than that, I just I just feel like that was a very problematic element for the film to me. I just want to preface it with that because that's just something that my friends and I have been talking about a lot. And we were just wondering, you know, like, is this kind of tone deaf? And it is. But having said that. I have a counterpoint to that, but I'll bring it up later. Okay. <laughs> <coughs> having said that. I love the hell of this movie, man. It really touched me. And I, all those things we were talking about personally, especially struggling to find your voice and struggling to make ends meet and struggling to make the craft work mm-hmm. in amongst this, you know, world of having to be an adult adulting <laughs> yeah you know ryan gosling represents the perfect romantic in all of us you know trying to keep that fire alive even if you have to succumb to doing stuff like not gonna sell out yeah 
doing jingle bells in a jazz club. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I mean, there's so many things to talk about this movie, but I'll, I'll start with character and story first. But, um, yeah, they're just, the, both the characters are so, I, Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, oozing charisma, like you said, mm-hmm. and their chemistry is undeniable. I can understand why they've been cast together three times already. Yeah. And this is actually the first movie I liked with them in it, because um, as much as, you know, they were great in all the other movies, this was, like, the, the whole entire package. I like the performance. I like the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the MVP of this movie is Damien Chazelle, hands down. Writer-director yeah. Damien Chazelle, yes. Hands freaking down. Like, the complexity of the blocking of camera and lighting in this film, holy crap! It's a master class for, for a guy who's 31 years old. Yeah. But, you know, I saw Whiplash. I know what this guy is capable of doing. Yeah. You're not wrong. Yeah. The, it is a master class of, of, of direction mm-hmm. in this film. I've directed a musical. <laughs> that shit ain't easy. <laughs> All right, and and uh, I've directed on the stage. I've directed for screen. Yes, and it is not easy. Yeah, and to pull off what he pulled off, that's why I give such a tribute to him to, to capturing the classic, classic cinema, yeah. musical cinema of like Singing in the Rain and, mm-hmm. and White Christmas, like I mentioned before. And it's and what another layer to that is like it contributes to the story mm-hmm. and the momentum where these characters are going trajectorily because it doesn't feel like. Random, like initially, like right off the bat, the first musical number establishes this world as a fantasy, yes. and this is a musical. But it doesn't feel like Glee. It doesn't feel no, like no, no. like Hairspray or whatever modern musical it is of today. Because we we're, we keep just like the Western, we keep asking ourselves, why doesn't this genre work today? Mm-hmm. It's because we keep trying to throw it back to a time or whatever that we used to love of how the genre used to be. Yeah. While this is a homage and a love letter to musical of yesteryears, um, it's not a carbon copy of it. No, not, no, and and it's yeah. that it's it hits the beats of 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 the genre mm. in that the entire world of the movie you're about to watch is established in that first five minutes opening yeah. number, which is what an, an overture should do. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> the overture should paint the entire picture for you. So that you're ready to immerse yourself in the world. Yeah, and I, I was. I don't think you get more immersed than that opening <laughs> number. Like, all right, I'm in. Let's do this. Yes, absolutely. And while Gosling and Stone, they don't have the strongest voices. I thought it was a, it was perfectly represented in this film because mm-hmm. we're trying to get a realistic portrayal of just everyday people, and I feel like it wasn't. That's why it's so relatable because we could have been them, you know. Not oh, saying yeah, we could have yeah. performed those performances. No, 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 no. But the as characters, I yeah, yeah, they weren't exceptional. Mm-hmm. They didn't need to be in this kind of musical because some people were complaining. Uh, it was like if they had like, um, like if Leah Michelle had been the the, yeah. the main, had been Emma Stone's character. Sure, she would have blown the doors off the mm-hmm. place, but that actually would have been distracting yeah. to to the overall picture. Exactly, yeah. it would have made it feel more like a musical mm-hmm. rather than a performance based drama, and. Um, where was I going to go with this? You can, you can disrespect the singing, but you cannot disrespect the dancing. <laughs> no, oh, I didn't know, I didn't even know Ryan Gosling had that in him, Yeah, honestly. man, Mouseketeer. <laughs> Mouseketeer. And did you realize he played all the piano by himself? Yes, he did, yep. He, uh, <laughs> he did a piano. I knew he played piano because when he hosted SNL, he played. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know that part of him. So yeah. this was a really cool showcase of all his talents. Even Emma Stone, like, the, um, audition piece, mm-hmm. the, that number was sung on the soundstage, 
So going like live sound was taken. They literally miserobbed it. That's amazing, but actually good. Yeah, I was listening to composer talk about how that scene went, and he was like, "I I let her lead. She vocally led that piece, and I just drove it home with the piano, accompanied her, her voice." And so that was all Emma Stone in that scene, and it was such because that song's about like my aunt going to Paris and just leaping forward into the water without thinking or hesitating one bit, and it's kind of like you know our fantasy as artists when we're trying to approach like or just like pursue our dreams and approach our craft and stuff like that. We want to head into the water head first without thinking. Yeah. But we're, there's so many like outside world parameters that we can't we can't do that, and mm-hmm. so like the romanticism of that scene and wearing all that. That sugary sweetness on his sleeve—it was just so beautiful, you know. And the the metaphor of you got to jump in, yeah. And she tells a story about her aunt who just jumped in, mm. and she told a story on the spot, yeah. Prepared, she did not make any decisions before she went into the room. She just did it, yes. Which is perfectly juxtaposed by the story she's telling and singing. Totally. <laughs> that's that's such a damn good script, <laughs> Giselle. Giselle, <laughs> and just like you were uh, alluding to earlier uh, during your uh, La Land review. I thought the ending was perfect because any of these Hollywoodized romance films, you're going to get the guy and the gal. They're going to be together at the end. They're going to go right off to the sunset. But the bittersweetness and the heartbreaking element of this, of the ending, the finale, was what made it feel so much more real because Jasmine and I were talking about how all the people in your lives, they come and go, but they still weigh significantly on your life because they contributed something to it. You know, yeah. No matter how short your time was. They made you who you are. Yeah, and even like when I was a lowly extra doing background and stuff like that, you, you can attest to this too. Mm-hmm. All those relationships you were made, a lot of them were just one day type of things. We spent 16 hours with each other on set and we told our you – know, it's, it's funny how we trust strangers with our deepest, <laughs> darkest secrets and stuff like that. Like we're going to be together for a while. We might as well open up. Totally. <laughs> and you know, like we said our goodbyes. We never saw each other again, but that influenced so much of me and who I am today. And mm-hmm. it's it's sad to, to know that these two who were so good for each other, at least personality-wise, but they didn't end up being together, was, was sad superficially, but deep down – they both ended up where they wanted to be. Yeah. It, yeah. it was, okay, we we can go our separate ways and we can achieve our dreams. Yeah. And then that flash of maybe, and it's both of them seeing it from maybe, you know, I took it initially as Ryan Gosling is envisioning what their life could have been. But I think yeah. they mutually see at the same time of we could have stayed together. She could have got fulfilled her dream, and I would have been perfectly happy not fulfilling my dream yeah. just to be here with her mm-hmm. to achieve hers. That's how I interpreted it in that in his vision of how it all played out, but that's not how it played out. Yeah. It played out the way it played out. Yeah, and, uh, being a creative type, being someone who's a dreamer and pursues, uh, there's certainly those mo- ret- retrospective moments of like the the road less traveled or regrets. I I I hear people say like, oh, I'm thinking about the re- I I'm being reflective on my gre- regrets at the end of the year, and I have and I'm I feel bad. I'm like, don't. Because all the mistakes you made made got you to this point. Yeah. And if you change one thing, you wouldn't be here. That's true. Good or bad. Yeah. I've I've said that since high school. Like early, you know, I made that decision very young that it was like, okay, I'm gonna make st- stupid decisions. <laughs> I wish I hadn't, but I can't change them, and I have to go forward. Yeah. Um, oh man, such a good movie. <laughs> so so good, man. And I'm glad it's your number one too because I, I worried that 
uh, I a would not have known the movie you were going to pick for <laughs> one, but that it it it's I think it shows some growth in your your tastes that you pick something so joyful as your number one. <laughs> I think in the past you picked. Are, you, <laughs> are you saying I'm a downer? <laughs> it, it shows some optimism. I think. Yeah. It's and the movie is optimistic as well as crushingly realistic. <laughs> Those audition scenes with yeah. Emma Stone are like the worst. It, oh, man. I, I have friends who are pursuing careers. You have friends who are pursuing careers in acting and mm. have to go through that meat grinder. I do not envy them. I I did an audition room thing like that with Ugh. Bryce. He was casting. Ugh. It's kind of a little bit of a tangent, yeah, but yeah. he was casting for his film, um, and it's all by cast. And we were talking to all these black actresses, and they were so good. Mm-hmm. They were so good. And then uh, at the end of all their auditions, they were thanking Bryce, thank you for giving me such a complex role. It's such a meaty role to chew on because all I've been giving my entire career, and these are veterans. They're, like, in their 40s, 50s, and whatnot. All I've been given was, like, cops, thugs, uh, crackhead, mom, best friend, sassy black friend, whatever, this and that. And it just – you hear these stories, and it's one thing to hear them from afar, from offhand comments and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. But from the actual source in the flesh, it was heartbreaking. And to see Emma Stone go through that, I was just like, I, I know what that's like. All that preparation for nothing, yeah. and that, that disregard that that people that are part of the machine have for people who want to desperately be a part of the machine. Well, it's it is soul crushing, <laughs> yeah. and it is so easy to give up. Yeah. And, it's, and I've seen people come and go, and and it is not it, – it's not easy to keep doing this, mm-hmm. um, to to want to be a creative yeah. musician, actor, performer, entertainer, stand-up comic, anything. Anything in the creative field that mm-hmm. isn't like, hey, you want to be a teacher? You get your master's, you applied for school, you get a teacher. I'm not saying it's as easy as that, yeah. but there is a structure to that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you want to make it in the movie industry? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Every day is a dice roll. <laughs> Sorry, no roadmap here. <laughs> and the movie portrays that rather well. Uh, the the superficiality that I kind of referenced before was 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 more in defense of the movie because I have heard. Actually, I want to talk about this. Yes. The 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 criticism of. Uh, you glorified it. Well, yeah, it's, it's, that's the idea. It's, yeah. it's a dreamy look. It's the rose-colored glasses of the reality. But look at the complexity of how the characters yeah. exist in this world. There's nothing superficial about that. Yeah. Um, um, and, and you had said the criticism of Damien Chazelle. I'm sorry, Ryan Gosling is a white guy yeah. who's trying to uphold jazz, where John Legend is trying to change it and grow. Mm. Um, so why is that a criticism? Because, I mean, if you want to dissect it like that, a stubborn white guy who won't get over the past versus someone who knows that progress needs to be made to advance our culture, yeah, why not give that to the black guy mm. and the stubbornness to a white guy? But I don't, that's not necessarily where I want to go with this. Yeah. Is that if it was someone else making this movie, okay, I could see that the criticism would be valid, but Damien Chazelle clearly loves jazz. Yes. He has a respect for it mm. like none other. Between this and Whiplash, I think it's clear to say the man knows what he's talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it's okay that he put his voice into Ryan Gosling yeah. to be the voice of the love of jazz. Mm. Man, it's, that's, that's the tug of war that I have internally every time I'm watching something that I feel like is this ethical. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I don't think it's appropriation. I think it's mm. respectful. I think that, that Ryan Gosling having a love for, for jazz. Yeah. 
is perfectly respectful, particularly because it comes from Damien Chazelle. Yes, I, I will agree. It's it's so complex because because <laughs> no, it's simple, Ben. No, <laughs> it's it's not simple, and I, I'm only addressing this to have yeah. a conversation about it. Yeah, no, totally. I think this this should be had because some people. I mean, we're too easy to shy away from it. That's why it keeps perpetuating. Mm-hmm. And I think I won't bla- I won't call it blatant uh, uh, appropriation because I feel like at times it, it it's blatant, but at times it can be ignorance like you don't think about it and i think at 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 worst i will say it's tone deaf it's it's tone deaf because look at all these names these jazz titans that mm-hmm. gosling's character is naming off Thelonious monk miles davis charlie parker, charlie parker yeah. these are all prominently african-american people and jazz as you as we both know because we took jazz appreciation jazz appreciation um, is a, dom- a black-dominated culture. And, yes, yeah. and except for Kenny G. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like appropriation starts at when, because we always talk about how, you know, folks who, who love hip-hop but don't love black people and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it's it can be applied to jazz as well. And I'm not saying Damon Chazelle's like that, because obviously he's so well-versed in it. It's just... It's just seeing that, and then if it was just that, I might be okay with it. But then seeing L.A., how it's so, – the lack of diversity in the L.A. that was portrayed in this fantasy. Yeah, yeah. I was like, hang on, man. L.A. is like top five most diverse cities in the world, you're not right, even in the yeah. country. And and you're right. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't even yeah. think of that, that there's one black character in the cast. There's yeah. no representation of – is one of her roommates maybe Latino? I don't remember who her roommates were. Something like that. But they're all like – you know, nameless band members or like John Legend. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just it made the it didn't juxtapose well for me. It it was it made it even more glaring, mm-hmm. and like maybe it's just me microscoping it. <laughs> but I I couldn't help but shake it off that feeling when I was watching the entire film, and so I think that's why I had to preface that. But I don't know. It could just be me. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I will put a defense on 10 Cloverfield Lane retroactively. <laughs> what? That was five movies ago. <laughs> Damien Chazelle wrote it. I saw that in the credits, <laughs> and I was like, holy hell. He did write that movie. <laughs> Sorry. Do- I just remembered that. I was like, ooh, that's that, – because I had a note here. I was like, Damien Chazelle. Oh, yeah, he did 10 Cloverfield Lane. <laughs> Hang on, though. Did Was he – because I'm – because I remember reading this. Was he part of the original draft, or did he just kind of was the script doctor I that got know. credit? Might be worth might be worth, be worth checking out. Because I saw that in the credits. I was like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Um, our entire list, uh, every single not, – now, again, this is all uh, – well, no, it's an aggregate, so it should count. None of our ten, either of our ten, have a score under 90. On Rotten Tomatoes. On Rotten Tomatoes. Every ah. movie we have has a 90 or above. You're, you're turn around, Rotten Tomatoes. Just, uh, you're turn around. So that was worth mentioning. We picked good movies. <laughs> that means we need to be on Rotten Tomatoes now. <laughs> the rewatchman. I, I don't know. I don't know. Do we, do we want to go through that? <laughs> um, uh, yeah, Chazelle didn't write the initial. He didn't come up with the story. Um, he wrote the. He was the final script doctor. Still very, still very interesting. I'm. <laughs> I'm so. He's one of the few directors where I'm like, I'm gonna watch whatever you're gonna watch. Every each movie is gonna be an event for me. Whatever you make, I'll watch it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Even the next movie, it's like a Neil Armstrong biopic or whatever. 
That that sounds like a boring follow-up, but He's I will gonna watch it. He's going to be on the moon just... But, man, what a bright future that man has. And just like uh, a few more points about Lolly before mm-hmm. we wrap up. But oh, sure. Just, I love that you continually bring up the complexity of the subtext of it all because that's something I feel like a lot of people are missing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, look at Gosling's character when he was playing in John Legend's band. And even though he was, quote-unquote, successful, he was extremely unhappy. He's miserable. Yeah. yeah. And the motivation behind it was because he thought that's what would make uh, Emma Stone's character. Yeah. What's her character's name again? I'm trying to call them by the character's name, but I don't remember. Emma Stone. Let's just call her Emma Stone. <laughs> that's what he thought would make his partner happy and not him happy. And so that's another element of their relationship that I thought was such a mature portrayal of a man and a woman because often in times in romantic comedies it's so one-dimensional. It's like, I want this, and I want this too. Okay, let's get together because we both want the same things. They both want the same things, but it's so nuanced. And because the path is so different that they can't meet in the middle, right. sometimes it becomes a conflict. The the argument they have over dinner when yeah. he comes back and he makes dinner for her is so realistic. Yeah. Because it, it was on a dime right, yeah. to go from – uh, you know, Sebastian was just, hey, I'm just happy to be here. And I, and then when Mia attacks him, not attacks him, but addresses, the tension just snaps. Yeah. And it's, like, uncomfortably realistic. Yeah. I certainly have had arguments like that with Candace. <laughs> and I'm sure you've had arguments like that with Jasmine. Yeah. It's like, you can actually, like, walk away from it and go, what the hell was that all? Why did, how did we get there? <laughs> Why did this just happen? <laughs> too real. It's too, too real. real. Yeah. And... That's what makes the movie so good. Yeah, is that those those truly real moments, mm-hmm. um, and mm. and blanketed in in the fantasy of musicals and yeah. and the oh the the abruptness of the fantasy in the end when he sees how their life would have gone where he just gets up from the piano <sighs> she says I I liked I liked what you boom and he kisses her and boom their lives flash yeah. before their eyes the epilogue like, so yeah, yeah so dynamic and kinetic and that's that is how memories happen that yes. is how. Uh, retros- retrospectives happen mm-hmm. as well. It's like if I had just done this, and it floods you with thoughts. Yeah, it was so visually representative of that reality. <laughs> yeah, so striking. It was uh, well choreographed, and also that's what made it even more heartbreaking because the what could have is what we all wanted mm-hmm. for Sebastian's character and for Mia's character, but that was not the reality. It's just it's funny because I was thinking of the Gilmore Girls theory. I was like, oh, la la la. <laughs> uh, what we want, you know? Yeah. And it's funny because we, we keep talking about 2016 and how it's personally reflective of us. And mm-hmm. I, I don't know how personally I want to get because, like, the latter half of 2016, why it was such downer for me, it's because my partner and I, you know, we we decided that we were not going to live with each other anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of it I felt like was it something that I did. Right. Or do you not love me anymore? And you just like nip, you start nitpicking it. Yeah, all. Yeah, yeah, and I think why this film touched me so much is because the trajectory of these characters are it's 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 me and my partner, and you know, it's not like we don't want to be together anymore, but we want to be our complete selves before we reunite in that middle ground again. Yeah, and like. What scares me is the finale of La La Land. It's that they both get what they want, but they didn't end up together. They don't get each other, yeah. And it, so uh, it's it's very emotionally resonant to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> it strikes deep. Yeah. You know, and, and interestingly, if we if we look at the theses of our lists that we presented to each other, this movie does represent both of our 
lists. Yes. The the self discovery, the journey, the the joy, um, the inspiration. Like it's all there. This the La La Land is a a wonderful capsule of of our 2016. Yeah. And the 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 shine and and uh, bigness of something like Civil War and Fantastic Beasts is certainly par- a part of La La Land as well. But the the quiet introspective uh, subtlety of something like the handmaiden as you described it is is in there too it's it's a fantastic number one that you have picked ah, <laughs> thanks so much i'm just look because i know you and i throughout the entire year were like this year sucks <laughs> but look at this list i i like it a lot there's because last year the the bottom half i was like i'm never gonna watch this again the revenant why is this even on here i didn't like that movie <laughs> <laughs> well it, I, it's because the Granted, I do have some blockbusters on here, but the big movies, the loud movies, the yeah. movies everybody's seen, those were the disappointments. Those were the ones yeah. that didn't didn't bring a lot of new stuff to the table. I want to throw out my honorable mentions real quick. Uh, Star Trek Beyond, loved it. Mm. Um, Sing Street, I really that was one of my honorable mentions as well. Finding Dory, Moana, and and even even going so far as saying Rogue One. Rogue One didn't end up on my list. It yeah. never even was going to be on my list. Mm. I've seen it three times now, and I do enjoy it. I yeah. have the poster hanging for this season of the one-minute rewatch. <laughs> um, and I, I'm excited by the possibilities of, of Star Wars and what this world now has to offer us. Yeah, you know, We've moved beyond the prequels. But I think that the, the blockbusters, the big ones, aside from like Civil War and, and Fantastic Beasts, I think that for the most part, this year didn't offer a lot. The box office proves it. That this is one of the worst years for box office since 2006. Woo! <laughs> but the 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 range of success to failure is that's a big gap. Yeah. Because you got seven billion dollars from Disney from Disney for six movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have huge misfires like Suicide Squad. Yeah. Uh, it's what an interesting year. Um, I. I'm interested to see what 2017 has to offer in terms of of the the blockbusters as well as the smaller films. I still there's still films I need to see. I want to see Loving. I want to see Manchester by the Sea, just because I heard that it's like a miserable movie. <laughs> 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 that Jackie, I, I'm curious to oh, see that. Yeah, I totally it, forgot about it, that movie. It looks Oscar baity, but yeah. I do want to see it. Um, and then of course there's like the big blockbusters. I am excited for Thor three and yeah. Spider Man and Guardians of the Galaxy two. Um, another Star Wars. I'm I'm curious to see how they're going to handle Princess Leia. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. good list. It's an interesting year. <laughs> it's been a roller coaster of a year, that's for sure. I'm interested to see what some people think of our lists. Yeah, and as well as maybe people tossing out some more defense of or interest in for some of the movies we have named. Any any final thoughts before we wrap up this marathon episode? Hmm. This <laughs> 2016. I know just looking on my feed and talking to people, a lot of folks have been lamenting 2016, worst year of my life. Yeah. I like to say most challenging. I don't want to, you know, police everyone and their feelings. They're all valid. Yeah. Especially the latter end. Holy <laughs> hell. Holy hell. But there's – just like you said, there's some good to, to come out of this. There's there's a silver lining here, and I think I've learned the most and grow the most this year. And 
watching the cinema and growing with the cinema that I watched this year, um, you know, I think I know who the filmmaker I want to be is. And yeah, it, it, I'm excited to yeah. see where you can go from here. Yeah. Uh, and yes, people can. 2016 was a dog of a year. <laughs> Believe me, there's some terrible things that happened this year. I read, I read, uh, Washington Post did an entire breakdown of the entire year, and it was not good. Like <laughs> the one, like it kicked off great with Del Chapo getting caught in, in January, and then it was just spiraled out of control Woo! from there. Hey, the Cubs won. <laughs> um, but uh, um, just because the calendar turned does not mean everything turned. Yes. The, everything's going to keep going. Still like, the same president. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have a lot of challenges ahead of us personally, mm-hmm. and um, a lot of challenges to overcome as a as as just people yeah. in this world. Um, a, a lot of people are like, oh, the 20, 2016 deaths. Let's 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 get in 2016. I'm sorry, but there are going to be a lot of deaths yeah. this year. Okay? <laughs> uh, all these people are are elderly, and yeah. and we need to be prepared. <laughs> I hope 2016 prepared us for the challenges of overcoming personal issues, societal issues, and even as something simple, and I don't, I don't mean that to be rude, but yeah. simple as losing a celebrity. Yes. We, we've, we've survived 2016 as, yeah. as people. Let's use that <laughs> and learn from it. As much as these movies are, in, are in, inspirations to me to be a better filmmaker and challenge myself as a storyteller, um, the year as a whole, it's, it's just one more step in in the journey yes absolutely and i would love to pose this question to you not to extend the podcast for too long let's do it for five hours (laughs) why not but um i'm always curious because people make resolutions and it's easier breaking what i'm blah blah blah, Mm. this and that i i'm really curious to what realistically you look forward to in film as a film goer Mm. and in filmmaking as a filmmaker well film uh, film making, like uh, what I'm hoping to see this year, yeah. is uh, look the best art, and this might be my more liberal leanings. I try to be moderate, but I think this will shine with my liberal leanings. The best art has come out of Republican-controlled years. Okay, look at the the Futures album from Jimmy World is really one of their well-crafted albums, and That's it came a out hell of an album. It came out of the Bush administration. Yeah. The a lot of the anti-hero reactionary. Uh, television shows you've been getting came out of the economic struggles of the post-Clinton years. Yeah, uh, Tony Soprano is a result of that. Yeah. Uh, um, go back further and look at the the post-Vietnam era. Mm-hmm. Some of the best art came out of the most pain <laughs> as, a, as a society. And the pain we are facing as, as a society is not new. Mm-hmm. It is just louder and easier to access. Yes. The the racism and the prejudice and the problems haven't changed. The cameras have. Yeah. As Bernie Sanders, I'm paraphrasing him. <laughs> I'm not a Bernie bro. I'm just quoting a good quote. <laughs> we need to get out of Wall Street. So I think that I would love to see art in cinema and television and something like Netflix mm-hmm. and, and uh, YouTube essayists. So the, the yeah. art that is being crafted, I would love to see dig deeper. Yes. Obviously, I love superficial things. I, lo- I liked Captain America. Yeah. <laughs> I liked Fantastic Beasts. But my, if you really look at my list, mm-hmm. it's a list of characters yes. and interesting, compelling stories. We can dig deeper. We can explore more. And and that's what I want to see as out of cinema and art. Yes. And I want to do that myself. 
I don't. I have to challenge myself. I have to. Uh, I have a, a contemporary who loves to criticize me. It's one of the trolls in my life. Someone, <laughs> someone very trolly and close to me, who says that um, all all the successes we've had this year are bullshit hmm. because it's too easy for us now, and we're 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 swimming in little ponds, and that's why we're doing so well. Maybe there's some truth in that. Maybe I need to to expand expand my reach and and reach further and harder. But I reach pretty damn far on a regular basis. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I I hope to challenge myself in this coming year of of trying to realistically think bigger and speak louder mm. and explore deeper. How about yourself? As a film goer, this is always this is that abusive relationship that is modern day <laughs> cinema, because, because it's so. Uh, I know we talked about the uh, the this idea that TV is taking away the quality that is cinema now, and I've been talking to a lot of people. I've been watching roundtables with professionals saying, "Man, it's just so hard to get myself to sit down and watch a movie because you think about the running time before the movie even starts, and you're just like, ah, oh, do I have two hours of my day? Yeah, or do I have an hour and a half of my day? And it's just." And it's funny because we still binge watch stuff, yeah. <laughs> but in that episodic format, it's so much easier. It's so much easier to digest. Yeah, which is kind of weird. It's more fulfilling, too, yeah, because you're able to explore longer. This is true. Yeah, and that's what makes them. I'm I, a lot of these movies. It would be like the first 10, 15 minutes that would completely engage me. Yeah, I'm like all right, you got me. I'm I'm willing to sit here for as long. And very rarely in any of these watches did I look at my watch. <laughs> But there were occasions in some of the movies that even, like, I did enjoy Rogue One, but there was a moment in the middle where I looked at my watch to figure <laughs> out how much time was left. Yeah. It might have been because I really had to pee. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I gotta go. Sorry. <laughs> but I think coming into 17, uh, just like you saying, you know, art art's reactive. It's reflective. It's reactive. Mm-hmm. I, want it, I want to see art this year and cinema, mostly cinema, say something. Please be brave and say something. I don't no, – like, there's a place for superficiality and whatnot, but I think there was a overinflation of it this year, um, especially this summer. And it was done so in such a dishonest way. I think we, that's why we got so many crap movies. <laughs> I mean, we peaked in May with Captain Mario. I was like, holy crap, that's it? <laughs> Damn, Thanks it's over. Lot. Thanks a lot, guys. <laughs> and so not only say something, but also uh, I love – like you said, we we like to use it as a mirror to be reflective of society and whatnot. I like to use it as a barometer to gauge where we're at as a society. Mm-hmm. Because I think 2016 kicked us so hard in the ass because it was so swift and out of nowhere. We were not prepared. We were complacent in our in our ways, you know. Yeah. We got too comfortable. So I want to be uncomfortable with cinema again. I want cinema to be provocative, to be controversial, to make me think again. Be cerebral. Don't be afraid to be cerebral. Like, like you've mentioned, you've lamented before, this – age in this not this age is that's like a gross blanket generalization but this kind of swimming culture of anti-intellectualism is seeping in further and further into the pop culture pantheon that is american pop culture it's it's yeah. kind of frightening man not not everything needs to be this hyper complex <laughs> but everything has the potential to do that yeah right you can you can explore character mm. and and that's up to the actors as well as it is up to the directors and the scripts that are being made. That's why something like Star Trek Beyond was such a damn good movie because yeah. 
they they dug deeper. Mm-hmm. Whether it was into challenging, complex, issue, nuanced issues or not, yeah. they were willing to try harder. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. And like you've mentioned over and over again about Zootopia, that's just an example of, like, here's a really easy way of just talking about this mm-hmm. without preaching to the choir or whatever. Like, yeah. We love our escapism. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to Fast 8. Yes. Right? No, I, I uh, think you and I are yeah. going to be first in line. <laughs> uh, and I'm not I'm not asking for Fast 8 to address <laughs> – I'm not asking for Fast 8 to specifically address race issues. Yeah. But Fast 8 does address race issues yeah. simply by the fact that their cast is so multicultural. Absolutely. That right there is a way to be provocative, as, mm-hmm. you, as I'm interpreting it. I may, you may not agree. I totally agree, yeah. But that that is is trying harder. Yeah. And digging deeper. Mm-hmm. And it's as simple as that. Yes. <laughs> like, look how multicultural this cast is. Yeah. That's a statement unto itself. Now let's blow up some cars. <laughs> <laughs> you are absolutely 100% correct, sir. Um, I guess for me, as on my filmmaking journey, um, as I become – after all the years of, like, trying to do this and trying to do that and realizing, oh, I'm just copying my heroes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's I think that's the general trajectory of every young filmmaker – like you start out mimicking what you know, right? But now as I'm experiencing more, I'm having I've had more relationships with folks and like building stronger bonds with the already existing relationships I have. Mm-hmm. Um, I've grown more more assured of what I want to say, and so you're finding your voice, man. Yeah. yeah, and my my big goal in the next couple of years because I turned thirty in two years, and I want that feature film more than ever, mm-hmm. and so. I don't know what it is. <laughs> I have a few ideas, but I I want to write, I want to develop it, and I want to eventually make it by the time I hit thirty. So that's, that's the a, goal. That's a that's a fair goal. Yeah. <laughs> well, good luck. Thank you. <laughs> it's a steep mountain to climb. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that uh, that about wraps up 2016 for us. Yeah. Uh, there will there will certainly be more conversations to be had. Some I'm looking forward to you seeing some of the movies. I'm looking forward to seeing some of your movies, uh, and then we can compare lists again in like five months. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but uh, as always, we're, we're open for comments and conversation. Let's hear what you guys have to say out there. You can tweet at me at TC's Big Head. You can also tweet at Ben at Benji Toes. You can find him on Twitter and Instagram, both of us, under those monikers. Uh, YouTube for Ben. Yeah. The band with no name. Yes. Um, and uh, you, you have a YouTube page now. Uh, yes. Well, I mean, I've had it. Yeah. I've had it. That you can find. You've rebranded it. (laughs) Firmament redacted over on YouTube if you want to see some uh, of our short films and whatnot, which we had a good year. Very prolific year. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But check out uh, other content, which is available from some of our compatriots. We have the the BitLife show where you can watch my one-minute rewatch as well as Chad's one-minute gamer. Chad, if you've listened this far, please make another one-minute gamer. <laughs> I plug it every time. <laughs> uh, Schulze having his uh, Max, uh, Chris and Max review show. Um, Jeff Bell, who has the Ghost Hat Network, where you can see hear some good podcasts, which I may be on a new podcast soon. Whoop, whoop. Yeah, another movie one, of course. But <laughs> You're cheating on me. <laughs> uh, anything else you'd like to plug? What am I? Well, we shot something with... The Kim women from Gilmore Girls, uh, Keiko Agena and Emily Kuroda, that should be dropping within the month. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's a nice conversation piece. Um, the Immortal Iron Fist is still online. We just hit 1K on YouTube and about to approach 5K on Facebook. Congratulations so. to that. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, cool. So with that being said, uh, we will talk to you guys again soon. We'll actually come back with an actual review next time. Don't know what we're going to watch, but I'd like to dig into something. I think that'd be fun. So with that being said, for all you dreamers, those inspired, those storytellers, filmmakers, and creative types out there, don't let anyone stop you. Don't let 2016 be the bane. Let 2017 be the new torch. You rise up and rush into that cold, dark night, my friends. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm TC DeWitt. That's Ben over there. Talk to you guys next time. It's a hell of a pen speech right there. There you go. (laughs) One more of my dead Without a nickel to my name, hopped it